Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 377. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we have another 2000s Patreon show this week. Always a good time. Yes, a uh, 2004 pick from uh, Brian Peterson, who put down the $25 uh, in large part, especially to hear about the first ever uh, WWE 2- Taboo Tuesday pay-per-view. Yeah, and this, and your, you know, the 2000 shows that are able, we're able to get off of the uh, Observer website, it's a whole lot easier to do notes <laughs> on than uh, the latter half of the 2000s. So this, this wasn't as big of a chore as some of the latter half of 2000s are, but hey, We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, you know, to a certain degree. So patreon.com slash between the sheets, $25 gets you access to a figure show for the week. Now I have two shows in mind. If you want to do that, because a show that you may want us to do may have are, you know, already been done somehow in the previous show. Some may have that week on the calendar set up for uh, another week later on. So, you know, have two shows in your mind just in case. Um, follow the protocol on the Patreon website on how they get the information to us, why you want to do the show. Let us know that. 30-day rules in effect. Please get that in before 30 days of your show. 10-year rules in effect. Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline. All that good stuff. So um, you do all that, we should be able to get your show done. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. And uh, I want to mention this in this part of the show since not everybody listens to halftime. And I, this question came on, came to us on Twitter, uh, the day we were recording this. Yes, we are uh, taking part in anniversary billing on our Patreon. So yes, we do have that now. So that answered the question. Yes. So yes, it doesn't necessarily go at the beginning of the month anymore. It's, if when you're you a new or returning sign up, it is 30 days from the day you sign back up or sign. Yes. Up. Yeah. So if you signed up like like it was before, where if you signed up towards the end of the month, then you and then the next month change, you got billed twice. Which we had to do though, because if before they introduced the upfront payment, which we were I think fairly early in the beta of, um. People could just sign up and then download everything and then not pay. Yeah, so that's why we had a set to do it that way. And you know, we our workflow ended up that we usually release the Patreon shows towards the end of the month, but it was never something that we like did on purpose. It was just we had to have it set the one way because of the issues we saw early on. But we always told people like we don't we're not offended if you wait until the first or whatever to sign up. Now that doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. So. um yeah, so we're good to go with that. So there's the answer to that. All right, well, let's get going now. As uh, Brian Peterson wanted us to talk about 2004, like Vic said, so let's go to August 19th to the 25th of 2004, and we'll begin with total nonstop action. The Best Damn Sports Show period deal was a special taping on October 27th. There was almost no advance word of this. The funny story is that USA Today ran an item in uh, my friend Rudy Marsky's TV column about the date for the special week on wrestling on the show before anyone at TNA knew about it. It was announced at the October 19th tapings for the first time. On that night, even with Jimmy Hart and Johnny Fairplay going around the park to round people up, 
There are only 375 fans at the taping on that regular Tuesday. So they're really trying to push everything they can locally because they know they need a full house on October 27th for network credibility. That night, the excuse for the weak crowd was the baseball as well as Taboo Tuesday. But on October 26th, it was only 425, which, of course, that's the day after our week, but still. The tourist crowd that met the size of a percentage estimated sitting by percent during the summer by those who weren't there of the live audience has gone until the spring. And with no local television, there is no Fox Sports Net station in Florida because of Sunshine Network, which doesn't air the show. There aren't many local fans who come to the shows, even though they are free. The plan going in was to take two 90-minute shows with five or six matches on each show, which would air on the two episodes between November 10th and 11th. They were to build angles leading to the Monty Brown Best Damn Sports Show period host Brian Cox in a tag match, as well as Tom Arnold refereeing a minis match with Puppet and T.O., John Sally uh, managing in a match, and Chris Rose would do an angle with Johnny Fairplay, who gets several thousand per appearance, and of late they fly him in just to walk around the park. It was supposed to be shot mainly for comedy. One thing that had people wondering what was that, even though this airs after November the 7th, is that Vince Russo was involved in the meetings on writing the show. They want to showcase some of their best stuff, so they would be airing an AJ Styles versus the Best Tables match, an ultimate X match with Sanjay Dutt, either Skipper, and Chris Saban, and Jeff, Her- Jeff Jarrett versus Jeff Hardy and inside of a steel cage. It would give TNA the exposure to the casual sports fan, but the fear was it would pre- be presented as a joke. Huh. Best damn sports show, period. Um, I mean, this was a big deal, you know, at the time to be on that show because that show had a uh, had you know a following so to speak it you know, on fox um it was a it was a thing that was you know um i'm, I'm trying to think of how i would describe it it was kind of a sports version for people who may not even know what it is even though it was only 2004 it was like a sports male version of the view kind of when you when you would you say that I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah. And yet Tom Arnold, like I said, Tom Arnold, Chris Rose, John Sally, uh, Brian Cox was on there at times. Um, God, who else was on there? I can't remember, but, but, but anyway, I mean, the, the, the tie in with TNA, you know, it was fought with being on Fox. It seemed like it was going to be a thing that really would help TNA get on the map a little bit. They get that exposure. Well, especially because, you know, they have TV and, you know, two years earlier, UFC had their uh, best damn sports show exposure. And at least it seemed to get put them in a better place than they had been before. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, is that, I mean, so what this was going to be called was the best damn wrestling event, period. That was going to be the whole thing. The November 10th and 11th deal. So, yeah, I mean... It, it was it was going to be uh, some exposure for TNA, which they needed to try to be become a you know a viable number two promotion at that time. But it, it really didn't do a whole hell of a lot in the end. So, all right, there are no there's no update regarding the TSN deal. The bad signs are TSN doesn't have TNA listed on their November schedule. Bobby Roode was on off the record, and they put TNA runs on ESPN Classes Canada but never hit anything on TSN. Dave didn't buy for a second the story that TSN iced the deal because they got out the, on the internet prior to the announcement. Every major TV deal by every company in wrestling over the past 15 years has gotten out long before the network made the official announcement, and not one was blown because of it. 
as much as TNA was doing with Canadian talent, it really is wild that they didn't have a big, bigger Canadian TV deal, isn't it? It is. I mean, their top and or one of their top heel stables has been Team Canada for, what, a year at this point? Year and a half? Yeah. I mean, a big focus on Canadian talents. I mean, you would think that would appeal to CanCon, Canadian content. You know, it wasn't taped in Canada. I know that, but still. Well, they could have done special wraparounds with Billy Red Lions. <laughs> well, who would have been the Billy Red Lions of the 2000s that could have done that, though, Bix? Scott Damore. There you go. Well, that makes sense, yes. Yeah, he could have been. You're right. But anyway, yeah. Uh, DirecTV won't be airing Victory Road at this point, so that's a minimum of 20% off the number that, of buys they would have gotten. Now, as of October 19th, there were about 250 tickets sold to Victory Road at $49 each. They were happy with that figure, which shows just how low expectations are. There are only 700 seats available to the, for the pay-per-view, although on a Sunday they'll probably be able to get people from the park to fill any empty seats. As of right now, nobody seems to know where the December 5th pay-per-view would come from, and a lack of organization here is going to be a major part of the store when their obituary is written. <laughs> what a obituary? They'll never die. Come on, Dave. <laughs> a lot of people are concerned because the failure of November 7th on pay-per-view, at this point, there is no buzz. They're going to do a lot of advertising in the final week, but Dave's feeling on advertising for pay-per-view wrestling shows that if the TV doesn't sell you, all the ads in the world mean very little. Casual fans are about to buy a non-WWE show. That's <laughs> about true today too uh, the idea of having weeks to hype a show directly and putting all the stars and important matches on one event sounded good but they just don't have enough there the only thing they've got is curiosity about seeing Scott Hall and Kevin Nash live and the angles since both will appear on TV first Jeff Hardy means nothing and Jeff Jarrett can't sell tickets yet there's nobody else in the position who would mean anything anyway the fact they couldn't get Sting for a show they needed him on says a lot there's concern also about the twenty nine ninety five price tag, the low TV ratings building up to the show, and the fact that as a fan watching the buildup, it is yet to motivate Dave to buy in the least. And if Dave's not caring when he goes out his way to try and watch everything, well, that isn't good. Yeah, TNA, it's still like in this era, TNA, when you're trying to run a big pay-per-view, it really wasn't anything that was uh, a big deal, you know, for various reasons as Dave laid out here. You know, I wasn't a TNA watcher at this time, so it definitely didn't, you know, make me want to do anything. But what about you, Bex? What, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on what Dave's saying here? I think everything he's saying is pretty dead on. I mean, have they even stopped running weekly pay-per-views yet? Uh, by this point in time, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Let me double check. I think they have. I am looking right now. This is October 2004. I think they ended earlier in the year, maybe? I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. They ended with the September 8th show. They just stopped. Okay, just stopped. All right, so, you know. <laughs> so they've been running pay-per-views every week. So why would you, if you're, you know, somebody that was doing that still, what's, what's the extra incentive, you know? When you want to wait because, till December? Well, when you want to wait till a major show? Well, you know? that was the idea originally. Yeah. Um. Well, wait. Does this show end up happening though? Because Bound for Glory doesn't start till 05. Well, I mean, 
What is this? The November 7th show, right? So, yeah, Victory Road. Oh, it was Victory Road. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it happened. Okay. Absolutely. But yeah, I think everything Dave said is here is pretty dead on. I'm not even sure how much I have to add to it, but just I think this is just at a minimum a little too soon to adjust from the weekly pay per views. And then run a big a big show, yeah. Yeah. And you gotta get your TV straight now too, a little bit as well. So that wasn't happening yet. Yeah. Um, nothing official new officially new on the Diamond Dallas page front. TDP is denying he's made a deal, but admitted to talks. Dave was told from the start if he comes in, he won't be advertised because they feel they need one big surprise name on the first show. Plus, they have to get a big name for Piper's Pit, so he may fit in there. Or they could slot Lex Luger in there. Which Luger started up on those 26 tapings the day after our week. Oh, boy. Uh, What happens when Dixie runs out of pops, though? (laughs) Yeah. Because this is explicitly saying we need a big surprise. Yeah. I just, I don't, I've never really, you know, adhered to that rationale of we need to keep, we need to, you know, everything needs to be a surprise or something like that. I think you do kind of have to build to some people coming in. Now, there are some things you can make a surprise, you know, at times. But I do. I think you have to build to something, you know, to try to get people to, to tune in, you know, to try to drive up a rating, get it out there. Right. They're they're not going to know there's a surprise unless you tell them there will be a surprise. Yeah, and, and then they say, "Well, this will get them to watch the next show." No, that's not necessarily. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. I mean, good lord. All right, well, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash have both signed contracts on a confirmed for Victory Road. Hall was on the October 22nd show. He looked old, but wasn't in bad shape as far as was like he was on drugs or drinking like his rep when he showed up. He wore a loose Hawaiian shirt, so people were questioning what kind of shape he was in, although he's not wrestling on this first show anyway. Nash also signed over the past few days, both for multiple appearances, but he'd be 8 to 10. Nash taped an interview from the set of The Longest Yard. That was scheduled to air on the October 29th impact. Most speculations that Holland Nash ended up helping Jarrett beat Hardy, and the three will form the top heel group in the company from there. Well, let's talk about Scott Hall, shall we? Let's go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Hall was at the tapings on uh, the, the on, on the last uh, 19th, the tapings on the 19th, although he was only shown the vignette for film backstage. The storyline is he's siding with Jarrett while Nash is still undecided. Hall spent most of his time hanging out with wrestlers. He's known from past promotions. He did confine to some friends. He was surprised how many younger wrestlers were involved in the promotion and how many of them seemed to have big heads. Hall was very optimistic about TNA. He thought open about what would happen if the company took off. So at this point, he's excited and hoping to make a difference. He also told friends that Sean Waltman had a conversation with Dixie Carter, but two sides were still in the fill it out process. And he was up to his old antics at the tapings. The antics received mixed results among the wrestlers, but mostly positive. Jeff Jarrett was holding a uh, talent meeting ringside where he was informing the crew about next week's tapings for Best Damn Sports Show. Some wrestlers have even suggested that Jarrett held a meeting to show Scott Hall that he is the authority figure in TNA. Whether that was the case or not, Hall quickly showed everyone that he doesn't respect Jarrett. As Jarrett was talking from ringside to the wrestler sitting in the bleachers, Hall mocked him from behind. 
as Jarrett was telling the wrestlers that they need them to arrive on time. Hall clowned around by running in place. As the meeting continued, Hall climbed inside the ring without Jarrett knowing, snuck up behind Jarrett, and did several cross shots directly behind his head. A few of the wrestlers were giggling, but most did their best to keep a straight face so that Jarrett would be none the wiser to what Hall was doing. <laughs> oh, that wacky Scott Hall Biggs. <laughs> so he was up to his antics, but not his substance-fueled antics. No. Okay. <laughs> hey, give it up to the wrestlers for not uh, busting him out. Because <laughs> like it sounds like Jarrett never even knew. Nope. <laughs> Fantastic. I wonder which wrestlers were giggling, though. Other guys are there. AJ Styles probably was one of them. He seems like that type. Yeah. Now, speaking of people with substance abuse problems, stay with the torch. Oh, Jeff Hardy was a day late to the tapings last week. Company officials wanted Hardy to arrive in Orlando on Monday night. They didn't arrive at the building until after the tapings had started. Jeff Jarrett and other management members were understandably in panic mode as they have invested heavily in Hardy as it pertains to Victory Road. When asked TNA officials confronted Hardy about his tardiness, one wrestler said he did not think so, nor did he think it would have done any good. How can you confront someone who doesn't care? Asked the wrestler. You can't get through to someone like that. When you have that reputation, that ain't good. When people are just like, it doesn't matter. He's that far gone. And this is in 2004, folks. Think about that. 2004. WWE fired him in June of three, I think. Sounds about right. Which, uh, as he later revealed in an interview when he came back in, oh, what was it, 06, 07? Uh, so he did a WWE.com interview where he said he was fired for not going to rehab, I think, for... Well, we knew he was fired for not going to rehab. But he said it was for crystal meth, which then, within a few hours, maybe even less, they added the specifics of the crystal meth out of the interview. It's the fact that it's 18 years ago. One day at a time, Chris. And and you know and the, and this still and this still goes on, you know. I mean it's it's a, it's it's a shame. It really is. It really is a shame that that it still goes on. But maybe well, one day, one maybe one day Jeff will get completely clean. And it seems like you know even from when he did the Austin interview. It's not like he's not aware of certain things. Like, you know, the thing he said in the Austin interview. Avoiding drugs is easy. You just stay away from them. <laughs> if you don't try to get pills or illegal drugs, it's going to be, you know, you're at, that, that takes care of a lot of it. But alcohol is everywhere. I mean, in, in the time since he and Matt first went to rehab about a decade ago, all of Jeff's issues that we've heard of have been alcohol-related, right? Yes. So, you know, and he clearly he's aware of that and how that affects him, too. But, you know, when you have a compulsive mental illness, being more exposed to the harmful stimuli, which he's going to be as a wrestler who's traveling and going through airports and stuff, you know, 
he's gonna if he's walking through the terminal, he's gonna see bars everywhere. It's a lot harder. I mean, it's probably not in his case not unfair to say that he'd probably have a much better time sober if he just retired at this point, right? It'd be easier based on what he had said. I should say it. It, it would be easier. It'd be easier way to go. And it does seem like money wise, he's fine. But it's, it's that passion for the business, you know. Yep. Well, maybe one day. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, I just realized something too. Just as far as looking at the time frame of all this, as much as he had his various issues in this first run, where they let him get away with so much. The thing with Sting, where he came out high for the match, was seven years later. <laughs> with a WWE run in between. That's just insane to think about that. This has been going on for this long. I mean, we, I mean, think about it. I mean, Jeff was having his problems in, in, in 20, 2002. You saw him on WWE television in 2002, and like, this guy's got issues. It's been 20 years. He looked strung out. Yes. We've been going through this for 20 years. The Triple H match where he's very obviously, seemingly at least intoxicated is... Was that an 03 or was that an 02? That's 02. Okay. What, if anyone ever wants to see it, it's what, I guess it's the, the last singles they have in that run on Raw. And you have never seen a Jeff Hardy match where he messed up this much and did this much in slow motion. Yeah, 20 years. Mm. Monty Brown's now doing a gimmick where he just he puts a mask and straight jacket on his opponent after he beats them. The straight jacket comes just five days after he debuted its own angle. Someone who sounded like Jim Mitchell, the promo for, as an e manager for Abyss. And the TV main for uh, the 29th was Jeff Hardy beating Petey Williams in a match for Scott Demore, Jeff Jarrett, and AJ Styles all interfered. Live crowds become more and more anti Hardy as each week goes by. Styles also used a Canadian destroyer as his finish on Explosion. How about that? Well, that's a heat thing on the Pete. But the crowds already the crowds turn on Jeff Hardy. Never good. No. And that and that crowd yeah. doing it. <laughs> of all things. After Chris Harrison, James Storm had just asked about everyone in the company whether they should go to WWE or not, since their contract was running out soon. And virtually everyone told them they should. They wound up signing a new contract to stay. Boy, was that a big mistake. For Chris Harris. Uh yes. <laughs> I mean, good lord. I mean, there's no telling what how different their career is if they go to WWE in 2004. Yeah, as the you know, you know, America's Most Wanted gimmick, but they didn't. And Chris goes years later as Braden Walker and ECW, and boy, that worked out well. So yeah, and James Storm has his weird NXT one shot. Yeah, which could have been more, but didn't. So yeah. Ben Pitero talked a lot of Jeff Jarrett when they were in Puerto Rico, and Jet talked about like he was open to bringing him back. TNA was very negative on Ben Pitero after he made remarks in an interview on the ICP website that the company hated. Of course he did. <laughs> that sounds like nothing Ben Pitero would do. Come on now. Wait, at that time, would Kevin Gill have been the one interviewing him? Very possible, yes. Isn't that around the era where his association with ICP is, where he was handling that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. It appears that Dusty Rhodes and Ron Killings versus Kid Cash and Dallas matches off the show because Cash wanted to quit and they don't want to let him go since the Jarrett's are adamant that nobody under contract is going to be given a release, to release chance to work for WWE. Gee, that sounds awfully familiar. 
But because of it, they didn't want cash working a pay-per-view and then got the Russo internet ballot idea for Rhodes. After all that, cash didn't work on the October 26 tapings. The Jairus are adamant that nobody under contract is going to be given a release to chance working for WWE. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Here, well, here's the big difference, though. Most of those the people on these contracts here are not making a full-time living on those contracts. So there is that. Here, in this case, it's... They're getting worse. just as much work. No, but you get what I'm saying. This is even worse. <laughs> of the scenarios, it's worse if you're depriving, depriving them for making real money. Yeah. That's but not me defending re- AEW. I think they should let people go, too, if they want to lose. I know. I know, but here's—I mean, here's the thing too. I mean, what do wrestlers want to do more often than not? What do you mean? I mean, when you become a wrestler, what do you want to do? They want to go to the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. Is that where you're going? No, 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 no. They want to wrestle, right? Yes. I mean, if you're not being used. Or you're not getting the opportunity to be, you know, out there a lot. You want to go somewhere that might give you a better opportunity to do that. Yes. You know, I don't know, but there are also other extenuating circumstances on on the different ones too, back then and now. So, yeah. All right. It was too bad the interest in the product was so cold. The October 22nd episode of Impact featured a very good 10-minute match with Chris Saban and Sanjay Dutt over Michael Shaney and Frank Kazarian by decision. The idea of working more old school and building to the big spot hasn't been lost to anyone. The people live were into it. And also the Team Canada versus Killing Styles and Hardy. And in fact, the live crowd was on their feet big time for that match. Post-match saw Hardy jump off a ladder with a swan tunnel and Scott Demore, but then Jared hit Hardy with a guitar shot as the closing scene. It's old. Real old. Well, let's go to Brian Alvarez, shall we, for his review of Impact. Show open when America's Most Wanted and Triple S had to pull apart Brawlstern from last week's show. This was interesting only because one of the guys pulling apart was D-Ray 3000. <laughs> okay. That's a name from the past. Jarrett came out. Oh, yay. We're off to a rocking start. Ryan O'Reilly versus Jeff Jarrett. Wait, 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 I feel wait. like... There was a time between the mid-2000s and the mid-to-late-teens where Ryan O'Reilly was not under WWE contract. And working in TNA against Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching WCW Saturday Night for five years ago. God knows how many pay-per-views that program sold. Ryan O'Reilly did an Irish jig early and was promptly destroyed. There just happened to be a ladder at ringside, and Jarrett just happened to use it during this match, and this just happened to not be a DQ. I love when Russell Promotions just change the rules for certain matches and don't bother telling us why. Jarrett won with a stroke, even though he, there was a ladder in there, which apparently was free to use. Jeff ran down the mate. Jeff Hardy ran down the mate safe afterwards to a huge pop. He laid out Jarrett, climbed the ladder for perhaps a centon, but Jarrett rolled to safety. Thank God they didn't get with the big spot of the match free on TV here. Yeah, that's good. Um, oh, and for those who don't know. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly is Connor from The Ascension. Yes. A Scott Hall promo aired. He debuted his new gray hair. That had to be some sort of rib on his part. No, he just let his hair go gray. (laughs) A political advertiser aired, compelling fans to vote for Dusty Rose for Director of Authority. This was great. I'm Dusty Rose, he concluded. I approve of this method. 
Woo, fuck it, who? I feel for him for present after this one. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder if any of these are online. <laughs> well, you look for that while I read about the next match. Sanjay Dutt and Chris Saban against Michael Shane and Frank Gazarian. Wow, you're kidding me. An A-minus A match? Shane is way too much of an HBK clone these days. Listen, there's nothing wrong with studying Shawn Michaels' matches and patting your style after, because God knows I did. But there's a limit. We've already got one, HBK. We don't need another one. I think it's Jericho put it best. Even though he idolized Shawn, he said he didn't want to be the next HBK. He wanted to be the first Chris Jericho. Anyway, this is pretty good, and the crowd was hot. No sooner should I type this, and they cut backstage to show America's Most Wanted arguing with each other. Then it cut to a commercial. Lame. Good guys who were running wild for a commercial were making a comeback afterwards, so the bad guys had nearly their entire heat section cut out. By the way, during the commercial, I happened to see some women's volleyball on television. As most of you know, I'm not a big sports fan. More accurately, I hate them. Well, my eyes have been opened. I was so wrong. Women this beautiful and this talented are proof of God's existence. I was so sad to have go, to go back to TNA. <laughs> anyway, they did an awesome spot. It's because everyone up top and Sam and cut him off with the run the rope spot. German super, super German suplex. Kazarian flipped all the way over and it was way safer than it sounds reading you here. Five star spot. Good guys made a comeback and Sam hit the cradle shot right as time limit expired. Larry Zabisco, the judge, chose Dutt and Saban. This was a lot of fun. Yes, because we are on Fox Sports Net, so we have 10 minute time with some judges. <laughs> That's right. Yes, that is this era. <laughs> and the Fox Box, of course, too. That's right, the Fox Box. <laughs> Brian finding out about women's volleyball is the highlight of this. <laughs> <sighs> He's not lying because, I mean, for all you folks that don't remember Brian Alvarez from years ago, I mean, he was open and told me he never watched sports. Never. Even by, like, me standards, he doesn't watch sports. <laughs> yes, he's, he's even worse than you. Oh, he's much worse than me. <laughs> so, that's funny. Are you assuming that he's talking about beach volleyball, too? It's possible, yeah. I gotta think so. October, yeah, because women's college volleyball isn't going on at that time, so it's got to be beach volleyball. Anyway, Shane Douglas interviewed Dusty Rhodes, who started, by, started out by giving two thumbs up. Is it possible for these two men to not be entertaining together? I seriously think that if Dusty ran for office in some southern state, he would win in the landslide. <laughs> he gave a hell of a speech, as for our support. I hereby endorse Dusty Rhodes. Jarrett walked up and they got into an argument, which Douglas observed in the most comical fashion possible. Dusty then gave a tribute to one of the greatest movies of all time, Tombstone, when he said, What, Jeffrey, are we crossed with each other? I take back everything bad I ever said about this program or promotion. I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't watch enough Dusty and TNA. I, I need to go revisit that. Dusty and TNA was always really good. <laughs> I need to revisit that. You've, you've seen the AJ Styles match in the promo leading up yeah, to that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just need to revisit it and watch some more of it. 
Dust yeah. is amazing. But yeah, I don't know if it's online outside of the Impact streaming service, but that promo he cuts leading into that AJ Styles match where he's playing off of how uh, Randy Couture Tito Ortiz had just happened is fantastic. Yeah. Roddy Piper gave another insane promo. He seems surprisingly lucid, despite the fact that I have no idea what the, he was talking about. It is Roddy Piper. Monty Brown killed Eric Stevens quickly. I wrote this song before the match had even begun, which meant I could fast forward through the rest of it. Monty cut a promo afterwards saying he could not be stopped. Southern Lights went out, and when they came back on, Raven was in the ring pounding on him. Monty cut him off and killed him with the pounds. But then the light went out, lights went out again. This time when they came back on, Abyss was in the ring. Monty bit the crap out of him, too. Grad shouted, Brown. Finally, he was overwhelmed and laid out by Abyss. Raven then went after Abyss until security broke it up. This wasn't bad at all. Yeah, look at Eric Stevens. <laughs> Boy, Eric Stevens has changed over the years, hasn't he, Vix? <laughs> yes, he has, yes. He barely looks like the same human here. <laughs> Meanwhile, Monty Brown looks superhuman. Well, yes, he is from the Serengeti. Um, oh, there's the pounds. I accidentally minimized the video, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but he achieved his purpose. Oh, yeah, that was the pounds. Yeah, there we go. Eric took Ooh. a good pounds. Yeah. Although they ruined it by cutting camera angles to a close up as soon as he took it. Of course they did. Because, like, it's the pounds. You keep. Of course they did. If you're shooting it closer, you make sure you're behind the person taking it. Otherwise, it looks better in a long shot, in a, like the hard cam. Oh, he's still not done with them, even though he did the pounce. Oh, another yeah. one. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Maybe this should, finally should have been the week we have to have Eric on. <laughs> My goodness gracious. Yeah, he was selling that he was knocked out and... Uh, Jesus Christ. I need to see that again. Let's let's have the sound on, too, as I cue that back up. The guy can't even walk! It's over! you got to be kidding me! Another pounce! What we just talked about! What is he doing? He's more aggressive that than one they ever! Gave hard That's called sending a message! No more pounces if I can kill him! I've never seen that before! I have never seen him do two in a row! Two pounces from the alpha male Monty. Oh my God, what a rip off of Limbis. He's the victory. He gains the win on impact over <laughs> Eric Stevens. He's got the right to fight. Let's hear what he has to say. Oh. You cannot stop me. The alpha male will not be stopped. All you've done is delayed the inevitable. Through all of your delusions of grandeur, all you've done is added your name to the endangered species list. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Welcome to the Terradome. Uh-uh. At Victory Road, it will be welcome to the Serengeti. And I will open the door with the power. What the light just went out? Wait, what's going on here? We just heard Monty Brown, the alpha male, talking about how Raven had delayed the inevitable that he's eventually going to get Raven in the Serengeti and then the light, somebody pulled the plug. And there is Raven! As you uh, see him coming in! Enough. Is this the first time he says welcome to the Serengeti? Ooh, Raven's looking rough there at that shot. Oof. <laughs> but yeah, is this the first time he says welcome to the Serengeti? Uh, I don't know. The way he said it made it seem like it. 
I don't know. Anyway, Glenn Gilberti and Johnny Swinger went up against El Fuego and Scott Papper. So that would be, uh, I presume, Fuego, Rob Echevera getting a shot because Scott Tamar is booking. I guess this goes on fire anymore. Did they ever explain this? Trinity commentary and issued open challenge to any woman in the business. Bad guys got the win with a stuffed pedigree, which is way too dangerous. Trinity helped beat up the babyfaces afterwards. Triple X, who the announcers claimed were kicked out of the building, returned and demanded a match with America's most wanted pay per view. Daniel said this company wasn't big enough for both of them, so they won the last man standing match. Then a Vince Russo political announcement aired. I was so wanting to bury this, but it was actually really funny. Almost a Russo parody. I'm Vince Russo, he concluded, and I approve this message. <laughs> and then we get Jeff Hart and AJ Styles and Ron Killings against Team Canada. Wow, an A-match main event. Good guys ran wild early until Bobby Roode killed AJ with a full Nelson slam. Jeff got the hot tag and ran wild. Broke down to a six-way. AJ and Killings did also twin dies, and Jeff hit uh, S- Summers with a uh, twist of fate for the pin. Good match and a good show if you can get through the first segment. And no sooner should I write that than it went all to hell. Team Canada attacked the good guys. Everyone ended up brawling to the back except for Hardy and Scott Damore. Hardy laid him out, brought the ladder into the ring, and then no shit gave him the worst sent on the history off the second rung from the top. This was phenomenally stupid. Jared hit the ring. You really thought you saw the last of him? And laid out Hardy with a guitar shot. Okay. So aside from the first and last segments, a good show. And now I shall return to the promised land, women's volleyball on FSN. Poder! <laughs> oh, me. Ah, uh, there you go. TNA Impact. There were people internally, most notably Jimmy Hart, who are negative about the promotional campaign and videos not getting WWE. The video work by David Sahadi is great, trying to push the first show as the dawn of a new era, and the old world is ending in a new beginning. Only problem is, on the biggest stars of the public on the show are Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Roddy Piper. Well, none of whom are doing media to promote this. The fact that there are no good workers doesn't mean much. The other video revolves around the six-sided ring, trying to act like the competition is old and square, with the lines they like to have Madison Avenue and spend millions in advertising, but we kick butt in the ring. She wonder why Jimmy Hart doesn't want to bash WWE Vix. Because <laughs> he has interest in working for both companies simultaneously? Yes. Don't want to burn no bridges. Absolutely. Back to the torch. And we're Torch will close out the, this section. Michael Shane and Frank Kazarian have been c- confiding in other wrestlers that they have worked stiff with Jarrell Clark a few weeks ago at the request of someone in the office. Apparently, someone in the office feels that Clark has developed a big head since he was signed to a contract. A source says the reason Clark and Mikey Bass were signed to contracts is that the company felt they were worth more than $100 a match that the weekly enhancement wrestlers were getting. There was a time when, t- when TNA was paying the enhancement talent different amounts. The office has enforced a strict $100 per match policy. That has upset some of the wrestlers who are being paid more before this policy started. Kid Romeo is one wrestler who has been sounding off to anyone who will listen about the pay cut. He has taken it as a result of the enhancement talent pay policy. Wrestlers say that Romeo has, a major, has major league talent. This is just one example of how he rubs the office and other wrestlers the wrong way. Well, I mean, how about that, that story there, Bix? That Shane and Kazarian were told by the office to rough up Jarrell Clark. Huh. 
I wonder who who approved of that. You're asking me who in the off TNA office in 2004 would ask two white wrestlers to rough up a black wrestler who we thought <laughs> got a big head? Hmm, I wonder. <laughs> Was that where you were going with that, Chris? I actually wasn't even thinking about that like that, but I guess it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, let's double check. Yeah, he's in TNA at this point. Terry Taylor. Um, <laughs> let's see. Okay, Wikipedia says began working for TNA in 03. Prior to becoming head of talent relations, he also worked as a road agent trainer and interviewer. Uh, so he's over a year in at this point. So he's probably at least an agent, right? Yeah. Who else is even in the office at this time? Jarrett, Damore, anyone else? <sighs> that would be know. a wrestling type office person that might do such a thing. I don't know. Big head. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically, I mean, that uh, if that was true, I mean, good God, you know? That's something that you definitely could have went to uh, some type of labor board about or something. Uh, you know? It's wrestling. They don't realize that they need to adjust to the real world, and certainly didn't 18 years ago. Yeah, that's the truth. Speaking of Kid people Cash. who have a big head. <laughs> yeah. Kid Cash is telling friends he tried to quit the company at this recent altercation with the Naturals. As we reported previously, the Torch. Cash also claims that the company agreed to release him from his deal, but then decided to enforce his contract by insisting he return to work. He's also claiming the company told him he was going to get the pay raise he's been bickering about, but then told him they couldn't give it to him because of the incident with the Naturals. Do we remember what this... Uh, incident was this altercation. I don't. Rem- I don't remember. Should we assume that it's the type of altercation that someone would have had with the Naturals in this company in two thousand four? Oh, perhaps about certain rumors that we won't name. Maybe I don't know. Okay. It hasn't taken long for TNA wrestlers to start kissing up to Jeremy Borash. Not the word is spread that he's more involved in the booking process. It was actually funny to watch people buddy up to him at the bar after the show. Noted one observer. <laughs> And speaking of buddying up to office people at the bar after the show. Dixie Carter was not backstage last week, although most wrestlers know that a business trip to Mexico caused her to miss two recent shows. It seems to be hurting morale that she has not been in shows and is not more accessible. Why? <laughs> well, she's supposed to be the boss, Bix. Should she be at the shows? Be? <laughs> well, obviously, they, they wanted it to. Some wrestlers wanted her to. Okay. They want you know, to drink the wine with her after the show? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I'm just curious who these wrestlers are. Who knows? Kevin Nash. Well, he just now signed a new deal. Well. But, good lord. Uh, TNA. Always full of drama. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun. And we're going to All Japan Pro Wrestling. We're Kendo Kashin, who disappeared from the promotion. Well, only. World Tag Titles with Yuji Nagata, which hasn't been talked about of late, showed up in the old-school Hanover Germany tournament promoted by Christian Eckstein. Former WCW wrestlers Rick Steiner, Big Vito, Dave Taylor there as well. Kashim won their IC title from Robbie Brookside on October 16th and retained it over Eckstein on October 22nd. And we'll have more on that later in this section. So, yeah, Kendo Kashin. Uh... 
doing a European tour here, Bex. Well, so, having uh, disappeared? Yeah. Whatever that bit. When was... That was earlier in this year. Was Best of the American Super Juniors thing with ROH where he was supposed to be back with New Japan and then he wasn't? Yeah. I think it was is that or 03. So basically he's just being Kendo Kashin. Yeah, he's doing doing his thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I uh, Oh no, that's not till 05. Okay. So he's oh. presumably on the outs with All Japan here. Probably. Yeah. Um, he knows half of the tag champions with a New Japan guy. Yes. Weird. Wacky. Yeah, I once I asked um, a wrestler who's friends with him about Dragon Soldier B. He was like, I asked him that. He was like, why? What's Dragon Soldier B? What is a Dragon Soldier B? And Kashin's response was basically, why wouldn't I be Dragon Soldier B? Who is Dragon Soldier A? Don't know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, the Koei Sawama push continued just after just nine days in. As on October 20th in Yamagata, he was already working the Sawama main event. Team won Toshiro Kawada over Taka Mishinoku and Taiokea, and he got the pin over Taka with a German suplex. Which leads us to two days later, Miyagi at Miyagi Professional Sports Center in Sendai in front of 1950, which is not a good house for that building. We have Masafuchi over Akira Raijin, Abdullah the Butcher, and Abdullah the Butcher. Yes, Kikutaro, Ebison working as uh, Abdullah with Abby. Uh, over Nabuko Zarai and Gran Hamada. Tamaki Homa over Koei Sawama. Oh, oh there goes that push. Well, <laughs> uh, well he's still getting pushed in a way, though. Takamichinoku Nosawa and Mazada defeated Akira Ruckus and Taichi Shikari. So, wait, yes. we, so we've got a, a trios team of Akira Nagami, New Japan superstar of Suzuki Gun Taichi, and indie wrestling. Hall of Famer, Cloud, Ruckus, Taylor Jr. Yes. Or Claude. Why did I say Cloud? I don't know why I said Cloud. <laughs> I forgot he had an older Japan tour until I saw this, but that's definitely mm-hmm. him. Oh, yeah, absolutely is him. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, look who they were bringing in at the time. Red. You know. know. Other Northeast guys. Jamal and D'Lo Brown over Super Love Machine and Love Machine Arashi. Oh, Super Love Machine was... That's easy, Bix. Think oh, about oh, it. Oh, duh. Yes, uh, Jujirata. Jujirata. Yeah, him and Arashi were the love machines. Too bad they didn't come out to... Uh, I'm just a love machine by the miracles. That'd been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then we had Taioke and Buchanan over Toshakawada and Nobukatakaraya. And Keiji Muros, Toshikojima, and Kazuyashi defeated Tenugurichiro, Kensuke Sasaki, and Kensuke Nakajima in your main event. Wasn't Tenru technically officially part of Kinsu- Kensuke? I don't Kensuke know. office mix? That yes, you trying Kensuke to say? office at the time. He was like an associate. Okay. So he's like Hanson with Revolution. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's Tenru. That's all you gotta say. Okay. He does Tenru things. Just a love machine. So there you go. Nuge fan. This company announced that they were, that they would have their fans vote on October 13th, excuse me, November 13th, Osaka Dome lineup. And Tonoki actually he came up with the idea, but it was a Taboo Tuesday copy. Of course. Well, it hadn't been done in Japan yet. They've announced Toshiko Kawada versus Hiroshi Tenzan as the Battle of the Triple Crown Champion and G1 Climax winner. 
It was announced as an untitled match, but it may turn into a title match. Provided Kawada beats Taiokea on, on Halloween night at Sumo Hall. Also announced is Kensuke Sasaki versus Minoru Suzuki and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Shinsuke Nakamura, as well as semifinals and finals of the Young Lions tournament. It's likely that Riki Choshu against Yuji Nagata will take place in a singles match, coming off a of November 3rd Sumo Hall angle from their tag match. Well, the biggest show of the week was October 24th in Kobe, before it announced 6,000 fans. It's a 14 tag tournament where Tenzan Nakamura beat Masuyo Chono and Katsuyori Shibata in the finals. When Tenzan Pinchono gained revenge for Chono's recent chain match victory, it was billed that Kantaro Hoshino got a sponsor putting up some ridiculous Battle Royal style money. <laughs> a sponsor, you say? Kantaro Hoshino got a sponsor, Bix. I mean, I wonder who, I wonder who that could have been. And then his gimmick at the time, basically, that he's in with the sponsors. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't hard for him to come up with a sponsor. Anyway, Chono and Shibata beat Tenru and Sasaki when Shibata finally scored his pin on Tenru after a few brutal soccer kicks to the face. The man is 54 years old, and Dave's got no idea how he and Ric Flair aren't in wheelchairs by now. Kasunari Murakami interfered in the match on Tenru. After the match, Tenru said because he and Sasaki lost, he didn't want a team with Sasaki in the All Japan Tournament. <laughs> well, there you go, Bix. <laughs> the other semi saw Kawada come to New Japan for the first time in more than three years, teaming with Mitsuyuna Guy, losing to Nakamura and Tenzan as Nakamura used a standing triangle on the guy. Tenzan then challenged Kawada to the singles match, and Kawada accepted for the Osaka Dome. The show also had an IWGP Junior title match with Hito retaining and going to a no contest with Koji Kanemoto in 1924 when both men were knocked out and could beat the 10 count. Match was good. Heat was unmasked and worked most about without his mask. I'm sure the fans were shocked at who he was. There's a good chance they will rematch them at the Osaka Dome. And then we have this match. Hiroshi Tanahashi retained the U30 title, pitting the American Dragon after a Dragon Suplex. It's not usual company protocol for a junior heavyweight to get a shot at a heavyweight title. Tanahashi asked for the match because of how much respect he had for Dragon as a worker. It was also a good match. It was announced that Tanahashi set a company all-time singles title record with his 11th successful title defense. The old records when Yuji Nagata held the IWGP title in 2002-2003. All right, full results of this. Well, card. wait a second, Chris. Dave's saying it's a heavyweight title. It's not. It's the U30 Openweight Championship. Exactly. Exactly. It is an openweight title. Just like the Never titles are openweight titles. That's right. It's for under 30-year-old wrestlers, yes. Yes. How old is Danielson at this point? 24? 23. 23. Close. Jesus, how good was he when he was only 23? Oh, look how good he was at 20. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, good God. He was having those matches with Loki when he was 20. I mean, you look at it. He was 20. Loki was twenty was twenty one twenty turning about turn twenty two in two thousand and one. Amazing. All right, bet New Japan best three out of five falls. Justin Liger, Jado, Gato, and Katsushi Takamura defeated Rusuke Taguchi, Hiroki Goto, Katsuko Nakajima, and Taiji Shimori in your opener. That's a match. El Samurai and Wataru Inoue defeated Yutaka Yoshie and Yujiro. Super Love Machine and Love Machine Storm, which is Arashi, 
over Tesla Shigoto and Toriyano. Minoru Suzuki and Tiger Mask 4 beat Asama Nishimura and James Gibson. Jamie Noble. Yeah. Now that's a match. And this is then we had the four. Has to be, right? I think so. Then the President Hoshino $10 million yen offer tag tournament semifinal match. 10 million match. yen, not $10 million. <laughs> 10, 10 million yen, yes. Force of habit. Uh, Black New Japan's Chono and Shibata over Tenru and Sasaki. And then Tenzan Nakamura over Kawada and Nagai. U30 title, Tanahashi over Dragon. Yuji Nagata and BV over Black New Japan's Manawa Nakanishi and Scott Norton. IWGP Junior title, Hito went to the double knockout with Kanemoto. And then Tenzan and Nakamura won the 10 million yen over uh, Chono and Shibata. And since he didn't actually say Heat is Minoru Tanaka, for those who are not familiar with well, the era. I feel like I didn't have two picks. I thought that was a well-known fact. Uh, there might be people who don't know. I don't know. Hito. Maybe they don't know Heat. They just know <laughs> Tanaka. I'm curious Hito. if the Danielson matches on New Japan World, though. It's possible. Yeah. Oh, wait, I can't just search Danielson because they got all the AEW stuff now. Uh, oh, well, there's only two pages. Let's see. I'm curious because that seems like something you would want to post. Uh, that seems like a match that Tony should make now. Yes. Okay, so here are the Danielson New Japan matches that are on New Japan World. Uh, who's the Shadow that would be teaming with him in 03? Only the shadow knows. I mean, I'm assuming, or is that maybe just a weird translation? Because it's the shadow and American Dragon versus Goto and Wataru Inoue. Only uh, the shadow knows. Dragon and Curry Man versus Jado and Ghetto from March 04. Also March 04, Danielson and Curry Man versus Taguchi and Goto. Uh, July 04 versus Naofumi Yamamoto, aka Yoshitatsu. And, okay, this is not up, but Scott Norton and American Dragon versus Manabu Nakanishi and Tiger Mask is from December. What now? What year was Shadow again? Three. You know what time? What's the date on that? It's uh, December 9th. I'm pulling up the video. December 9th, 2003. All right, let's see what we can find here. Because I'm trying to draw a blank on that as well. I see a long-haired foreigner... May just be the shadow. Only the shadow knows. Also, Danielson has different gear here. All right, the shadow is. Oh, you'll love this. Oh. Rick, Vic... Rick Victor. Holy shit! So we have Ryan O'Reilly, Connor TNA, and Rick Victor in New Japan. Fantastic. He was a junior heavyweight. <laughs> Well, maybe not, because Godo's in that match, too, but... I mean, he's a former junior, but... What the... Where where was he from? <laughs> but, like, where was his original... He probably got hooked up to the LA Dojo. I'm sure. I'm curious to look at... Okay, wait, who does... Who does... It... Oh, he's a Calgary guy. Oh, was he in Mad Rats? Yes, he was Apocalypse he was a... in Mad Rats. He was Apocalypse. Okay, there we go. Apocalypse. Yeah, as Tokyo Joe was the original trainer, too, so that's... Well, there you go. Uh, I completely... I don't I don't know if I ever knew that that was him. I don't... I didn't remember it. Yeah. Oh, some of the matches here, so we've got... 
Josh Barnett, Nakanishi, and Nagata versus Scott Norton, uh, Togi Makabe, and Rick Victor. <laughs> Rick Victor over Matsuya Nagai. Rick Victor versus Nakanishi in a singles. Rick Victor versus Blue That's his final yeah. New Japan match, actually. They went out with a bang. Yes, losing to Blue Wolf. But anyway, enough about Rick Victor. All right, on the October 23rd Anoki Jungle Fight show in Manaus, Brazil, Masito Kakihara beat Rocky Romero with a choke in the first round. And Masuke Naruse defeated Tommy Williams, another pro wrestler from Southern California, with an armbar in the first round. Don't know the legitimacy of these, as this was an MA show, but when you got New Japan wrestlers facing guys who train at the Anoki Dojo as their foes, one would tend to be suspicious of them being shoots. The main event of the show saw Renato Babalu Sobral win a lopsided decision of Jose Pele Landy. Well, it's Jose Pele Landy Jones, I believe, is the full name. Well, there you go. Uh, Babalu! Thank you for that. Um. <laughs> yeah. So jungle. I mean, jungle fight in the Anoki affiliated era was definitely a mix of stuff. Because there's, isn't there's also a Mark. Uh, what's his face? Mark Schultz fight that I believe was supposed to be a work that turned into him getting double crossed, right? Uh, I mean, listen. If, if Kakihara and Romero are facing off, that ain't a shoot. It just ain't happening. So let me refresh yeah. my memory on what the jungle fight thing was. Uh, and jungle fight one is on someone's YouTube. Uh, okay, it's from. Oh, that's from the. There was a September card that has Mark Schultz fighting, apparently. And Tommy Williams, of course, was Funky Billy Kim. Yes. So there's that. All right, Paris and Noah. They had a big show. Drew healthy 4,000 fans, which would be close to full at Yogi Gym in Tokyo on October 22nd. For a show headlined by the juniors. Kenta and Namichi Marafuji kept the junior tag titles over Ricky Marvin and Sua in 23-24 when Kenta beat Ricky Marvin to take the fall. Sua main saw Drew Nakayama pin Bison Smith and just 408 with a cradle. In, if they need to end the big match early, should the crowd one can end any time. This wasn't the one to do it with, Dave said. Let's go over the results. Masai Inoue and Trevor Rhodes, Trevor Murdoch over Junji Zamita and Kishin Kawabata. Michael Modest, Donovan Morgan, and Loki over Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Shoshikakuchi, Makoto Hashi. The Gladiator, Mike Awesome over Daisuke Ikeda. Akira Tawe, Tsukumasano, Mohamed Yone over Kenta Kabashi, Timon Honda, and Goshi Izaki. Takeshi Riki over Doug Williams. Akito Saito, Shiro Koshinaka, and Takashi Sugura over Mr. Masao, Yoshinari Agawa, and Kuro Suzuki. Junakiyama over Bison Smith, and then Kenta and Marafuji over Suwa and Ricky Marvin. Now, two days later, the tour ended in Osaka for 5,200 fans, which is the biggest crowd as Dave can remember this company doing in that city. Even all fans heyday, they would have been a, considered a good crowd in that city. Because, yeah, that was New Japan's city. That, that was one of their big strongholds. And all Japan and Noah, they did okay, but never to the level of New Japan. So that's a Good house for them. And the reason why they loaded the show up, it was like a Budokan lineup, except for a weak challenger in a GAC title match, as Kanakabashi pinned Akatoshi Saido in 28.55 after a brain buster in a match where nobody expected Saido to have a chance, but apparently he really came through and they had a hell of a match. 
Apparently, the reporters were talking that since Kabashi's gone all year's champion, has so many great matches, that he's the big favorite for MVP. Kabashi spoke of either the Gladiator or Bison Smith as his last challenger of the year before his January 10th match against Masawa. Kabashi has talked about going to the U.S. and defending against Bison Smith. Well, that doesn't happen. Masao and Yoshinarigawa kept the GHC tag titles over Kiritawa and Takuma Sano in 22-22, with Masao pinned Sano with an Emerald Frosion. They're putting Smith and Gladiator at together as a team as the likely next challengers. Yoshinobu Kanemaru kept the junior title pinning Takamichinoku in 2049 with their brand buster. They also had a big junior six-man with Makamata, Ricky Marvin, and Sua over Kenta, Marafujin, Kodoro Suzuki with Modest Pin and Suzuki. The show probably aired on GTV Live, so we should get to see it soon. Results. Kikuchi Shiozaki over Mitsuo Mimono and Trevor Rhodes. Doug Weaves and Donovan Morgan over Timon Honda and Masashi Oyagi. Takeshi Rikio, Masawa Inoue, and Takashi Segura over Daisuke Ikeda, Muhammad Yone, and Kishikawabara. Sua, Modest, and Ricky Marvin over Marafuji, Kenta, and Kodoro. Bison and Gladiator and Low-Key over Junakayama, Junizamina, and Makoto Hashi. Well, let's talk about the size difference on the team. Bison, Smith, Gladiator, and Low-Key. Nikatamaru retained the junior title over Taka. Ogawa and Masao retained tag titles over Tawa and Sano. And Kabashi retained the GHC over Saito. How dare you say that about that foreign trios team? Because as we know, Chris, it is not the size of the fighter, but the size of the fight he brings. <laughs> I'm sorry I took a jab at Loki because he's not taking any jabs. No, he's not. He's not. But gentlemen, he is here to fight. Yeah. This ancient era Noah. Kabashi is the champion. You know, going having having strong matches still. So uh yeah. yeah. Pretty good run here in Noah. This is one of the first oh well, not first, because he's been champion for over a year, but it, this is one of the title defenses. I remember people being a little more mixed on. Well, Akito Saido was not one of those guys who was a beloved figure. I mean, there was, he always kind of had some, uh, detractors. Even when he was tag teaming with Akayama, they just didn't think he was good enough to be in that, in that push and that level. He was always an interesting choice to bring in as kind of an outsider that they pushed in the first place, style wise and everything. I'm not saying he was bad, but he definitely seemed like an odd fit, at least early on. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, I, I would have liked to have better, but I mean, I, I thought it was fine. <laughs> Ooh, excuse me. You're still in my gimmick now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. He did a good job, and that wasn't a very a, a, a very good match. But it's Kabashi in a title match, so it should be a good match. Good lord. So anyway, I mean, it's strong air for Noah. Good stuff. Lots of good matches. Strong talent. The juniors especially. I mean, look at that. Look at the junior match we talked about there. I mean, good, really, really good stuff. Zero one. Now here, Chicago remained in the coma as a press time. Apparently, for the first seventy-two hours, it was touch and go whether he make it. While he's in a coma, doctors have said they have determined he has movement and feeling, and thus do expect him to recover and not be paralyzed, which was a major fear. Now yeah. we, yeah, we've already done this week long time ago. Uh, that was, uh, show 65 is when we covered, uh, his accident. And what date was the injury? Like a day or two for a week. Very close. 
But yeah, we did that show 65. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about all this. You know, it was, he had, was it, he had some concussions, recent concussions, I believe, coming into the tour that they were doing with all the cage matches and stuff. And yeah, it was the 17th was the Takiwa match. And what was it that it seemed like he got hurt on a let taking a lariat from Takiwa, but they kept going and he took like two, like, what was it? Super power bombs or something. Yeah. Or like a super power bomb and a regular power bomb. And then he just wasn't getting up and they called for medical help. Um, you know, at the time, what you would hear, you know, if you'd get updates was that it was not good once he started to recover, that he didn't remember people and stuff. But, uh, you know, we've seen pictures and all that. Like, he's gotten to the point where he, I don't know how much his memory came back, you know, I'm assuming some, but he's, you know, he needs help getting around, but he is able to talk and move and go around and give speeches at schools and stuff. And I mean, he's, you don't hear much about him, but he's able to live his life. Yeah. Still, I mean, it's a shame what happened, though. Yeah, it really is. That guy was a hell of a talent, man. Mm. It's a shame. And Zero One was really where he started coming into his own, too. Yeah. Well, he was being spotlighted. Yeah, I mean, he was good in Mishinoku Pro and Osaka Pro. Yeah, but, but he's been spotlighted. He really, right, he never really got a shot until Zero One. And yeah. then all of a sudden, it's like, holy shit, this guy's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah. The company's official no longer member of the NWA as Simon Inoki got the NWA membership for the Japanese market for New Japan. In 2004, all these guys playing like, NWA membership means anything is really funny. Most of the Zero One titles are built as NWA titles, so they have to either vacate him or change their names. Well, well don't worry. The, the AWA is coming in. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dale Gagner. But they were using the Inoki NWA membership anyway. So this is just Simon pulling that from them, right? <sighs> no. <laughs> no. What do you mean? They had their own... I mean, that, that was their own thing with the NWA. They had I'm their own stuff. I'm pretty set. sure they were using the Inoki membership. Uh... Don't think that was the case after Unless that the first year. Unless that like, midway, is what you're saying. Because he had, I mean, no kid, he with those guys. I mean, after the first first year. But remember, Chris, who are, the, as far as we can tell, the secret owners or backers of Zero One? Dream Stage Entertainment. Who is the public face of Dream Stage Entertainment? Anoki. I guess it's possible. But... I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where we even find the list of members. Uh, do you want me to see? He said, "I don't think for this era." I don't think you, I don't think they could do that from that from that era. They might. Let's see. I know he he's tried to track them. Uh, hold on, I'm looking at a specific year by mistake. He has the row three. It says zero one Antonio Anoki. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. That's what I thought. Which is interesting because all the heat that was there. Oh, I mean. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Japanese politics in this era are the most confusing they'd ever be. Yeah. All right, hustle. Speaking of which. They ran, they ran Cork and Hall on October 21st. I sold out with 2000. Shooting angles for uh, their big Nagoya show two days later. 
The big match saw Katara Kanemura, Masato Tanaka, Tetsuya Kuroda upset. Uh, you got the Silva, Dan Bobish, and Mark Coleman. Silva did a plancha on Kanemura onto a table on the floor. Foreigners destroyed the natives of their power until Kanemura pinned Coleman with a low blow, set the central spot leading to a three-way. Main event was Tiger Jeet Singh doing his 70s act. Team with Yoji Anjo over Katsuta Fuji and Wataru Sagata. Singh in his early 60s did his old routine and pinned Fuji, who was a prize fighter and frequent tag partner of Ogawa, after hitting him with a foreign object. Ogawa came out to attack Singh, but Bobish, Coleman, and Silver ended to attack him, and Ogawa was carried away. Nobuka Takata started calling Ogawa Chicken, which is his new nickname, and made fun of him being the poor singer. He's got the hustle song on the charts. And poor wrestler. And he was right on both accounts. <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying to see if there's any version of Captain Hustle online. That would be listenable. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Hustle's a weird, weird, weird deal. Do you remember um, what the sleeve art for this looked like? Vaguely. I will send you in a second. Um, uh, yeah, which, okay, I just realized something too. So does the UFC and Endeavor own the rights to Hustle and Zero One? Um, I guess. Because when DreamStage sued RF, it was mainly overselling Zero One stuff, right? Yeah. All right, well, anyway, uh, I didn't put the results here, so I have to go find them. All right, so our results of this show, Super Virus. Any clue on that one, Bix? Um, I'm Super crazy. Just v- oh, I thought I was assuming it was Virus, but okay. And the amazing red over Leonardo Spanky and Akoto Haka. Okay. And then we had um, Russian Fifty Four. KGB. Jack, Jack Bull. <laughs> okay. In in Monsieur de Barbarossa. No idea who that is. Over Mister USA. Any guess on that one? Tony Atlas. No. Ryan Wilson, Titus, Triton, okay. and Steve Carino. Then we have Hustle Common Gold. Any guess on that one? Mm, no. And Hustle Common Silver. Any guess on that one? I don't remember either. Do, uh, Dos Carlos Jr., Abato Patron, and Seco Delico Jr. Oh. Over, <laughs> yes, over El Hateno, Hateno Uno, and Hateno Dos. Any guesses on those two? <laughs> no. Io Deli's Mark and Ray Bucadero. <laughs> sure. And then we had Kanamura, Tanaka, Kuroda over Silva, Bobish, and Coleman, and Singh, and Commander Anjo over Sakata and Fuji. And then we have the Nagoya show. The big hustle debut in Nagoya on October 23rd drew about 4,000 fans. And that was likely with substantial paper. I eat your factual gym where the results listed a claim of 7758. You can see they've cut way back on using foreign superstars. They're losing so much money on the show with Hall, Nash, and Foley. No one's been able to explain today the, the mentality behind these money-losing shows. So I can tell you the mentality. It's, it's sp- sponsored. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, some of the comedy stuff in the hustle pose has some cult appeal, but aside from Packer Cork and Hall, they can't draw enough to come close to making it work. No matter who they bring in. Most of Japanese wrestlers consider these shows spoofs on wrestling. 
But the wrestlers do them because the money is so much better and they can earn elsewhere. Ogawa pins 60-year-old Japanese legend Tiger G. Singh with the STO in 949. Ogawa juice form, trying to do the old Singh style made famous in Nookie's Prime. Ogawa made the comeback and said Singh can't bump, beat him quickly. Once again, the monster army of Tatogawa and Takata came out saying he won the match started with Ogawa and put his foot on Ogawa's chest. Commander Anjo rang the bell and counted three. Riki Choshu and Toshiak Kawada did a comedy match the crowd enjoyed with Monster C, Steve Carino, and Mansoor Barbarossa. Oh, and Bar- Bar- Barbarossa is uh, George Kang. Oh, okay. Anjo, dressed up like Umanosuke Ueda, Japanese 70s heel who was Singh's manager, beat Sakata in a hair match. Sakata's a heel in 0-1, but a face here. Anjo used powder to win. The stiffs were if Anjo lost in Yuji Shimada, who basically plays an Eric Bischoff role, would get his head shaved. But if Sakata lost, and Yuki Nakamura, the real German manager 0-1, would. However, Sakata grabbed the clippers and shaved his own head to get a baby face pop and save his boss. The other big match was Pride Fighters Dan Bobish, who can't wrestle, Gigante Silva and Mark Coleman in a three-way where the loser had to fit the monster gun. It wound up with Shimada's the heel ref, and Silva and Bobish were going to go to turn Coleman Bayface after Bobish penned him. Ryan Wilson were both shows as Mr. USA. I took off on the Hulk Hogan Mr. America character and built as a protege of Hogan doing the Axe Bomber, the boot to the face, and the leg drop. In a tag match for Mr. USA team with Shimoji Fuji over Piranha Monster Double X and Russia 54 Jack Bull, they tried to push it as a 70s US versus Russia angle. You get on me for Kintsuki, but then you call them Monster Gun. Monster Goon. Yeah. Anyway. Well, for Yuki Gun, I've heard it called that too. But anyway, all right. Um, well, you didn't say Gun there. You said good. You said went kind of halfway. Anyway, the full results of this show: Kasayashi and Leonardo Spanky, Brian Kildren, over Super Virus and Amazing Red, Mister USA and Kasuzu Fuji over Russian Fifty Four and Piranha Monster Double X, the Hustle Commons over the Hatanias. Kentaro Kanemura, Masato Tanaka, Tetsuya Kuroda won a hardcore match over Tomoki Homa, Jun Kasai, and Tomohiro Ishii. It's Tomohiro Ishii, of course. Bobish won a three-way over Silva and Coleman. Anjo over Sakata. Kawada and Choshi over Monster C and Mansoor de Barbarossa. And then Ogawa over Tyra G. Singh. I never really covered the hustle shows when I did the news. They were in Chikara territory with me. <laughs> I, I mean, I was one of those. I just, I just thought it was silly, and I just didn't feel like really covering them. And they ran all kinds of, sh- you know, shitting angles in the media and stuff. I just like, eh, it didn't appeal to me. And for the record, this was the Hustle Six Super Show, by the way. This is the early days of Hustle. Yeah, we're way ahead of, you know. Yin Li, was it was, or was the erotic terrorist Yin Ling, yeah, okay. we're before. Yeah, this is the early days of hustle, so this isn't uh that era. Yeah, we're still less than two years in, I think. Yeah, so yeah, not for me. I tell you what was for me: Big Japan Pro Wrestling. As we go to the indie scene, they ran Cork and Hall on the twenty second drew two thousand fans. Takakuba Benke and Katsumatsu Inoue over Miyawaki and Junji Tanaka. Katara Kanemura won a hardcore match over Necro Butcher. Abdullah Kobayashi and Jaki Numazawa over the Aka Rangers, Takashi Sasaki and Hentaro. Men's Tail and Shadow WX over Mike Samples and American Masada. Bad Boy Hito, when a Captain's Fall barbed wire bat street fight, 
along with Tuta Tony beat Ryuji Ito and Gosaku. And then Daisuke Sakamoto won a 200 fluorescent light tubes death match over Man Man Pondo. I forgot that Sakamoto had a little bit of a death match run. He did quite a few death matches in his day, Bix. Quite a few. I mean, God Lord, he's been in Big Japan for over 20 years. Well, there's no official BJ Strong's division yet, I guess is the thing. Well, that, been that, well, that didn't happen for years later. I know. So he did a lot of death matches. DDT. They ran Shinkiba first ring on October 20th in Tokyo for 144 fans. Senshiro Takagi, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame ballot uh, member of Senshiro Takagi. And Cherry over Gorgeous Matsuno and Kusama Jin. Don Shikodino, Kenshin, and Mosakai over Hiro, Kudo, and Tanamasaka Toba. Sayamura Hashi over Tomiko Hashimoto. Dick Togo, Nobutaka Moribe, and Shokan Zaki over Shancho Takagi, Daichi Kakamoto, and Patoshi Miwa. And then Mikami, Kurobushi, and Mastakanashi over Poison Sawada Julie, Giant, and Yusuke Inokuma in your main event. Interesting group of talent on that show. Dragon Gate. They ran the Yokohama Red Brick Warehouse on October 22nd for a 680. We have uh, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Yokozuka, Kines, and Kenichiro Arai over Man of Tokyo, Dragon Kid, Geki Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito. Florida Brothers, Mako Wasa, and Daniel Mishima over Super Shiza in Johnson, Florida. How about that? Then you got Don Fuji and Taru over Toru Washi and Shogo Takagi. Shima and Shingo Takagi over second Doi Nokutanazaki. And then a Rey de Parejas uh, tournament match. Shuji Kondo, Brother Yashi, and Takuji Shigawara over Milano Collection AT, Yoshino, and Anthony W. Mori. And then we go to Diff Ariaki on the 24th on the 1900. As we have Mochizuki and Susumu over Taru and Shingo Takagi. Kanes and second Doi over Don Fuji and Naoki Tanazaki. Turawashi and Shogo Takagi over Kenichiro Arai and Super Shiza. Milano, Yoshino, and Mori over Dragon Kid, Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito. Rey de Perez matches Mochizuki, Yokosuka, and uh, Kanes over Shima, Taru, and Shingo. Iwasa, Mishima, and Johnson, Florida over Shinji Kondo, Brother Yashi, and Takushikawa by disqualification. And then a big uh, multi man match here. Masaka Mochizuki, Susumu Yokozuka, Kanes, Taru, and Shunko Takagi over Takushi Gawara, Brother Yashi, Toro Washi, Shuji Kondo, and Shogo Takagi. So there's Dragon Game. Yeah, this Some reminds me, by the are... way, since it's relevant to wrestlers we're talking about in this era. Did you see what House of Glory announced for the next show? Um, no. Shingo versus Loki. No. Hopefully this time when they're running a American indie legend versus Japanese star uh, main event at a building they don't control, they actually run on time this time. <laughs> well, you know. And don't shortchange the main event to eight minutes. <laughs> uh, it should be interesting, you know. I mean, to see uh, how that comes off. You mean, will Loki refuse to job to a current main event level New Japan guy? Possible. All right, Michinoku Pro Wrestling. They uh, had a show at Fukushima City Gym on October 23rd in front of 496 fans. We have Michinoku Ranger Gold. Bix. Michinoku Ranger Gold is one of the Sato twins? Takuya Shugi. Oh, okay. So, uh, El Blazer. 
Yes, Imanoka Ranger Silva. Silver. Imanoka Ranger Silva. Is that Anderson or Vanderlei? <laughs> Rossi. Rossi. Yeah. Over Aesthetic Jaguar. Jet Jaguar? No, it's a Keshimina Mina. And Como Leopardo. Brett Como? Kakatora. Okay. I, also, by the way, it's spelled E S T H E T I C. So is he like an esthetician jaguar? Or Maybe. is that supposed to be a a a a a e aesthetic? I don't know. Anyway, the Michinoku Tag League, second place match. Kasuya Yawasa and Kissin Namajiro over Great Sasuke and Garuda. Well, wait, 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 wait. Seeing that we have the finals later, isn't this really the third place match? It should be. <laughs> okay. Well, no, that's no, because the winners are in the finals. Okay, they are. Okay, yeah, I didn't look close enough. Manabo Murakami over Lambo Miura. The Sato twins, Kei and Shusato over Jinsei Shizaki and Shinjutsu Nohashi, and in the Mishinoku Tag Finals, Los Soseros Japoneses, Panapa Hanai and Mango Fukuda over Kazuya Yawase and Kitsun Namajiro. So in other words, Los Soseros Japoneses were in first place, the other two teams were tied for second. Yes. And, the, and it was a tiebreaker to get to the finals. Okay. Yes. Onita Pro. They were in yes. Differariaki on October 23rd in front of 1740. We had Stanley over Hideo Kishii. Nature Boy Stanley Lane? <laughs> no, just Stanley. Long Makariada and Hiro Yoshida over Kazari and Yuki. The Achi over Kendo Toyama. Then we had a chain death match. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Kochi Ishiriki defeated Crusher Takahashi by disqualification. In a chain death match. <laughs> then we had Nobutaka Araya and Kosaku Goshigawara over Shinigami and Baiki Tanaguchi. Yes! <laughs> and then a five-on-three no-rope barbed wire street fight tornado handicap death match. Asushi Onida, Riki Fuji, and Masaru Tai over Mr. Pogo, Ichiro Yaguchi, Yasu Yaguchi, Shoji Nakamaki, and the Achi. Masaru Toy was wrestling in 2004? <laughs> it is an Anita Pro Show picks. Couldn't put Viking Taniguchi in that spot instead? <laughs> He's already booked. Uh, Ishinriki, in a chain death match in 2004, against Crusher Takahashi, that he won by DQ, on an Onita Pro card that almost sold out to Ariaki. Of course. Sure. Okay. I'm sure it was as bad as every other Asian Ricky match. Osaka Pro. Osaka Festival Gate, October 23rd, in front of 251 fans. As uh, Takara Murahama won a three way over Kenshinbo Common and Super Dolphin. Big Boss Magma and Dio Qualt over Black Buffalo and Yutaka Fukuda. Then we had the Tenazan tournament, round one matches. Billy Ken Ken over Masada Matoba. Tiger's Mask over Gama, Pero over Kabuto Beetle, and Goa over Ebison. So, Osaka Pro, a lot of the normal Osaka Pro folks here. Yeah, there's not really much we can ever add about this. But we got some here. We, I don't think we've ever talked about on this show before. The Wrestle Project. They ran Cork and Hall on October 24th in front of 1,029 fans. As they had their PPW heavyweight title tournament semifinal matches, Brody Steele over Paul Burchill, and Joey Legend over Avalanche. 
<laughs> Which one? <laughs> it ain't John Tenta. I tell you that. Um, no. Okay. Um, let me see if I can find that here. All right. So Russell A Project. Uh, let's see here. You know who the the owner of Russell A Project was, right? I'm drawing a blank. I remember. Ryuma Go. Of course. This is the International Indies Cup 2004. My Avalanche is, as I look here, Paul Dew! <laughs> See? Brody Steele. Brody Steele was a guy from the Maritimes. Okay. So there, so there you go. Alright, um, number Where one contender match for... This? Wrestling data? Because I'm not seeing yeah. any of these on Paul Birchall's cage match. Number one contender match for the PPW Junior Tyler five-way match. Teddy Hart defeated Benton, Jack Evans, Tomoya, and Takashi Saki. Sure. Then we had an Anywhere and Anything Rules match. Ryuma Go over the Highlander. Who? Not the guy from the movies. It, no, no identity given. Then we have a PPW Super Heavyweight Title Tournament Finals. Joey Legend over Brody Steele. And then our main event for the PPW Junior Heavyweight Title. Petey Williams over Alex Shelley. <laughs> okay. And yes, of course, Wrestle A Project. Um, their initials are WAP. WAP. Fucking <laughs> them off for this Wrestle A Project. No, no wet ass pussy on uh, on this show. Yes, that was the point, Chris. Um, their previous show, we had such a name as Johnny Storm was on that show fan, over Fanafunakoshi. <laughs> Yeah, Asian Cougar over Rod Rage. Uh, hey, Mitchko Omaka over Baby M, so there was some WAP on that one. Oh, uh, Petey Williams over Johnny Storm. <laughs> Chris, you don't know that. <laughs> Maybe. Petey Williams over Johnny Storm. Jack Evans over Asian Cougar. Ryuma Go, Joey Legend, and Kazuko Masazaki over Mr. Kanazuke, Ricky Fuji, and Kasaku. And Petey Williams over Jack Evans. Then they had a show in December. Let's see. Uh, oh, my God. It is great seeing these, though, as a WAP show name <laughs> on Wrestling Day. Hardcore Chain Battle, Become a Fool, Three-Way Japanese-American Stupid Battle, Koji Shinriki over Kazuko Masasaki and Madman Panda. Okay, Chris. Of, who is the better worker, Koji Shinriki or Madman Panda? <laughs> Madman Panda. Um, yeah. I would agree with that. Lord. What the... F <laughs> yeah. Is the is well, pre- or post-gambling problems for uh, for you? Uh, post. Okay. Oh, it gets better. Which, Let's uh, go to Neo. Let's go to oh, Neo. Oh, challenge. I thought you were going to talk more about WrestleAid. Okay. Uh, Neo Ladies Progress. They ran Osaka, Isaiah, Taisho Hall on October 23rd for 180 fans. We have Yuka Nakamura over Yukashina. Etskomita over Karyoniyama. And then this dream match. Azumi Yuga, Tanny Mouse, and Yuki Miyazaki over the Bix Dream Team of Mobo Nakanishi, Ofune, and Apple Oh, come on! <laughs> A match that could be used to ban any, excuse me, to block any number of people on various message boards and social media websites. <laughs> then we have the Shade Breakers, 
the bloody and fang Suzuki over Yoshiko Tamura and Haruka Matsuo. And in a three-way where Masai Genki beat Amazing Kong and Kyoko Inoue. And then we have another one. Sure. October 25th, Tawarawa Memorial Gym in front of 794 fans as Yukushina beat Teruko Kagawa, Yoshiko Tamura, and Mizuho Ishikawa over Tani Mouse and Haruka Matsuo. Could Shimbo Kam and Apple Miyuki over Ebisan and Ofune? <laughs> so were they dressed in costumes corresponding with the women? <laughs> Etsukomita over Yuka Nakamura and Kyoko Inoue and Kariyoniyama over Misai Genki and Yuki Miyazaki in your main event. Um, Momo Nakanishi and Afuni on the same team picks. And Apple Miyuki. <laughs> and Apple Miyuki. Oh my, what the? It's what your dreams are made of. Oh God, what the fuck is wrong with this promotion? I don't know. You're the one booking. Clearly, Masai Genki's body armor protected her against uh, <laughs> Amazing Kong. I guess. <laughs> Oh, me. Yeah. Is there any other WAP we should be talking about <laughs> from earlier in 2004? I'm, I'm, see, I've stayed away from WAP on Nia. <laughs> you mean when you went from WAP to Nia? <laughs> uh, I see we got we got some more uh, Phantom Funakoshi WAP. <laughs> oh, me. All right, let's go. Let's go to uh, Europe now. Make this fully international. Eurasia. EWP, which we talked about a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you fucking with some Phantom Funakoshi. <laughs> Bring a bucket and a mop for this Phantom Funakoshi. Give me everything <laughs> you got for this Phantom Funakoshi. They're in October 21st at the Schutz and Plots in Hanover, Germany. Robbie Brookside over Drew McDonald. Bindu McDonald and Stampede. Christian Eckstein over Hangman Hughes. Who? Big Vito and Kento Kashin over Olf Herman and Murat Bosphorus. Turkish Delight, Marat Bosphorus. Lash LaRue over Joe X Legend. And Thunder over Dave Taylor. Which Thunder? European Thunder, I guess. Uh, Hangman Hughes is Mike Hughes slash Cowboy Hughes from uh, Western Canada, it looks like. Or, wait, is this Western Canada or Eastern? Excuse me, Eastern Canada. <clears throat> oh, Canada. Yeah. Um, you didn't check which Thunder this is? No, I did not. Chris. And then we have All-Star Wrestling. Brian Dixon. Brian Dixon's stalwart promotion. They ran a show at the Embassy Theater on October 19th in Steg- Seg- excuse me, Skegness, Lincolnshire. We have Johnny Storm over Phil Powers. Cole Cabana over Carl Kramer. Brody Steele and PN News over the UK Pitbulls. Yeah. How about that? So they are Big Dave in bulk. Jamie Scott over Julio Torres by disqualification, and Little Legs and the Flatliner over the United Lions, Andy Simmons and Eamon O'Neill. Little Legs. <laughs> what a name. And uh, the Thunder was Darren Walsh, heavy, a.k.a. Heavy Metal Thunder and Metal Death, who I believe is a British wrestler. So, um, what a section that was, huh? Yeah, there was a lot going on there. Uh... <laughs> Momo and Afune, I still... Uh... What a match. And Apple Miyuki. I feel like you're... And Apple Miyuki, yeah. You put just all three of the uh, most (laughs) fetishized women in Josie Pro-Ress of the era. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, let's go to Mexico now. uh, We have this from Fearful Weekly, which Brian probably got it from me. 
Ovasiones reported last week that El Fantasma was being kicked out as the head of the Lucha Commission in Mexico. Apparently, the commission frowns on guys working as officials and also in-ring competitors, plus many of his matches include AAA-type shenanigans, which Brian guesses are not the types of shenanigans commissioners should be involved in. The article cited a lack of respect on his part towards commission. That'll do it. And does he actually end up off the commission? Not, not at this time, no. Okay. He, he, there was this deal with him and, and commission members that went on for a long time, but he never really got knocked off. So now, At this point yet, was the Boxy Lucha Commission still governing boxing, or the separate commission to start? Yes. Okay. Yes, they were. So when did that change actually happen? That after Boxy I, Lucha became uh, just Lucha? Uh, it may that may not, may happen after I quit covering that stuff. It's that long. I mean, it, it stayed that way for a while. And because they're basically because you see, you would see Fantasma boxing matches in Mexico with his mask on, sitting there in the, in the front. Whereas now there are three distinct commissions, I believe. There's the yeah, Boxy Lucha for Lucha. I forget what the boxing one is called, and there's the one that the UFC helped set up for MMA. Yeah. All right, uh, CMLL, Arena Coliseum on October 19th. We have uh, Meteorix and Molotov over Povora and Vaquero by disqualification. Brazo de Oro Jr., Brazo de Plata Jr., and Mr. Power over Fletcher, Lobo Vikingo, and Super Commando. And which gimmicks are Brazo de Oro Jr. and Brazo de Plata Jr. now? All right, Brazo de Plata Jr., should be a psycho clown. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, that, that that's him at this time. And Brazo de Oro Jr. Oh, I think it's La Mascara. Um, trying to think off the top of my head without looking. It is La Mascara. Yeah, it is La Mascara. Okay. And Brazo de Plata Jr. is psycho clown. Mr. Power's power. Blah, 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 blah. Cristone, Sagrado, Antonio Rivera, Rakan de Nuete, Uligan, and Violencia. Emilio Chavez Jr., Pedroff, and Scorpio Jr. over Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and Satanico. And the Blue Panther, Mr. Niebla, and Shoker over Tata Banner Jr., El Terrible, and Universo dos Mil. Then we go to Rio Mexico on the 22nd for the Friday night show. Pequeño Olimpico, Zuki, and Nutomo Dragoncito over Expertrito, Pequeño Violencia, and Perofito by disqualification. Then we have Torneo Cibernetico which was won by Olimpico in a match featuring Dr. X, Nitro, Sangre Azteca, Loco Max, Alan Stone, Tico de Metallico, Mysterioso 2, El Io de Tejano, and Leono. So it was a bunch of undercard guys in Olimpico and Olimpico won. Oh, yes. Um, then you have Elantis, Felino, and Negra Casas over Black Tiger, which is Silver King, Dr. Biden Jr. and Mephisto, Io de Paraguayo, Héctor Garza, and Ultimo Guerrero over L.A. Park, Mexico, and Shocker. And Ildo Santo retained his WWE World Toway title, beating Averno. And it was just very interesting at the time because the WWE World Toway title was not defended much in Arena Mexico. No. Any WWE titles in this era. Very rare. And are, were we in a TV gap at this point? Oh, no. Oh, no. We were fairly up to date on Galavision at this time? They're, still, they're airing at this time, yeah. In fact, I just dubbed this a DVD the other day. And it was up to date, too? Because uh, I remember there were issues in 03, but I don't remember when all that got taken care of. Uh, this show aired on uh, it aired on a two, almost a two-month delay. Okay, so we're 
Okay, so we would have been watching in, watching the Agavillusion at the time, but it's not up to date, up to date. No, it's Aaron on delay. Okay. This is uh, one of the big things was the Olympics had to have really put a delay on stuff. Yeah. And some of that stuff never even aired here. Right. So. Like, um, well, no, some of the Olympic stuff didn't air in Mexico either, like the Santo Perito match. Yeah. It ended up being sold as bootleg VHS outside of the arena. Yeah. But it was the it was the pro shot version. It was not a camcorder tape. Yeah, yeah. Someone someone in the office just leaked it out, which that was fun, yeah. and we only had that because Will Schneider went on a trip to Mexico and bought it. Yep. Which he's gone by the Mexico this year, time or two. Yeah. IWRG Got a couple of shows already knock upon on the twenty first. A beast mine went up against Haru Garado Jr. Kung Fu Jr., Matrix and Pantera against Andy Barro, Cerebro Negro, and Veneno. And then Felino, Tinebles Jr., and Viano Tercero went up against Black Tiger, Negro Casas, and El Tejano. The I like Andy Barro just working random mid-card IWRG matches. He did it a lot in this era. Then on the 24th, the Sunday show, Aguilar Oriental, Pedrito over Gato Felix and Rey Estrendo. Ricky Boy and Starter Boy over Carta Bravo Jr. and Macho Dos. Coco Blanco, Coco Rojo, Coco Verde, Los Payasos Triclor over Seaborg or Omega and Mosca. Not Angela Mosca. Sorebo Negro, Seaborg. Yes. Yes. And Oficial over Kung Fu Jr., Matrix, and Mickey Segura, Suicida. In their main event, Black Tiger, Silver King, teaming up with his old friend, El Tejano and Io de Tejano. Defeat Brasa de Plata, Fabian El Gitano, and Zumbi 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 Dotsky. Zumbido. Hmm. Not a bad looking show or two there. Monterey, the Battle of Monterey on October 24th. And we have all three buildings represented. Oh. Arena Coliseo Monterey starts off on October 24th. We have Galactar, Pomiero Espacial, number two, and Ray Aguila over Cowboy Jr., Guerrero Grigo, and Zulu. Black Dragon, Katakan Lee, and Red Flamer, and the Beast beat an unknown group of people. <laughs> then we have Corazon de Barrio and Corazon Latino over Sexy Francis and Sexy Cesis. Estrella Dorada Jr., Goto Volador, and Pocho Jr., over Guerrero Negro, Stuka Jr., and Denim 2 by disqualification. Nikki Rocks over Persephone by disqualification. And then Axel, Humberto Garza Jr., and Mil Mascaras. Over Black Shadow number three, the third version. Clone de Ray Mendoza, because he looks like Ray Mendoza, but he's not Viano. And Conan Plus. And of course, since he's mentioned here, uh, Humberto Garza Sr. passed away um, before we uh, recorded the show here a couple of days before we did our show. 85 years old. One of the great luchadors of his era. Basically, the, the guy that invented the Tope Suicida. You know, father of Humberto Jr., Eto Garza, of course. Uh, I know guys, uh, you know, um, and well, you forgot the other son, too. Wait, well, El Ninja is also a son. Or, or no, El Ninja, Ninja was Umberto Jr. Or was Ninja Umberto Jr.? I forget. No, El Ninja is another son, yes. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about him, yes. And then, yes, because Ego del Ninja is Carrillo. Yes. And yeah, just a great family of, uh, of wrestlers that he, uh, sired and, uh, definitely a legend. So, uh, 85 years old. Rest in peace. Well, and on how Garza was Ultimo Ninja too. That's correct. And uh, you know, he's he's the son of a non wrestling sibling, though, right? Uh, yes. Arena Solidarity died. 
on October 24th. La Furia and Super Combo. Is that what you get in like Wendy's, a Super Combo? No, isn't Over, that a thing you get in Street Fighter? Maybe. Over Arcana de la Muerte, not the one from CMLL, obviously, and Morbius. Mercurio in Sky over Corazon Addicto and Rehechicero. I love... The, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, I love Corazon Addicto, but go ahead. Which is... This is Hechicero that works in CMLL now, when he's young. Astro Negro, Astro Negro Jr. in Turbina over Coco Rayado, Coco Rosa, and Milma Valles. Yamarada, Maniaco, and Sergio Romo Jr. over Herodes, Mystico, and Silver Star. Mongo Chino, Monte Negro Jr., and Peroff. Over Antifaz del Norte, Deluvio Negro Dos, and Mascara Sagrada. And then our main event, Blue Panther and Io de Santo over El Dandi and Super Parca. Hmm. And then we have Ignacio Nuevo Leon. Arquero and Voodoo over Chacal and Mitsunori. Pantro Jr. and Tigro Jr. over Arsenal and Warrior. Then we had a um, match here, which is a Suicidas match. Trio Suicidas. So how does this even work, though? Because it's guys... <laughs> okay, wait, 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 let me... Because it's... Well, I'm about to tell you. Let I'm me, trying, because I'm looking at the order of the matches and who's in them. Well, and let me I tell can't you. figure it out. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, so yes. So Bengale, Hitano de Norte, and Tiger War defeated Katz, Chuyavedo, and Fletcher Azul. I get what you're saying, because then it leads to Bengale over Fletcher Azul. Bengali over Chuyavedo, and then Fletcher Azul over Chuyavedo. So what happened to Cats? Maybe Cats and Bengali got mixed up somehow in the results. I, I that's don't. my best guess that they got flipped because otherwise, yeah, I don't, I don't see how you make sense of that. Then we have a, a Relevas Increíbles, Caifan Raquero number two, Dr. Wagner Jr. and Halloween over Damian CCC, Extreme Tiger, and Nicho El Millionario. Or excuse me, Tigre Universitario, sorry. And their main event was Io de Paraguayo over Nicho El Millionario. So, notice all none of these shows have the AAA flavor to them. All three, one's really independent, and then the other two have CMLL guys. So, no AAA involvement on these three shows. Interesting. Yeah, I noticed that too. All right, Tijuana. They had a big step show on October 22nd, Tijuana, from Promotionis Hego, which used the AAA talent. Talk about overbooking and burnout steps. The opener was a six-man where the losing captain, Nemesis, was amassed. Second match saw the losing captain, Luminoso, lose his hair. He's a masked guy, so they took his mask off, hit his face, shaved his head, put his mask back on. The fifth match was a Caballero-Coach-Caballero match where Intocable beat Super Kendo by disqualification. Then Oriental beat King Azteca in a Mascara-Coach-Caballero match. Then they had a woman-to-man mini trios match where the losing team's woman would get her head shaved. Where Estrellita got her head shaved, and the main event when a losing captain X Fly got his head shaved. <laughs> yes. So we had the Nemesis lost his mask in a match with Commando, Morphosis, Big Cobra, Mexican, and Onyx was in. Luminoso lost his hair in a match with Shamu, Anamaniac, Espachino, Rocker, and Gerardo Rojo win. Lady Apache beat Fabi Apache by DQ in a Reina de Reina's match. Shawty Manson in El Brazo over in Tocable Super Kendo where Leva Suicidas. We're in Tocable Super Kendo for his hair by DQ. Oriental over King Azteca for his hair. Alabrije. Mr. Ite lost in a match where Alabrije, Monster, Shuki, Tiffany, and Kuji was in. And X-Fly lost his with Rey Mysterio Sr., Damian Cesar States, Halloween, Abiso Negro, and Psychosis. 
Wait, so that was hey, lose hair or something too? No, it just it did the results wrong. I don't know. Okay. I'm confused. There's going to be a quiz on this later. I hope not. It's confusing the hell out of me. Is there going to be a question about Mike Lano? I always did well at those <laughs> Mitchell's quizzes. <laughs> Possibly. All right. Well, on that note, that's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So that's some great 2004 commercials. We'll pivot to the halftime seven of the show. Where we'll begin talking about our Patreon. And then we'll talk about... Uh, our plugs and everything else. And then we'll come back and go to the indie scene where we have uh, lots of NWA stuff to start off with. Romeo Bliss doing an interview after getting kicked off Survivor. What the hell's going on with New Jack? Jim Cornette calls in a scene in the convention. I've never been suffering a bunch of shows in one week. A wild Jerry Lawler, Corey Macklin story, and so much more after the break. Gilmore Girls is brought to you in part by McDonald's. This is where I get my Dave magic going. Shh, shh, okay. Oh, one Best Buy buck. You get in that zone and you really start to feel it. This mantra, this really like good kind of... One Best Buy buck. One Best Buy buck. I won a pony, David. All right. That's cool. I mean, I know it, David. I didn't win a pony. I won one Best Buy buck. The Monopoly best chance game at McDonald's is back. Get large fries or chicken select and you win. Guaranteed. I'm loving it. You should be happy. You got magic, David. Robert Zemeckis. And Tom Hanks. Come together once more to bring you a new vision in how movies are made. Starts Wednesday, November 10th. Fashion show Barbie, you're on at five. Oh yeah, that is so you. Light up shirt or gown? Shirt, definitely the shirt. Showtime! I'm on my way. Go, you're on! Cool, that's really Barbie. What's next? Gown. Fashion show doll come in two outfits, each sold separately. Cool, fun, fashion, Barbie today. By the way, Frank, your mother-in-law is coming to visit over the weekend. Hmm, I can hardly wait. Chad Michael Murray in leather. I'd like to return this shirt. And lace. Fresh One Tree Hill, tonight on the WB. On the WB Wednesday. I saw someone who can move like I can. A stranger with a secret. How did you do that? Pushes Clark to the limit. I'll be a thousand miles away before you can even blink. I can blink pretty fast. The Flash. Fresh Smallville on the WB Wednesday. Trick and Dunky on another whirlwind adventure. Coming to DVD Friday, November 5th. It's the number one comedy of all time. Wow. It's the biggest film of the year. And it's the one movie you gotta own. You know what I'm saying? Huh? 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 Stop it. Oh, no! No! Quadro! Hit it! And now Shrek 2 has an all-new surprise ending made just for the DVD. Welcome to Far, Far Away Idol. Bring it down! 
So buy the Shrek 2 DVD on Friday, November 5th and be the first to vote for your favorite character. Acme's finally met its match. New Neutrogena Advanced Solutions Acne System. Clinically proven to help clear visible acne and as the skin camera shows, stop the acne forming under your skin. It's everything you need for clearer skin. Advanced Solutions. Neutrogena. So what do you think, sweetie? See-through or red? Forget the freezer. Get to Chili's for the new Mix and Match Grill. Salmon, steak, chicken, shrimp, or baby back ribs. Your choice of two, all on one plate. Come on, live a little. Bad hair day? Cover it up. No makeup? No problem. Your smile? Imagine a dental plan that never has a bad day. Crest White Strips Premium. Wider teeth after just three days. Full results in seven. So instead of covering up your smile, keep it uncovered. Crest White Strips Premium. Part of the Crest Dental Plan for healthy, beautiful smiles for life. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 2004 commercials as we pivot to the halftime seven of the show. Where we'll begin talking about the Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we record a little bit more since the last time we did this. And uh, yeah, this is a show, folks, you definitely need to hear as we're just about at Survivor Series as we stop recording. And um, we get the whole background of, uh, of how everything came to be through Dave Meltzer's eyes. And. Uh, through Bret Hart's book and wrestling with shadows. So we got a lot of references to go by and, uh, it's crazy stuff. I mean, you get, you get to, uh, you get to hear from Brett's own mouth and Brett's wife, Julie and everything about what was going on at that time. And, uh, it's pretty crazy. And we get him on off the record with Michael Landsberg the day before. And, just a, a lot going on. And, um, not to mention that stuff we've already talked about, down from the previous recording. So yeah, this is uh, already a hell of a show. And like I said, we ain't even got to Survivor Series yet. So you definitely want to get in on this $5 a month. Get you access to this show that we've got here. The two that's going to follow for, because we're doing the rest of the year and all those shows that we've already done. There are now six full years of the Patreon. So you got a lot of damn shows on there for $5 a month. And it's going to take you more than a month, so unless you're a complete maniac. But um, definitely be a part of this. So $5, patreon.com slash twin sheets. You don't want to miss it, believe me. I mean, it's just, this is great stuff. 25 years, which is crazy in its own right. So uh, patreon.com slash twin sheets, $5 a month, gets you access to that. Dollar a month, gets you access to the Discord, and thanks in the summit, which we'll do in just a minute. $25, I should pick a show for the week, as Brian Peterson has done for this show. If you want to do that, try to have two shows in mind, just in case that the original show you want you want to do isn't able to be covered for various reasons, i.e. it's something we may have done already, or um, you know, it could be something that uh, somebody else had picked on the calendar. Various reasons why we might, might not be able to do that show. So uh, get with us. Ask us and let us know why you want to do the show, and we'll uh, make sure that you uh, you get your show done. And like I said, if you can't, then have another one in your mind, and we'll try to knock that out. So follow the protocol on the Patreon website to get that information to us. 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, 
Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline, all that good stuff, you should be able to get taken care of. $50 I'll just send for a segment of the show if you want to, 100 for the whole show if you want to. You don't have to. It's just part of the perks of being a patron. And even you know, even though uh, Patreon has uh, changed, is everything we have still we have not changed our donation levels, and don't plan on it. So it would be the same. And we do have anniversary billing, of course, as we mentioned earlier. And uh, of course, annual is fifty forty a year. You save sixteen percent that way if you want to go that direction. So there's all kinds of little different things you can do with our Patreon. So Patreon.com/slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? I forgot to go through them, so give me one second. I was pulling it up as I remembered as you were going through the spiel. <laughs> always prepared here, folks. We're always prepared. For I mean, for I always everything. do that part. It just it, it somehow slipped my mind as we were doing this. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm just reminding myself. Who did we... End on last week. It, it well, was Ross Fra- Ross Fraser, right? Yeah, he was mentioned. Yes. All right. So we would like to thank Nathan Avara. Thanks, Nathan. Robert. Thanks, Robert. Steve Shepard. Thanks, Steve. And uh, Kaze Ninare. Thank you, uh, Kaze Ninare. Minoru Suzuki's theme song is a uh, a patron. How about that? Yes, and Who actually, an animate objects can enjoy between the sheets. Yeah, and actually, they were in the um, Discord earlier, and uh, talking about show. You know, now that they're a new patron, we're catching up on certain shows, and we're listening to Letters to Dave, Volume Six, and said to me because I was catching up with some Discord stuff. Now, how did you not catch that John Cashmere was Johnny Cashmere? Yeah, well. Just not the, you know, just not thinking about it at the time, but yeah, 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 there, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, now I'm curious to see what that letter was, but um, not the only thing going on in the Discord. I'm, I'm trying to check now. Has Ian been here since he was almost brutally attacked by Chris Jericho and saved by Jerry Lynn? Yes, who then got brutally attacked. Oh, with that. A tombstone pile driver, <laughs> where he just, where Chris Jericho just laid him down softly on the on the entranceway, which I, kept him safe. I thought it didn't look as bad as some people were saying. Oh, it did. <laughs> I thought it was very obvious he was protecting him, but I thought, oh, and which he should have, but still, it 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 it, it looks better than Kane on Linda McMahon is kind of what I'm saying. Well, Jesus Christ, I would hope so, <laughs> because I mean, good lord, that was Linda McMahon. But yeah, I mean, Jerry Lynn does have his bad neck. But still, I mean, yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> oof. <laughs> oh boy! But, I mean, it, what? I found the letter. <laughs> yeah. So let's go to the October twenty seventh, ninety seven Observer in Patreon episode fifteen. <laughs> this is, I think, also one of our most despised letters that we read through on the Letters to Dave series. This is ridiculous. The September 22nd issue spent four and a half pages on the death of Fritz von Erich. What the hell am I paying for? I can understand half a page, even a page, but four and a half pages? It's time to speak up. I ignored the issue with the story about some dead roller derby lady. This was the final straw. I get this newsletter because it's the best. I tried all the others and it's the best. 
But if you're going to keep this up every time somebody dies, you're going to lose readers. Nobody cares about a lengthy story surrounding a wrestler's death. If we don't already know about their career, after they die isn't the time to start educating us. Simply tell us how the guy died, what names he wrestled under, and a few quick facts about his career. It's hypocritical what? to go any deeper, and I'm not paying for that crap much longer. Signed, John Cashmer, Burlington, New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. And then uh, the following week, week, that following week, there was a letter rebutting it that uh, then Dave replied to from Alan Barry of Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, well, that's outstanding. Yes. Nobody gets wrestling like that guy. No, but what did Dave say in the rebuttal? Um. Okay, I'm trying to remember. Well, I'm refreshing my memory on what Al said. Uh, not intended for the average wrestling fan. Talking about past obituaries. What's the market for the Observer versus some of the newsstand magazines? And brought up Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Oh, he had said something about people shouldn't have access to the, certain people shouldn't have access to the Observer. Um, yeah, Dave's response doesn't actually get really into what uh, the future Johnny Cashmere said. Okay, well there you go. Yes. Oh, also. Um, a prolific internet uh, commenter and message board person and between the each patron, uh, Pete F3, he uh, sharing a YouTube video in the Discord of a Wellington Wilkins Jr. WWF TV job said he's pretty sure that Wee Willie Wilkins is Wellington Wilkins. I, I, I don't... Okay, I mean, they seem like they're different skin colors to me. <laughs> so... That would be a hell of a deal if that's the case. <laughs> so, okay. But anyway. Yes. Patreon.com slash between sheets. Yes. Yeah, I said he was I said that was the last one. Alright. So IWTV picks, what's going on there this week? Alright. Oh, there's a lot streaming. I know. You're shocked. Um, before I get to the live streams, I will note that uh the Action Wrestling Under the Light show, which was not live-streamed, is now available on demand. I have not checked it out yet. But it does feature, uh, in what I believe is the main event, Alex Shelley versus Jaden Newman, which is quite the interesting match on paper. Among other matches, also features Al Alan Angels versus Bobby Flacco, uh, Adam Priest and Matt Sells versus The Skulk, and more. As far as live-streams coming up this week... Uh, GCW Settlement Series again on a Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm, I don't, again, I don't know if they've announced anything yet for this one. I'm assuming since it's just a random Tuesday night, it's going to be at the H2O Wrestling Center again, because why not? So there's that. Also at the H2O Wrestling Center on Thursday, the October 27th at 8 p.m., Sean Henderson presents Colby Carino's Painted Black for a show that includes, uh, the Kirks versus Colby Carino and his aunt, Allison Danger. Mm -hmm. Ugly Ducklings versus The Rep. Matt Tremont versus Cole Radrick in a crash and burn death match. I'm assuming that's a reference to uh, Cole's uh, demolition derby expertise and not any kind of specific new type of death match. Jimmy, Lor Lo bleh, Jimmy Lloyd versus George South. Uh, Jaden Newman versus Marcus Mathers. Goes, loser goes back in time. And more. So, 
fairly loaded uh, Sean Henderson Presents show there. And speaking of friends of the show, we got uh, Black Label Pro from Mikey Blanton on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Grapplers from the Black Label Pro Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh... Well, it is Halloween-themed, I guess. Well, yes. Oh, yeah, it's Halloween week. Spooky. Um, well, sort of. It's good after, right after this. The, the following Monday is. But anyway, uh, Calvin Tankman defending the Black Label Pro title against Alec Price. Joshua Bishop defending the Midwest title against Cole Radrick in a Rip City Rules match. Brogan Finley versus Billy Starks. Well... Uh, no comment. Adam Priest versus Lee Moriarty, which, given that he's in his weird limbo in AEW, good to see Lee working more indies again. Uh, Sawyer Wreck versus Shaz McKenzie. Jake Something versus Dan the Dead. That's an interesting choice of two wrestlers to put against each other. Uh, Myron Reed versus Casey Navarro, and more, including, of course, the Bang Bros in action. All right, anything else? Oh, I, I thought you were going to react to that because you usually seem to react to the Bang Bros. We thought, I mean, it seemed they get come up every week, so I mean. Well, <laughs> yeah, they're working for a lot of IWTV promotions now. Um, also on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, Mouse's Wrestling Adventures presents Fright Night 4, which in, I don't know if that's at the Black Label Pro venue or nearby or whatever, but includes Alec Price versus Billy Starks and more. Uh, Limitless has a show on Saturday at 7.30 that includes Anthony Green versus Big Beef Gnarls Garvin and more. Oh, and actually, I thought I skimmed all the way, but I didn't. The and more includes the Shook Crew versus the Work Horseman and Lufisto versus Becca and some interesting-looking matches. Uh, oh, what's a weekend without an eye? He's CW No Holds Barred show or two. They've got Saturday at 8. Jesus, that's a lot of shows on Monday. Uh, Eric Ryan versus Brandon Kirk, Casey Kirk, Matt Tremont, and more. AC Mack is defending his title on that show, too. Uh, H2O has their own show on Sunday at 8. Down by Blood with Colby Carino defending the title against Austin Luke and more. And I guess the really the biggest show of the weekend, though, is from uh, the folks on the West Coast. Let me see. Is this in... Okay, yeah, this is in uh, Portland. From Prestige with uh, Roseland 4, Wake the Dead. A very loaded lineup that includes Alex and Shelley defending their title against Yamato, Fiona Perazzo versus Jungle Kiona, Kevin Blackwood versus SP Kento, American Wolves versus Our Dear Friends Violence is Forever, Black Taurus versus Sonico, uh, Drexel in a Rose City deathmatch against Danger Aaron from Jackass, I believe, right? Yes. Nick Wayne versus Alan Angel, Sumi Sakai versus Killer Kelly. Commander versus La Estrella, and a uh, IWTV tag tournament first round match between C4 and the West Coast Wrecking Crew. So very loaded show there from Prestige. So that's worth checking out for sure. And of course, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay subscribed. So that is independentwrestling.tv code BTSPOD. All right, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access. America's number one virtual private network. Even if you're using incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. 
Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps, browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over the plans we offer, shall we? Got a monthly plan of eleven ninety-five a month. A yearly plan of three dollars and thirty-three cents a month, or thirty-nine ninety-five a year. Or the, the number one plan, the Primo plan. You get three years plus four free months at a dollar eighty a month, or seventy-nine dollars for three years. What a bargain! So much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take Private Internet Access 30-Day Risk-Free Challenge. Try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So, how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 19. 1991, where we'll have uh, quite a few things to talk about. We'll have uh, some WS stuff to talk about. Not a busy week, but interesting stuff as Ric Flair's uh, main eventing house shows. And we'll talk about the business going on there and some other things. We got a lot of stuff on the indie seed, especially in the Northeast. Herb Abrams. We got some Herb Abrams stuff to talk about. Gordon Scazzari and some stuff to talk about him. Global Wrestling Federation going from rags to riches in just a matter of days. We'll talk about that. Um, and other stuff, too, such as a new wrestling promotion, taping TV in Greenville, South Carolina, involving Jim Cornette that you might know. Some Memphis stuff, including Billy Joe Travis's mysterious black wrestler coming out to Jerry Lawler. Then we got uh, some Japan stuff. SWS has got some shows going on. And in World Championship Wrestling, we have Halloween Havoc 91, the Chamber of Horrors, and the return of Paulie Dangerously to WCW, and the debut of Ravishing Rit Rude, the Halloween Phantom, and all kinds of other stuff. Quite the show. Next week on Between the Sheets. And yes, we do have a guest lined up, but still not going to announce it yet. You'll find out at the beginning of the show. So it uh, should be quite the show next week. On between the sheets. All right. Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K R I S Z E L N E R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, you got your Patreon. I know that's going on. So go ahead and plug that deal and anything else you got. Yeah. And there's some other stuff maybe we'll talk about next week. But yeah, patreon.com slash Bix Archive. Latest stuff to go up is some older programs, at least as of this recording. There's some other stuff I'm. Well, I'm sure I'll be putting up soon, but uh, mainly like some 60s WWF programs that I've been putting up, um, including from Abe Ford's first anniversary as promoter, where the program focuses much more on how great Abe Ford is after his one year as promoter than it does uh, the wrestling on the show. You want to tell people where Abe Ford promoted at? Oh, in Boston. Sorry. He was the Boston Garden promoter. Yes. 
Yes, and he would later be, in the words of Dave Meltzer, during the early part of the expansion, aced out. He was aced out, as far as I know, in the late 70s. Or was it... Well, okay, I'm forgetting I don't, the context. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he was... Because I never saw his name mentioned in the 80s. So, I mean, he might have still been, been a guy, but it's kind of... I mean, Phil Zacco's always named. Phil Zacco's always named. Um... John Stanley is always named for shows. He Ace Freeman, um, Monsoon is named, but he split Jersey with other people. So you would get some of these guys that they would get. Or, um, and of course, unnamed Skolan did Upstate New York. Um, Vince did Maine, and uh, like Kate Cod. Okay, I remembered it wrong. Okay. I see. I I see what it, I misremembered from uh, the first ever Patreon show we did, coming from the March '84 Observer, talking about the expansion. Um, Southwest went to the East Coast with a four-match lineup from February first to third. I know they drew. Hey, that just blah blah. How they drew. Um, Dave Bernardino was one of the lucky WWF promoters. Vince aced out, brought Southwest in. And they wanted to make a go of it, but fans weren't cooperative. I was told Abe Ford, who many may recall was the first promoter I know of that the McMahons dusted way back in 74 in Boston when Vince Jr. was out of college, was at the show ready to bring Southwest to Boston. But when he saw their drawing power, he thought better of it. Okay, so that's what it was. He was, uh, he was referenced with other people who were, quote-unquote, aced out as part of the expansion. See, I thought it was later than that. So, because hey, I've seen A4 listed for Boston Garden promoting for WWF in like '77. So, I mean, it's the it's the 1984 Observer, maybe. Yeah, Dave has the years the year wrong. Yeah, but, it's possible. But yes, the, but anyway, yeah, the focus of the program is much more how great A4 is for his one year promoting the Boston Garden. <laughs> A little weird. Yeah. And uh, very successful. May have an influx of interesting stuff from a special source soon. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, patreon.com slash pixarchive, $5 a month. Internal documents, uh, pro old programs, promotional photos. All depends on different circumstances. But uh, I make sure I curate everything. I'm not just going to throw up just random legal bullshit there. You know, stuff may come from FOIA requests or court records or whatever for some of it. But it's I'm I'm curating the actual interesting stuff as much as possible. So, patreon.com slash pixarchive. Alright, uh, since we've been doing this the past couple of weeks, let's do it again. Tales from the Territories. Did you watch it? I have not watched the AWA episode yet. Uh, I did, and I thought it was fun. Um, I mean, you get some of the familiar stories, but that's to be expected on these shows. If you've watched shoot interviews, you know, like I have, and if you, most of you probably have. Um, it was funny to watch uh, all of them call Ken Patera out on his bullshit about throwing the rock, and he was, <laughs> he was kind of, he was kind of, you know, playing with them. But you know, you could see where he knew that he was, he, you know, he was fucking around. I mean, he definitely threw the rock. It's like, <laughs> was it? I don't know if it was Deuce or somebody said. Uh, you're the, the strongest man in the world, and this 18-year-old puny kid's the one that threw the rock through the window. <laughs> and 
it was funny, but um, that was, that was the thing that I've always said too. It's like it would be one thing under any other circumstances, but you want us to believe that someone other than the than the world famous elite strongman in the vicinity threw the giant boulder through the window, thirty pound rock. <laughs> Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, so you get that, and you get the visual aid to that story where you have the actors playing the participants. Yes, and uh, that's fun. Um, Greg Gagne tells the Mad Davishan playing story, which is always a hoot, but it's really in depth. And you get Jim Brunzel, who doesn't usually, I mean, it's not part of this all the time. It's always Greg, but Jim Brunzel's one of the reasons why that happened. <laughs> so I mean. Because some of the stuff he gave him, and you also get to hear the origin of Doctor Jim. Doctor Jim. Yes, I'm not going to spoil it for you, so you ain't seen it. Okay. But uh, thank Doctor Dusty Williams, but Jim Brunzel as Doctor Dusty Williams. Um, okay. So you have that. Plus, you have uh, I mean, DDP and Medusa talking about how the AWA got them in the business, and you know how indebted they are to Vern. And just and, and a lot of stories. There's a story about Bobby Heenan uh, being heated. Of course, Greg tells a story about you know the shooting incident in Chicago. And I mean, there's there's, there's some really fun stories on there. Greg Greg, t- Greg tells some great stories, and um, yeah, it's really fun. So everybody go check that out. And next week is going to be Florida with mm-hmm. Brian Blair, Kevin Sullivan, Bob Roop, and. Um, I'm blanking on the other one that's on there, but uh, yeah, that should be quite the show. <laughs> so uh, yeah, everybody watch these. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you hear a lot of stuff that you you've heard before, but it's a, a cool setting, and you get like the the little visuals of the actors playing playing the participants and stuff. So uh, really fun show. So, yes, there you go. I, T- now, territories. Now I have a question. Since we have a Ganya talking. Does Vern's first match come up, and does Greg no. incorrectly refer to Al Cashy as Abe King Kong Cashew? No. Okay. No. No. Do you understand where I'm going with that? Because for some yeah, reason, I mean, whenever they, they, they would tell that story, they would always do that. No, no. In fact, I mean, really, you don't get a whole lot of old stuff. Okay. Yeah. And you get the story about Vince trying to buy the company. So Greg tells that and all that other stuff. So and Hulk, Hulk leaving. So you'll get that as well. But I mean, I mean, it's it's some fun stuff on the show. So uh, everybody check that out on Vice TV. Yes. Um, also, we should probably shout out. I've only dug a little bit into this yet, but uh, thank you to uh, Jack and Carnassia with the Laps fan for. Uh, you know, shouting out between the sheets on the uh, Black Saturday episodes that they're doing. Yes, which um, you've listened to some of that. I haven't yet, but, uh, you know, Jack got a hold of some stuff that nobody else has got a hold of before. And uh, the court records from the lawsuit in Fulton County. So, uh, yeah, that should be a hell of a show. So uh, interested in hearing that. So, well, there yeah, we they're like two parts in, which I think is like over 11 hours or 12 hours so far. And I know there's more coming and I think I've listened to maybe an hour and a half. So, yeah. So yeah, the friends of the show, hopefully we'll get Jack back on the future. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very interesting topic to talk about. Absolutely. 
Yeah, they even played a bow on our Black Saturday episode telling the story about Freddie Miller um, and his job carrying the uh, bicycle tape reels and how every <laughs> week he would drop them and completely unravel them. And it basically became a rib to see how far the tape would unravel each time. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm glad that our show was able to assist their show in that way. Absolutely. They got a great, great show there. And, yes. Uh, really and I'm, not a, I'm not up to it yet, but I know from talking to Jack that uh, my uh, research about the WWF TBS TV ratings also gets brought up. So Jack does his research. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. So uh, props to them, as always, for, for their uh, great stuff. All right. Well. That's it for this section. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. We got some NWA news to lead off the indie section here. As Ernie Todd of Winnipeg was voted as a new president of the NWA at their convention last weekend, Winnipeg. Mike Porter of Tennessee was named the vice president and title coordinator. And Richard Arpin, the former president, also a VP and secretary. Bill Barron's another former president, is VP and treasurer. And the other member of the board is Ed Schumann as VP of Merchandise. Well, all I got to say about this is, um, as we record this, Bill Barron is having his 6th, 7th birthday. Happy birthday, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) That's about all I got to say about this. Mike Porter. Oh, my God. What what did he have merchandise of the 2004 NWA in the first place? (laughs) For Schumann. Who knows? NWA North Jersey ran a show, Bix, in Passaic, New Jersey on October 24th. So this is, you know, more? I guess. What a show this is. All right, we start off with a three-way for the NWA North Jersey women's title as Cindy Rogers beat Bobcat and Talia. Of course, Talia beat Velvet Sky. Cindy Rogers had another name, too, right? I think she's just Cindy Rogers, but Talia was Velvet Sky, a young Velvet Sky here. Uh, Cindy Rogers was also Venom. See, I want to know that shit. The only Venom I know is Joey Abs. Well, and V-N-U-M Venom, too. Yeah. Uh, Three-way for the NWA North Jersey TV title is Balls Mahoney won the title from Frankie Stars and Jason. (laughs) Who would put a title on Frankie Stars? How about Jason wrestling in 2004? Have I told the Frankie Starr story on this show before? I don't remember if you have or not. Do you know where I'm going with this? No, I don't. That one that Frank Goodman sent him with my to my house with tickets. Oh, okay. So I don't remember that now. I just didn't know who he, it was. He, he looked, uh, he was not in the best way at the time. And I'll just leave it. Okay. Well, now I get that story. Okay. He was scratching himself a lot. NWA North Jersey hardcore title. Danny Ams defeated Lowlife Louis Ramos to win the title. In the North Jersey tag title match is Harry Acropolis and Casey Koresh <laughs> <laughs> defeated Warpath and Apache to win the titles. And then our main event for the NWA North Jersey heavyweight title, Chris Candido defeated Crazy Ivan to become the new champion. Oh, so every title changes hands, too. <laughs> Kim Mantel must have been booking here or something. I don't know. I do think this is the future NWS, but I'm not sure. What a show. Oh my god! Not a lot of indie shows this week, so we got some non, a lot of non-indie stuff in the indie section. All right, uh, we go to Figure Four Weekly. 
Notes from a Romeo Bliss interview. Yes, Alex Marvez actually interviewed Romeo Bliss for his nationally syndicated column. The deal, in case you didn't know, is that Bliss also doubles as a reality TV star. He was on this season's episodes of Survivor, but he didn't make the mark of Johnny Fairplay as he was booted out on the October 14th show. He said this wasn't necessarily a bad thing. If I went back to that camp with five women by myself, my wife would have tore me up. <laughs> Seven years of wrestling is one thing. Staying in that camp and how upset she'd be, it's not worth a million dollars. He said he'd been thinking all along about his family and said that was the main reason he got out of wrestling in the first place. He said he did some matches for WWE and was offered a deal, but didn't like the idea of being away from home for 250 days out of the year. And the most interesting that Brian read in this interview recently, he talked about how his grandfather was a big game show fan back in the day, and his name was Kermit Hilton. That is a great name. Romeo was such a huge fan that when he was a kid, and Jimmy Vang got blinded by Great Kabuki's Green Mist. He went to church and asked the pastor to please say a prayer from Jimmy. <laughs> it's true, he said. Here's the rest of that story. After I did that, my mom banned me from watching wrestling again. But I would stay up late at night with a 13-inch TV set and sneak under the covers to watch. I'd pop my head up at the commercials and it'd be covered with sweat from the sheets and heat from the TV. When I was growing up, I was one of the biggest marks there was. He said it was interesting going back to wrestling full-time. Getting in a relatively good shape would be easy, but when I look at my four children, I realize where my life is. I have my chance to shine. I got four children who have their whole future ahead of them. I didn't want to be selfish and rob them of their future while I would be trying to chase my dream. I'm blessed enough to say that while I didn't win the million dollars on Survivor, I won enough to set aside to invest in their college funds. That's me. I know I wrestle as a bad guy, but I'm probably the nicest bad guy you'll ever meet. God love Romeo Bliss. <laughs> And, I mean, if you want to hear more about him, go to listen to Exile on Bad Street on the Wild Side shows. We talk about Romeo Bliss. Amazing promo. I mean, he was like the the early 2000s version of Buddy Landell, who was one of his heroes. And uh, who knows, you know, but man, he was he was he was great. You know, when in Wild Side. Absolutely. Love that. Love that man. I would like to hear from uh, Dan and Jeff, though, about whether or not he was ever actually offered a WWE deal. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he teamed with David Flair and Wildside, so David Flair may have gave him, you know, a recommendation. Yeah, I don't know. There is that. And Roman could talk. I mean, he could talk, buddy. He was a hell of a promo. He was, a, he was one of the best promos on the indie scene in that era. Absolutely. He had a, a good look. He wasn't, you know, a classic WWE look, but he had a good look. So I don't know. Possible. But he was uh, Travis Sampson, of course, was his real name, and uh, he was. I think on Survivor he was known as Bubba, if I remember correctly. So okay. Yeah. All right. Now we got a wild story regarding New Jack. New Jack's been calling everyone he knows well, trying to get five thousand dollars so he can post bond and get out of jail. He claimed he'd be in jail for a year if he doesn't post bond. And it's not so much the recent incident, but also because of some prior issues that he's also being held. When Dave asked about him, he was told the only charge was aggravated assault. 14 counts for the recent Jacksonville House show. Mike Mooneyham, the Charleston Post Courier on October 24th, had quotes from any wrestler Adrian Lewis, who was videotaping the match in question. and said it was the bloodiest match he'd ever seen. It was something you don't expect to see on a wrestling show, not even for a hardcore match. All you could see was the knife going in and out. There was no script in that match. It was a pure shoot. It didn't like any hardcore match I'd ever seen. I've seen New Jack wrestling hardcore matches before. Referee saw the match five minutes into to the brutality. 
Lewis stopped taping before it got out of hand because he was uncomfortable with it, saying it was something he wouldn't want people seeing, especially young wrestlers. All right, so what is this incident, you ask? Let's go yes. to WFMY News 2 Jacksonville, Florida. And I believe this is the most obscure of the New Jack incidents that's in the Dark Side episode, right? Yeah. And oh, hey, Professor, for the record, uh, Romeo Bliss is listed on the CBS website as Travis Bubba Samson. Yes. A professional wrestler accused of stabbing his opponent 14 times with a prop during a match has been arrested on a charge of aggravated battery. Both wrestlers in the local Thunder Wrestling Federation event told police the prop was brought in as part of when what in wrestling is known as hardcore, where it's not uncommon to see such props as knives, chains, bats, and barbed wire. The event's promoter said it wasn't supposed to be hardcore. Police charged Jerome Young, 41, of Smyrna, Georgia, who goes by the name of New Jack, who have aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. He is being held under a $40,000 and $3 bond Tuesday in Duval County Jail. A court appearance was set for November 2nd. Young told police that he and his opponent, William Jason Lane, 37 of Fruit Cove, planned before the match to use a piece of metal to inflict some injury. Lane, treated and released at Shands Jacksonville Hospital, told officers he wasn't sure what happened, but this is a dangerous sport, according to a police report. Lane did not want to talk about the incident Tuesday, but a woman who said she was his girlfriend told the Florida Times Union that the event was supposed to be hardcore but not violent. It wasn't supposed to happen like that, but it did, and he got hurt pretty bad, said Megan Hancock. Promoter Maurice Williams. Maurice. Said he doesn't promote hardcore. We wrestle. You won't see any barbed wire bats and chains. Williams says wrestlers will be checked closer before future bouts. There will be nothing ever coming near thunder again, he said. Witnesses, including a Brunswick, Georgia, Georgia police officer, who videotaped the match, said it looked like he would pass the routine of a wrestling match. Another witness said it looked like one wrestler lost control when he thought the other was intentionally trying to hurt him, according to a police report. A fan scooped up the metal object, which has not been recovered by police. Jail Records Tuesday gave no information on Young's legal representation. It's pretty fucking wild right here. Were you familiar with this at all before Darkseid? Because I did not have any recollection nope. of it. No. I don't. I didn't remember this at the time. Me neither. News to me. Shall I pull up the uh, Darkseid segment about it? <laughs> I mean, I guess. Two weeks in a row. Why not? As we go yeah. to the Thunder Wrestling Federation. All right, let me make sure. As I'm pulling up the correct timestamp here on Tubi. Oh, no, wait. That's still Gypsy Joe... As I skip ahead here. All right, here we, here we go. I think I'm in about the right place. Okay. Let me turn the sound back on. And he crosses the line again in 2004. I've had many trials in my life. Yet I keep trying to do what's right. We bonded yeah, really, really well. I'm an MWW independent recording artist now, but I wrestler slash promoter. When he hit Florida and he had to come through Jacksonville, he was staying at my house. Jack is comical. If you really ever get to know him, he's just a comedian and a great cook. Any examples of like what are the things he would cook? Spaghetti. But he enjoys making sure that everybody's happy. Out of the fire. Wow. That's one of mine. The federation that I used to own and promote was Thunder Wrestling Federation. 
Thunder had started gaining some momentum. And Jack had been there a couple of times. Oh, so much momentum looking at the video in the crowd here. <laughs> Look at those empty seats. <laughs> There's maybe, I mean, we'll see what the other side looks like. There's maybe 30 people here in a building. So Tens probably of people. For like 150. Jack's Tens opponent is William Jason Lane. Oh, no one Wrestling under the name Hunter Red. That night, Red had asked me if he could wrestle Jack. When you wrestle an icon, it kind of moves you a little bit. It's it's on your resume. And I said, well, Red, um, that's a whole different ball game. Hunter Red comes up. He's like, what you want to do? I said, dude, we're going to the back and talk about this. He said, well, we can talk about it now. I said, no, we're going to the back and talk about it. So I laid it out. I said, well, this is what we're going to do. And in the middle of me talking, he got up. He said, all right, whatever, what the fuck, whatever the fuck, fuck it. I'm looking around like, what the fuck? That's who put him up to this? I said, I will see you in the ring. What the fuck ever we do, I'll just what, whatever. Something was troubling Red. The actual reality of wrestling New Jack, I think it kind of set in. Once again, I've been on coke. Once again, I was high as a motherfucker, drinking vodka, like I'm doing now. And I had a claw. Wolverine claw. They had these three blades on it. One of the blades that broke off, I had it in my pocket. When the match began, Red picked New Jack up and sat him in a corner. And he punched me. My nose is big enough. I don't need nobody to help me get this motherfucker no bigger. Then he punched me again in the nose. It looks like this guy's really hitting Jack hard. And then Jack, yeah, well, the way Jack moves across his ring, now he's hooking him and he's talking to him. I said, you trying to handle me? I said, you really trying to handle me? Uh-oh. Jack's reaching in his pocket for something. He's cutting him. What the? Wait, oh, my. He's stabbing this mother. Run. Oh, shh. Ooh. <laughs> it's never good when you open. Oh, we got a break. Oh, God. cash now. Oh, let's go play the whole commercial too, Greg. Outstanding. That's just sitting on mute watching um, Sarah Logan and the Viking Raiders sing about J.P. Wentworth. Eight seven seven cash now. An empty bandstand. Oh, good lord! What is there? Thirty people there. <laughs> so the guy comes in a ring. They lock up. Okay, already he's pissing New Jack off, and he pulled. A knife out of his fucking pants and is now apparently stabbing this guy who's trying to get away? What the fuck is going on here? Is, is he actually stabbing this fucking guy? Look at that woman with her hand over her mouth and the kid, the 10-year-old kid is sitting there going, this is a first in 125 years of wrestling history. Yeah, this is not something that does the public image of professional wrestling a world of good. The line in wrestling between cooperation and felonious assault is also one of those lines that's blurred. But I always looked at it this way. If two guys agree to something beforehand and everything that happens happens in those parameters, they are working together. If something happens that is egregiously outside those parameters, such as just take a knife and just slash a guy's face, that's crossed the line from cooperation to felonious assault. I stuck him like nine times. On the news, they said 16. I said, no, it was nine. I counted, it was nine. 
For the second time in his career, New Jack's violence in the ring lands him in trouble with the law, and the evidence against him is impossible to ignore. The guy that called the cops, he said there had been a stabbing at the Ramada Inn. There's a black guy with camouflage on stabbing a white guy. So that's how they treated it. The cops came in, gun draw. Get on the floor! I remember the police officer asking Jack, why do you hate white people? And I just looked at him. But I thought that was really inappropriate. They put Red on a stretcher, and Jack left in a police car. New Jack is charged with aggravated battery and faces up to 15 years in a Florida prison. They took me to jail. Hunter Red, come up to the jail. I'm like, why are you here? He said, I got an idea. I'll drop the charges. You take me on the road, and we can make an angle out of this. Hunter Red <laughs> is looking for New Jack. He's out for revenge. He said, we could do the whole Florida circuit. I said, well, you got to drop the charges first. I sat in jail for three weeks. He went and dropped the charges. I went home, put my shit in storage, and I left Florida. That was the last time I talked to him. <laughs> I mean, it was on the news, and my mom saw it. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you up there and you stabbed somebody in the ring. You should be ashamed of yourself. I'm like, bitch, it was a fucking show. What the fuck? Leave me alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because me and my mom, we never got along. She didn't fucking back me when I was wrestling. I'm like, bitch, I got action figures in Toys R Us. How many of your fucking friends, son, got action figures in Toys R Us? My dad died when I was five. He died when I was five. But I remember the fucked up shit he did before he died. And I'm like, you wonder why sometimes I flip the fuck out? Because, motherfucker, I was raised in a family that was fucking retarded. So I'm like, if I show up for a show and I go out there and do my thing, be grateful that I ain't attacking your ass. You know what I mean? There you go. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) My God. (laughs) That that dude was was wanting a payday. (laughs) He said, fuck you. Oh, man. What can you say? If Jack's right, then you got to drop the charges first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you heard Dal about that there. Well, we heard another guy in that piece, Good Talking Head. Let's talk about Jim Cornette, shall we? He created a scene at a wrestling convention and show on October 23rd in Indianapolis, put on by Bobby Rice. Cornette was part of a package of lots of 80s names that were also the work at house show that night. Which include the Rock and Roll Express, managed by Mick Foley, versus Conjury and Eat, managed by Cornette. Cornette and OVW had put together the TV commercial for the event and had played on their own TV show. The problem started as Ryan's claimed that people in the weeks leading to the show, he had sold 1,800 tickets, and only about 250 people showed up. He had paid the talent that asked for deposits some of their money up front, which is right now for tra- traditional for big names who work candies. Unless they are working for promoters that have a good track record or are friends. They believe Cornette and Eaton got 50% up front, while Conjure got a plane ticket as his advance. Since Cornette was the one making the arrangements for the three, Cornette felt that paying out that much ahead for the group showed Rice had the money he claimed. Even though Cornette was said to have even warned him he was booking far too much talent and was going to lose tons of money on the venture. Several wrestlers were promised they'd have their money at the convention, and that didn't happen. 
Several wrestlers were afraid they were going to get stiff because of the bad crowd. And Rice came to the arena to deny the show with little or no money. He said he was going to an ATM machine to get money and had people run interference for him for the first half of the night since he could pay everyone with the money taken at the gate. And by intermission, still had no money. Foley, apparently feeling sorry for Rice being in over his head, when talking among a group of wrestlers, which included the Midnight's and Rock and Rolls, said to save the show, he split up his thousand dollars or so that he made selling gimmicks that afternoon to the guys that they weren't going to get paid. Foley said he didn't want the fans to be screwed out of what they paid for when it wasn't their fault. Out of respect to Foley, nobody would take him up on his offer. As it turned out, Rice's parents wrote out checks. But when Jim Cornette, Bobby Eaton, and Dennis Conjure got theirs and saw that two nights at the hotel were deduced from his payoff, he cut a Cornette promo, tore up the check, and said he was leaving. He then, and this was during the intermission of the show, walked out in the crowd, remembering Ernie Ladd's stories, and screamed how the promoter stiffed him on his money and he was leaving, although in far more colorful terms. The promoter has no dick, he's a pussy hiding behind his parents, and he screwed me and some of the wrestlers out of our money. He said everyone should ask for a refund because the announcement event wasn't going to take place. He talked about how Rice's parents, local business owners, were writing checks to some of the guys because their son was a dumb shit and didn't know what he was doing. Security then walked he, Eaton, and Conjure out of the building. Foley then came out and apologized for what happened. The show was going to continue. Some of the wrestlers had been paid, and he saw autographs for free to make up for anyone upset by the Midnight's not wrestling. Brutus B. Kicking Ray Valentine ended up taking their place against the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, as corny making a scene goes, this is fairly mundane and justified. Yeah. Yeah, but... I mean, it... I don't know. It all depends on who was in the audience when he was given that type oh, of speech. Oh, it's for specific content. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. But... <laughs> Good lord. How many times have we heard stories like this on the indie scene? Uh-huh. I mean... It's good that we don't hear much about stuff like this anymore. Yes. But my goodness gracious. Although there are certainly other more money stories that we might hear privately that don't get out because they get rectified after a delay or whatever. But uh, it's not like nothing like this happens, but it's definitely not what it used to be, thankfully. And Foley. Foley doing Foley things, you know, trying to make it right. Yep. So... Speaking of oh, promoters me, me, screwing me. each other on money. I mean, screwing people on money. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, promoters screw each other on money, too, but still. IWA Mid-South ran a quite the four days here. Let's start off with October 20th at Battleground in Bloomington. At the National Guard Army in Bloomington, Indiana, in front of 50 fans. Great. All, with this lineup... Austin Aries over Ace Steel. Well, Abyss at least over... Ace got to work with someone he's definitely a much better person, though. <laughs> Abyss over Nate Webb. Shane Hagedorn over Matt Turner. Mercedes Martinez over Tracy Brooks. Chad Collier over Danny Daniels. Brandon Tomaselli over Claudio Casanoli. CM Punk over Super Dragon. Davey Andrews over Ian Rotten. The Wildcards, Blackjack Marciano and Eddie Kingston over Anthony Franco and Evan Starr. Oh, boy. Do you know what show this is, Chris? I'm going to finish reading the results. Yes. TNA X Division title match, Petey Williams retaining over Alex Shelley. Christopher Daniels over Chris Saban. Samoa Joe over Ryan Boss. 
Chris Candido over AJ Styles. And I didn't miss off heavyweight title. Eric Cannon retained over Roderick Strong. Go ahead. 14 matches. Um, I believe this is the show that started the punk uh, Kingston beef. Well, there, there you go. I forget if it was just Eddie or, it was specific, or if it was specifically Blackjack. Um, apparently got a bit stiff with the ROH students. And that caused the beef. Well, I mean, I'm in this show because there's more shows to go. All right, National Guard Armory in Evansville on October 21st in front of 40 fans for Autumn Armageddon. Three way oh, dance. I think it's, you know what? I think it's this show because I remember something about Claudio being there. I mean, being in the Davey, match, I should say. Three way dance. Davey Andrews over Nate Webb and Ryan Boss. Nigel McGinnis over Chad Collier. Ace Steel and Chad Collier over Nigel McGinnis and Roderick Strong. CM Punk over Alex Shelley. Mercedes Martinez retained the NWA Midwest and Mid-South Women's titles by being mischief by disqualification. Then we had three-way tag. Wild cards over Anthony Franco and Claudio Casanoli and Delirious and Evan Starsmore. Chris Candido over Danny, Chris Candido over Danny Daniels. Matt Turner over Shane Hagedorn. Abyss and Samoa Joe went to double count out. Super Dragon over BJ Whitmer. Eric Cannon retained the IWA Mid-South Headweight title over Austin Aries. And then, uh, which leads to a four-way where AJ Styles beat Chris Saban, Christopher Daniels, and Petey Williams to win. This can't be right. Because Eric Cannon was a champion. He was, it sounded like something got cha- something got screwed up here in the results. But AJ Styles won a four-way with Chris Saban, Christopher Daniels, and Petey Williams. All right, then we go to Lafayette, Indiana, on October 22nd. Hey, we get a big crowd this time. 80 fans at the National Guard Army. Oh, boy. Daisy Hayes and Mickey Knuckles over Angel Williams, Angelina Love, and Mercedes Martinez. Then we have Revolution Strong Style tournament matches. Quarterfinals, Roger Strong over BJ Whitmer. Samoa Joe over Austin Aries. Then we have Franco and Starsmore over Damian Andrews and Matt Turner. Super Dragon over Eddie Kingston in a tournament match. B-Boy over Homicide in a tournament match. Then Chad Collier won a three-way over Marciano and J.C. Bailey. Jimmy Jacobs over Shane Hagedorn. Abyss over Ryan Boswell's qualification. Then another strong style tournament match. Samoa Joe over Roderick Strong. B-Boy over Super Dragon. The semifinal matches. Chris Saban over Nate Webb. Then we got Danny Daniels, Matt Seidel, Ace Steel, and CM Punk over Claudio Casanoli, Nigel McGinnis, Chris Candido, and Steve Stone. And then the tournament final match, Samoa Joe beat B-Boy. Three minutes, 27 seconds. And then the, four, the eighth anniversary show in Highland, Indiana on October 23rd, their home base, before 275 fans. And that is a very good IWA crowd in this era. Like, yes. more than very good, I would say. Ian Ryan talked about how DVD sales are helping the company survive. He said he was living out a childhood dream by teaming with Dusty Rhodes. Rhodes was a rotten hero when he lived in Tampa during his heyday. Rhodes and Rotten beat Steve Stone and Chris Candido. Dusty even juiced as did Ian. Dusty seemed to be having fun when, while Rotten put him over, saying, We all need heroes. Thanks for being mine. CM Pump beat AJ Styles at 23.50 to win the title. Using the Anaconda device and the slow build psychology oriented style that the people who attend these shows really get into. Okay, here's why. Here, here's what happened. Styles won the four way on the 21st in Evansville because Eric Cannon suffered a broken collarbone with a layer by Aries in about three to four months. Oh, so they knew he was badly hurt in the semi and were like, okay, new champ. Yes. All right, results of the uh, eighth anniversary show. Trick Davis over Chandler McClure. Davey Andrews over Mike Wallace. No, not from 60 Minutes. 
messed it up with Chris Saban. Dusty Rhodes and Ian Hoover, Chris Candido and Steve Stone, the fourth match. Okay. Then NWA women's title. Mickey Knuckles won the well beat Mercedes Martinez by disqualification. Mercedes retained. Which went to another uh, match where Mercedes and Mischief went to a double countout. Franco and Stars were over Turner and Hagedorn. Jimmy Jenkins retained the light heavyweight title over J.C. Bailey. Ryan Boz over Abyss by disqualification. Chad Collier over Claudio. Wildcars retained their IWA tag titles being B-Boy and Homicide. Danny Dams over B.J. Whitmer. Ari Strong and Nigel over Ace, Nate Webb, and Samoa Joe. And then Punk over AJ to become the new IWA champion. Where do we start? There's a lot of big names on these shows. Yeah, so with what Ian was talking about, about DVDs as the lifeblood of the company at this time, that's why he's doing these shows like this. He Mm -hmm. is trying to get as much out as he can out of a round-trip plane ticket. Which, the thing is, is that IWA got popular because mainly the crew they were using was the local IWA crew. Well, not local people who could drive. Yeah. And now you're trying to bring in all these guys from everywhere that you can see everywhere else. You know? Yeah. So you're spending more money when you got popular from the beginning because of your talent, your core group of talent. You know? Was Punk driving in on these shows with the students or was he flying separate? Oh, I don't know. Because he's coming in from Pennsylvania. That'd be some day praise that would, wouldn't know. I guess so. Um, okay, so yes, I did, let me pull up too. So as far as the Punk Kingston beef, there's a Cage Side Seats post from last year that says it was the Evansville show. Um, okay, Sean Reuter put this up, quoted from the, the observ- what Dave put in the Observer, that an anonymous wrestler in the locker room sent to Dave in the newsletter after the Punk Kingston promo segment last year. I can fully vouch for Eddie's promo on Punk the other night. I was sitting right there in IWA Mid-South locker room when Punk called Eddie and his partner at the time, Blackjack Marciano, fat, lazy, and unsafe. Marciano had just accidentally injured Delirious, that's what it was, uh, in a previous match, and Punk was hot about it, so just buried them nonstop. I could see why Eddie hung on to that hate and anger for so long. Yeah. So... Long-lasting repercussions on these week this weekend of shows, I guess. Uh, but here's the thing. I mean, I guess this is the a good thing you can say about Ian that he's trying to get all his regulars on these shows too. I who knows how much everyone's getting paid, but still, the, he's not trying to shortchange them the experience at least. But these shows are so long and. That's the other thing. How are you going to draw people to shows that they know are going to be long, which is difficult outside? I mean, you know, like Frank Goodman had the ticket seller matches, but those people would, you know, the people they sold the tickets to would just leave after the ticket sellers match. Um, Well, that's why he kind of put them all towards the end of the show. Well, I mean, seriously. I mean, certainly later on with Goodman, he didn't do that, but... There was I mean, some he did on the USA Pros I watched. I mean, those were towards the end of the show. Yo, the Ticket Seller Battle Royals, you mean? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I did not remember that. I mm-hmm. remember them being earlier. Okay. No, they were towards the main event. Okay. He learned that He learned that lesson. Okay, so that changed maybe over time. Uh, once he started doing the Ticket Sellers all in the one match. But this, is just, it, this put IWA into a bad way. I mean, this is... 
this leads to what I guess we would call the first real big, like, IWA maybe closing moment, right? At least of this era. Yeah. You know, the yeah. IWA is, you know, you know, marquee indie era. Yeah. So, I don't know if there's much else to add. Um, you know, we do have our pre-shimmer, you know, incubatory shimmer women's division here. Where they actually have, yeah. their, have a title and all that. So that's nice to see. But, and, you know, like, interesting talent on these shows. But just overdoing it. Yeah. Also, oh, for the record, Dusty, I believe, cost 2500 at this point. I vaguely remember him teaming with Ian here. Yeah. Pretty wild. But yeah, a lot of pack, pack names on this show. Super Dragon, you know? I mean, this Well, is... that's definitely a flight. So is B-Boy. Yeah. Quite the crew on these shows. Mm-hmm. I thought IWA, I, I thought IWA lost its charm when they started bringing in all these outside names like this. Yeah, I think so. Like, they're certainly... There's good stuff. It's like, trying to be Ring of it's, it's trying to be a Ring of Honor Midwest or some shit like that, you know. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I got no problems bringing in names, but don't bring just fill your shows up with them. Well, and also, and also make sure you're, which sometimes he is, but like mix them up with the locals or not, or the regulars, yeah. I should say, so they get the rub. You know, the, yeah. I guess I could say this now. One of the only times I ever had an argument with Prazak was coming out of the booking of TPI that year. Because I didn't like how the finals were, it was Joe versus Danielson versus Styles. I felt like it made the regulars look bad that none of them made the finals. And Prazak, you know, and it wasn't a heated argument, but still, one of the few times we've ever had any kind of disagreement or anything, really. Uh, he felt like, and you know, he's one of the people involved in the booking at the time. It's more realistic if it's all the big names because they are the higher caliber wrestlers. I don't know if you'd look yeah. at it that way now, but yeah, but it's it's you can still see kind of the divide in the thinking there. Yeah. All right, on Memphis also, TV. Holy shit! That this was eighteen years ago. Jesus. On Memphis TV over the weekend, the build up their October thirtieth show at Missile Coliseum. Featuring Lawl and Rock and Roll Express, managed by Jimmy Hart, against the Fabulous Ones and Corey Macklin, managed by Jerry Jarrett and Jackie Fargo. They had Lawler hire a private eye to follow Corey Macklin around. They showed him stealing, stealing newspapers from the, the rack and selling them, leaving church drinking and driving, and him picking up a woman who wasn't his wife and driving off. Of course, it turned out Lawler had hired a Corey Macklin lookalike which led to Macklin getting so mad, he called Jackie Fargo to come back to Memphis. <laughs> Holy shit, I wish we had this. <laughs> oh my god. Damn, I'm going to get Jackie Fargo out here. <laughs> Biggest draw in this territory right wife. now. I'm not cheating on my wife. So, How did Corey Macklin look alike? You know, oh, you can't get Lance God. Russell for that, right? It, just because he's trying to talk like... <laughs> there are reasons you can't do that. Oh, my God. Um, would you like to know what, uh, the specifics of Throwback Night 3? Yeah. Okay, so it ends up being October 30th at the Coliseum. Drew 3,500 fans for a $21,000 house, down from 5,000 fans for the August 28th show, headlined by Terry Funk and Corey Macklin versus Jimmy... Excuse me, Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Hart. 
Um, there is a video on YouTube, a 25 and a half minute video of highlights of that show. Okay. Where Corey Macklin and Jackie Fargo are cutting a promo together in the locker room. That, which, whenever we do that week, we'll have to play that. Oh my goodness. Okay. Anyway, so we've got Tweak Phoenix over Big Belly Douglas, Amber O'Neill and Chrissy Vane over G Star and April Pennington, Shock over Johnny Dotson and Spider Man, Derek King, Hair versus Mask, uh, Bill Dundee over Kid Cash, Coco Ware over, it says Brain Christopher, Stun Gun on a pole. Uh, Kevin White and Brian Christopher over Too Cool 2, who were just two guys, if I remember right. Chucky won a Battle Royal, and Corey Macklin and the Fabs beat the Rock and Rolls and Jerry Lawler when Fargo pinned Morton. I mean, not the Fabs, Macklin, Stan, and Fargo are your babyface team. But Corey's in all these main events on these shows that draw, but it ends up being diminishing returns because the Boxing Day show draws 1800 for... Corey and Eugene going to a no contest with Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Hart in a cage match. It's a shame this isn't online, but oh well. All right, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. They ran Use Your Illusion 4 on October 23rd, the Hollywood Los Feliz JCC in front of 50 fans. We had the UK kid over Tony Stradlin. You know, I did match. not remember him getting booked there. Puma over Top Gun Tower. PWG Tag Titles, The Lost Boys, Chris Bosch and Scott Lost retain over Quicksilver and Scorpio Sky. That'd be Ariel Assault by disqualification. PWG Heavyweight Title, Frank Kazarian retain over Ricky Reyes. In your Chikara offer match, Hello Wicked, Jigsaw, and Larry Sweeney. Sweet and Sour Larry Sweeney over Icarus, Grant Okuma, and Mike Quackenbush. And then, oh boy. Super Super Dragon won an Iron Man match over Joey Ryan. In 70 minutes, four falls to three. Poor Danny. <laughs> That's a match. Uh, wow. Good Lord. Why are so many indie promoters these days named Danny? And they're all former wrestlers. Danny. Is that a common name? I guess so. Um, okay, I got to ask you what uh, this. We have Quack and Five Students flown over. For a show. Yes. Do we think any of the students got paid to for the booking? I'm sure they got something. Let me rephrase. Do you think money was paid from PWG in theory for the students? And if so, do you think that money was actually transmitted to the students? Mm, possibly. Yeah, I, I would think there was at least a little bit of a payoff for everyone. The question is whether or not that went to Quack to distribute or not. Yeah. Although Oregon. this is supposed to be a wrestler-centric promotion run by wrestlers, so hopefully the original ownership team did uh, pay everyone directly. Oregon. One of the most successful any groups around is Lucha Libre de Oregon, which runs every few months in Woodburn, Oregon, which obviously has a big Mexican population. They also have some local TV to promote the shows. Don Koss, who was the voice of Portland Wrestling in the 80s, is the lead promoter. They drew 1,500 fans on October 23rd, bringing in Mascara Sagrada, Los Vianos, Blue Demon Jr., Etta Garza, and headline with Atlantis beating Fidel Sierra, who's become a top heel for the group for a while, and they spent 20 years in Oregon, in a Mascara Cochacabillera match. 
The group has had so big crowds, and they bring up the top stars from Mexico. Who knew that Don Koss would be a, a big-time lucha promoter, huh, in the 2000s? Wow. Don yeah, I did Koss. not realize he was the promoter of these at all. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, wow. I'll be worse tuxedo. <laughs> or tuxedos. He had random ones he would wear. Yeah. And sad, kind of sad news here. Dr. Jesse Williams had a major 10-hour operation on October 22nd at the MD Anderson Cancer Hospital in Houston, which went successfully. They were to take skin from his leg and patch a hole in his throat, known as a tracheosophical tri- fistula. It's taking healthy tissue formed from his, th- from his thigh and put it in his neck where he removed vocal- his removed vocal cords are. They needed to do it right away, even though his throat wasn't healed up due to all the radiation treatment. The time frame alone tells you how the complicated situation is. If not, part of his throat would die, and he'd be in big trouble. Oof. They also have to monitor him because the cancer has spread from his throat into his lymph nodes, which were also removed during the surgery. Dot wrote a letter to many of his friends in wrestling, and while he's adopted the attitude of showing no fear throughout this entire process, he admitted to being really scared on this one. That is from someone who does not scare easily. As soon as he regained consciousness after surgery, he sent emails to many of his friends in the U.S. and Japan saying, We made it! He was out for two days. I really didn't know what hit me until I woke up. Wow. Then the pain came. Gang, let me tell you, I was hurting from head to toe, but I knew the good Lord was with me. Dot returned home on the 27th. We'll have a slow recovery as for a while. He'll be only be able to eat baby food. Keep up the prayers. It's not done yet. We still have a long way to go. Made no mistake about it. Doc has acknowledged that he'll never wrestle again. Even if he didn't want it, made official by doing a retirement ceremony in Japan. More likely the cancellation of his October 15th retirement show in Japan because he shouldn't have been traveling at that point. Those close to the situation think he may have survived the worst of it this week. Whether this is related is unknown, but people who have known Dot for years have brought up his years of heavy tobacco chewing. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that that played a major role in that. Um, it's honestly surprising that we don't hear about more wrestlers from that era who especially from that who lived in that part of the country for a lot of time having more uh, mouth neck etc cancers that you really hear a lot of wrestlers about chewing tobacco you know i mean yeah, it happens yes, we I'm, do no, well, not, dipping but more than chewing i guess but yeah but i'm just saying you know I, i'm assuming more, yeah i would just put all anything like that all in the same bucket but wrestler vices including more you know smoking cigarettes and drinking and doing drugs and stuff like that. You don't hear a whole lot about t- tobacco as much. I mean, you know of it, but you don't, it's not something that's a, a big thing, but, uh, yeah. So here's somebody that's got family members that's, uh, dealt with that. Uh, and pretty sure it came from tobacco chewing. Yeah. Yeah. That ain't no joke, man. And he did go into remission for a few years though. He did. He did, but sadly he would die way too young. Yeah. And one more medical note before we close out this section. Gene Oakland's out of the hospital is in Florida, slowly recovered from his third kidney transplant. It was his second in recent weeks. He received a donor kidney from a family member two weeks after the failed transplant from his wife. His son Todd donated a kidney to him many years ago as well. Gene Oakland's the other side of the spectrum. It's amazing that Gene Oakland lived as long as he did with all his problems. The you last know? kidney transplant finally took. Because yeah. the first he rejected, the second seemingly he also rejected, I guess. 
Now, Oakland on Legends House said that it was the kidney from his wife that saved him, though. So are we to assume that the warder is being mixed up here by Dave or whoever sent him the info? I mean, I guess, but... That the other family member was the one two weeks earlier and this is the one from his wife? Yeah, but, I mean, again, Gene, good lord, I mean... He's a guy that could have been dead multiple times. I mean, by all rights, he should have been dead in, like, 96, based on the way things were looking for him. Yeah. You know, he got more than 20 years after that. And, you know, starting around this time, it seems like he was, you know, obviously he's on anti-rejection medication, like, but it seems like he had a fairly consistent quality of life from this point on. Yeah. All right, so before we go to WWE proper, we'll go to Ohio Valley Wrestling. And they got a lot going on there as I scroll up. I scroll down too far. In OVW, they're building to a big show on November the 12th at the Davis Arena and a non-taping fundraising show for the local fire departments raising money for needy children. Randy Orton, they're doing an interview. They're doing Rob Conway versus Nick Dinsmore. Build as Nick Eugene Dinsmore. Chris Cage for the OVW title against Tank Tolan. And if Cage wins, he gets five minutes with Chad Tolan. Muhammad Hassan against Elijah Burke. And Mac Johnson and Seth Skyfire defend the tag titles against Joy Matthews and Johnny Nitro. Now at the uh, Halloween house show, WWE house show in Louisville, they had scheduled Chris Masters and Brent Albright versus the Bashams. But Albright's out for a few months as Masters and a WWE wrestler. Now on TV during Norway, Hassan won a squash over Mike Taylor. The only thing notable about Hassan, Hassan is he's getting a bad case of gyno to go along with his 20 pounds of added muscle. Well, that's not good. They aired highlights of Ken Doan spending his week with Melina. Dave's seen a lot of these types of segments over the years where the heel woman has to be the servant, and this was one of the worst. From an acting standpoint, both are a long ways off. Doan wrestled Vic Delicious from Intercourse, Pennsylvania. Matthews and Nitro attacked Doan and whipped him with belts. Main event was Johnny Jeter and Matt Capitelli over Barabbas the Prophesizer and Seven. Ending when Sin threw in a Bible and Capitelli DDT the Prophesizer on it for the pin. They could see Jeter and Capitelli as a mid-level babyface tag team in WWE, but both need someone to do the talking. Pushmash saw Sin going to throw fire at Jeter, but he moved and supposed to hit referee Robert Briscoe and Prophesizer. It's one of those embarrassing fireballs with a mind of its own that went up long before getting to be to the target where it looked horrible. Yeah, OVW not sounding too hot at this time, is it? Mm-hmm. Not really. They're kind of in transition. Yeah, they've they've lost so much, and um, they're trying to build with with the newer, younger guys and stuff. And yeah. I mean, they they have talent. They've got you know they, um, they've got the Tolans. They've got Elijah Burke. They had Seth Fire, Skyfire come up through their school, and I think get signed. They have Eminem, Brian Albright. So it's not like there's nobody there. I mean, Ken Dillon's there as a prospect. Um, they have Capitelli, and he still has his future, obviously, at this point. So it's not like there's nothing. But it stands in such stark contrast to what was there before. Yeah. Where it was full of these can't-miss guys, and they ended up actually being can't-miss guys. Yeah. Um, 
And when I saw the name Mac Johnson, I was like, wait, who was that? And then I look on Gage Ranch, and I was like, oh, it's Mac Johnson. He never used another name. Yeah, same guy. All right, uh, The Torch. The word on Tommy Dreamer, who replaced Dr. Tom Pritchett in talent development and scouting department. It says, a nice, honest guy who knows how to be corporate PC and still be cool as one of the boys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I just looked up, by the way. Do you remember who Barabbas the prophesizer was? Barabbas? No. Aaron Aguilera. Oh, how about that? Hmm. Barabbas, or Barabbas, however you want to say it. Yeah. That Tommy Dreamer thing is interesting. It basically is saying he's two-faced in a way, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of. I don't know if I'd say that, but I I get that interpretation. He, well, he, uh, I don't want to say two-faced, but plays both sides of the fence, put that way. Yes. Which, hey, to survive, sometimes you have to do that. So there, there is that. All right, so let's go to WWE proper now. When Taboo Tuesday was first announced, Dave was skeptical, as it reminded him of a conversation many years ago with Houston promoter Paul Bosch. He said that you have to be in control of your storylines, not in those exact words. He said at one point he did a gimmick in this program where he asked the fans to vote for the match they most wanted to see. Dream match. At the end of the night, the votes were clear. The fans wanted a match they could never see the way the business was at the time with the area's two top baby faces and Dave says, forgive me, but I don't know who they were at the time would face each other in a singles match. He thought since the fans spoke, he should deliver the match. And since they wanted the most, they would draw great. The match bombed and a lesson was learned. This was an era where most promoters and their exceptions had learned that if you put the two most over baby face against each other, the box office was usually disappointing which explained why 90% of the main events in that era were face versus heel. Of course, times change. Steve Austin was a rock at WrestleMania 17 at Astrodome was probably the biggest drawn single match in wrestling history. If Hogan and Andre was around when technology advanced, it very well may have been bigger, but it wasn't. It was a two super bay faces at the time against each other. But still, what fans tell you they want to see and what they will pay to see aren't always the same. Also, real quick. That, that is okay. a great point. Yes. If you go in terms of, like, humans watching and paying, I mean, if you go with the closed circuit plus the dome, it's at, I would feel like it's at worst a wash between those two WrestleManias, right? Um, prompt, maybe. Right, because WrestleMania X7, I think, did a little over a million buys. Well, you can't talk about Perry buys in '87, Bex. No, I mean, and the, but no, but that show, WrestleMania three, did something like six hundred thousand buys. Or, wait, or no, excuse me, five hundred twenty thousand plus. You know the can't compare. Big closed circuit plus the dome plus however many so, people are watching pay per view. It's two. It's totally different business models. Can't compare. Oh, I know. Just can't. Just can't. It's not fair to either one of them. Also, I love Dave saying ninety eight percent instead of ninety nine percent. But. That last sentence is a big one yeah. that, I mean, and he's absolutely right. How many matches have we seen people talk about online in recent years, how they would love to see this and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then the match gets made and then and this is more on the independent level than anything else. And then when the show r runs, the house isn't nearly what you thought it might be. 
because of that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's true. You can't just go by what people say. Yes. Do you have any idea what this match was, though? I don't know. I mean, Paul Boss wrote it for so long. I don't know which era. If I knew the era, maybe I could uh, guess it out. Now, here's it wasn't the 80s, I can tell you that. Okay, here's a question I have for you, though. Do you think it draws better or worse if it's a vote among the fans in the building after they've bought tickets, knowing that it's a dream match, main event or a dream match card or whatever? They're already there. No, but I'm saying, do you think it draws better if the mystery is going into the show? It doesn't matter. They're already there. No, you're missing my point. What sells better? The babyface match that everyone voted on? Or the mystery that everyone's going to vote on it once they're there? Because what Dave's comparing it to here is not the same as Taboo Tuesday. It's not the same as Taboo Tuesday. Right. And I feel like he's not making that clear enough. I feel like he's not quite grasping the difference between the two things here. Well, he's running with the idea. He's running with the idea of fans making the call, sure, fans controlling the a match, and and they didn't really control the match. It was Paul Bosch asking for suggestions, and Paul Bosch went with what they said. Right, right. It wasn't something that was going to happen. He did it, thinking that well, they want to see this. This is what we're going to give them. That's the difference. Yeah. So anyway. With 14 pay-per-view shows this year, Dave thinks the company needs more concept shows to differentiate. Especially when pay-per-views becoming too routine with a lack of depth caused by not mixing up talent and splitting talent in two. Ultimately, Dave was liking the idea. When it was over in execution, he didn't think much of the concept. Dave's only thought was that anyone who watched that show and couldn't realize just how great Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels are today as performers, well, they don't really understand what working is. Flair and Michaels, through their working ability, facials, emotions, and intensity, saved the show that was in the toilet after Carmella De Cesare and Christy Hemi's debut match and a series of bad matches before a lackluster crowd. Proving Bosch's axiom right on this night, and there are no universal truths or laws in wrestling, just things that are correct more often than not, the Bradley Center in Milwaukee did not sell well for a show where the fans were theoretically picking the main event. There were tickets available in every price range, even close-up ringside the day of the show. The night before at Raw Chicago, they were handing out coupons for $10 tickets for people who wanted to attend live in Milwaukee. Well, there's your answer to your question, Bix. <laughs> the fact that they ran a show that the fans knew going in that they could possibly control themselves, and they didn't pack the house out. But it's also not proving Bosch's axiom right, because it's not the same thing. Yes. If, if you're going strictly on the grounds of... What the is the what the fans want? Not necessarily right is one th- that's one thing, but it's it, it, it's still not the same concept because Bosch advertised his main event. Yes. Also, and didn't happen Tuesday. Really oh, good. And the fans didn't pick the match. No, and they suggested a match. Didn't Taboo Tuesday end up doing good? As far as on pay per view, at least it did okay. I, don't, I can't remember how it did. I mean, it was enough of a success that they kept doing the concept for a few years. So, anyway. But it wasn't on Tuesday anymore, though. Was there only one Taboo Tuesday and the rest were Cyber Sunday? Cyber Sunday? Yeah, remember it became Cyber Sunday. Well, that that's a different issue, though. Uh, did 174,000 buys. 
And what did the month prior and year prior shows do? Oh, no, they did a Taboo Tuesday in 05. That was the last one. Yeah, and then it was Cyber Sunday starting in 06. Okay, yeah, there was, so, yeah, uh, yeah, it was the last one. Okay, so No Mercy, which was how many weeks earlier? And a SmackDown show did 219,000, you know, which was oh, less than two weeks earlier. Uh, September 18th, Unforgiven, which was Raw. So the last Raw show did 243. So this is a pretty steep drop. Difference between Tuesday and uh, Sunday. Yep. Because I mean, it was hard for us. Because I mean, the guys I was watching pay per views with, when they came over and watched, but we had to all go to work next morning. Yeah, which you do anyway. A lot of me anyway on Sunday night. People have to work on Monday, but still, you most people were off on Sunday, so they had an all day Sunday to be off and do whatever. Yeah. You know, Tuesday, if you're working a regular job, you're getting off four or five o'clock, whatever, you know, and then you got pay per view starting at eight. You don't have a whole lot of time other than that. So, yeah. And for what it's worth, uh, no mercy 03. So basically, the smack, so SmackDown pay per view, at least a year earlier, did 254 and Unforgiven 03, which is the. September Raw pay-per-view, because they were alternating, did 360. So, yeah, whether you look at it month over month or year over year, actually, okay, I remembered completely wrong then. Yeah, this is not a good number. Yeah. Ultimately, what we did learn was this. The company can fully manipulate these things as it saw fit. By only opening up the voting for a one-day period, starting during the Raw show the night before, most of the voting results was preordained based on comments and actions are Raw. While most, if not all, the results were probably anticipated, it's true none were known until the show began. So, yeah, I mean, the the, the results are legit, but they manipulated it in a way to get it go where they wanted to go. They, pu- they pushed things in a certain direction, yes. Now, this, though, was more subtle than it would be as t- as time went on, though. They really overdid it in the later Cyber Sunday years. And then, oh, what was the Raw version called? Oh, I just Where they Cyber did the Sunday. votes either week to week or whatever that it was. I forget. But they I've always felt like they were more heavy-handed as time went on. Not that this yeah, wasn't was. heavy-handed, but it wasn't as bad. No. Shelton Benjamin won an elimination match among the IC title contenders that Batista, who was pushed for the spot the prior week, was not put in and won the voting handily. Everyone knew that Eric Bischoff versus Eugene would be a hair match, and Ray Flair versus Randy Orton would be a cage match. Jerry Lawler pushed the idea for the Women's Battle Royal to be a schoolgirl match. Kane versus Gene Snitsky actually in storyline pushed a pipe legal from the original angle. Uh, whatever that meant. Pipe but legal was... match, I guess. Yeah. But the but original no angle was... had nothing to do with a pipe, so I'm confused. But no direction was pushed the past two weeks, and it really didn't matter. It, it wound up a chain, as a chain match. In the Carmella Christie match, it was made clear not to vote for an aerobics challenge, leaving voting as either a lingerie pillow fight, which won, or an evening gown match. Shocking that the lingerie pillow fight won, won out that one. The big one almost got too cute. As noted before, the plan was for Michaels to get the match with Triple H. It was going to be legit when it came to voting, and they believed in a fair vote. Chris Benoit could win, but Edge would have no chance. 
So they booked a three-way, putting Edge, the total heel over the last few weeks, over Benoit to favor Michaels. Instead, Edge nearly won. Michaels ended up with 39% to 33% for Edge for 26%, or excuse me, 28 for Benoit. Worse, Michaels tore his meniscus in his left knee in the match in Chicago, and the doctors recommended surgery, which he'll be getting this week. He knew going in this would be his last match for probably a couple of months, so he did nothing stupid, had to rely on everything but his athletic ability, but could still pull it off. We were told after the trainer examined Michaels the night before that Michaels would probably not be able to wrestle in the pay-per-view, and he was the favorite to win the voting. But knowing the mentality of WWE main event wrestlers, they've never expected Michaels to not wrestle. They turned the injury into a storyline angle on the basis of the match. It wasn't a match of the year or even the show, but it was a great dramatic performance by Michaels when he wasn't able to do much physically and a great storyline finish. Edge, who deserved to win the voting, had earlier walked out and left the arena in a tag title match, which Benoit single-handedly still won. So Edge and Benoit still the tag champions. When Michaels, after hobbling around and selling his knee the entire match, made his comeback was by the super kick, Edge should back up, spear Michaels, cause Triple H to pin him. While the obvious Michaels-Edge program may have to be held up due to the surgery, and the way things have been booked of late, it may even be forgotten by the time he gets back, this did establish Edge as being the, on the level of those in the world title picture. This position fans hadn't accepted him in up until this point. Even though Edge had been in main events on SmackDown and stuff like that, it is this run right here that really kicks him off here into what he would become. Yes. This, this heel run that's starting up. So. But it was Alita and then the Money in the Bank thing that really got him where he needed Well, this to be. was the beginning and, uh, you know, and then along the way, you know. How different is his run as a singles heel? So basically, the last what, six and a half years, something like that, of his career before the 2011 retirement. How different is his career with no Lita, no Vicky Guerrero? Guerrero? Yes, having um, women involved in his gimmick, I mean, was a huge deal. Although, I mean, Radar KO, you know, him and Randy, but I mean, Lita honestly, had already been there. Honestly, you know what it is? You throw in Radar KO, you throw in Christian. He needs someone to play off of as a personality. Yes. It's not just the women. I mean, they, I think, got... Those two, I think, made the biggest difference. Yes, he has to have a... a Somebody to play off with, yes. A, associate. Absolutely. Back then, at least. Yeah. I, I think I, now he's just... he's Now he's grandfathered in. Well, he's an actor now, as well. I know, but now he's grandfathered into whatever. You know? Sure. Well, he needs a Hall so, of Famer, brother. Yeah. After the show went off the air, Vincent managed Pat Patterson, telling fans it was Patterson's last night with the company he'd given his life for wrestling. Patterson thanked the fans. Vince made him sing My Way, which he does constantly at karaoke bars. He's a concept of shows. Shane and Stephanie came out at that point, and Patterson left with the PA playing My Way by Sinatra. Oh, he's a constant at the karaoke bars that he's constantly at? We'll have more on that in a minute. When we okay. get to uh, the post-show stuff. All right. Uh, they had a dart match in the building as Mark Magnus came out as Muhammad Hassan. They brought out two total unknowns. A Sergeant Slaughter asked the fans to pick the opponent. You know they picked. Slaughter. It's not 56. And so it went quickly. When Khosro Davari interfered for the DQ. Hassan, even without any television exposure, got a lot of heat, including when he did the old school prayer rug gimmick. 
Mm. You know, I feel like we didn't talk about this that much the other times we've talked about Hassan for whatever reason. I guess because mainly it's been right at the end of the gimmick when we've talked about him. In terms of bad taste and offensiveness, and just whatever words you want to use, because even at the time, too, this was something that got called out. Acting like you were going to do this nuanced storyline where there are these American-born Arab Americans who have been unjustly you know, prejudiced again, and all that since 9-11. And then using that to pivot them into heels from the beginning was about the grossest way you could do that. But they knew that it would, they knew that fans, it would get over the fans no matter what, because of the dynamics of the character. But why didn't you just do it from the beginning that, as that way anyway? Like... I, th- I think maybe they thought in their mind that, that they could do that type of nuanced angle, but they found out quickly it wasn't going to work. You, you think they were trying to do it as like a villain origin story, like an MJF kind of thing? I just think that they thought that they could do this, but they saw what the, how the, it, the fans were reacting to it. Uh, or I think it was more just... go harder the other way. I think it was more just WWE fake nuance, where they're like, you know... Sending out the press release, and it's like, we're introducing new characters tonight named Crime Time, like Saturday Night Lifestyle, Sense of Humor, and blah, blah, blah. Like, it feels like them trying to pretend that they're being sophisticated, if that makes sense. I mean, maybe, but they've been known to change their plans at the drop of a hat due to reaction. And they've been known not to do that, too. So. Oh, plans change? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, but they've been known to do that both ways. I know. Be stubborn. Be stubborn and not do anything when they need to do it. And then do it at the drop of a hat. So. Yeah. All right. The pay-per-view proper started with Shelton Benjamin beating Chris Jericho in 1055 to win their continental title. Benjamin got 37% of the vote. Batista got 20%. And Jonathan Coachman got seven. Who are those idiots? This change probably to get over the concept the fans vote meant something. As they have... They had to have the fans pick a title change on the show. Crowd was dead to this point. Lawler brought it up, saying that it was because the crowd hadn't chosen a favorite. Well, at least he's trying. It was a good match. Benjamin got near falls with a spin kick and was close on top. He missed a stinger splash and Jericho used the walls. Jericho got a near fall with a lion salt. Benjamin scored a clean pin with an exploder power slam move. Two and three quarter stars. I am shocked that Jericho was not calling Dave on the way to the hotel after the show to tell him about what a great job he did improvising after the ref changed the finish on them in the middle of the match. <laughs> oh man! I mean, it's weird to it's weird to not see that mentioned here when I remember that being known very soon after the show. Yeah, I, I guess it wasn't the week of. Maybe not, but it's on the notes. Did you check the torch at all for that? Yep. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Trish Stratus got the women's title in the Battle Royal, 530. They admitted the Battle Royal rules where you're eliminated with your feet at the floor, even if you go under the bottom rope. 53% voted for schoolgirls, 30% voted for French maid outfits, and 17 for nurses' outfits. I can tell you this, in the house, in my house, where all the guys were, schoolgirl was definitely the favorite. So there you go. Uh, this wasn't meant to be a wrestling oh, match. It was an excuse to... It was. Oh, these. Oh, 
<laughs> oh, I wasn't looking at the notes for a second, and you were reading that in your reading Dave tone of voice, so I was confused. <laughs> no, in my in, in my house, I mean, in this time period, the the most popular matches on the show were involving the women. Especially oh, you've talked Diva about Search. this, yes. Yeah. Diva Search. Oh, yeah, that's the biggest draw. Uh, this wasn't meant to be a wrestling match, just an excuse to deliver mini panty shots, butt shots, and cross shots as possible in a short amount of time under the guise of wrestling. In that sense, it delivered. But as wrestling was a battle royal, it was bad. Victoria was the first schoolgirl to wear an ultra short skirt and a heavy knee brace, which Dave thought would be written up by a fashion police. Nidia is from Puerto Rico. Dave guesses preparing a cheap pop for Jamie Raw pay per view from San Juan. Her shirt came off. Jazz looked totally out of place in, the, in this. Eliminations were Nidia, Jazz, Gail Kim, Victoria, and surprisingly, Stacey Keebler. So that with two heels in there where Trish threw out Molly to win, dud. Yeah. It was what it was. And Molly, what's him, what, what was Molly wearing in this? <laughs> I'm pulling it up on the award-winning network. Oh, by the way, it was officially the Fulfill Your Fantasy Battle Royal. That's right, yes. Because she was wearing some, I don't know if it was a long dress or... She's wearing something, you know, very heavy clothes-wise. And, of course, the, you know, she was uh, the butt of the jokes at that time. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm sharing the, the screen to skip through this. Um, honestly, with the hat she has on, Jazz is pulling it off better than you'd expect, even if she's... Oh, she's pulling the sleeves off, annoyed, because, which is in character. I like that. I mean, I'll say I'll say this even though they're heels and the messaging is weird. It always did work better when you had the heels who would not fit in in this working it into the match. You know? Yeah. Does Nydia have her hair straightened here? Yes, she does. Um, okay, skipping ahead. Is that Gail? Who is that? She's in the match. Yeah. yeah. I forgot she had her baseball cap in this era. Uh, all right, who else do we have here? Here's Molly. All right, I'll turn the, turn the sound off. Well, I don't know. She looks more like the teacher than the student. She reminds me of a librarian back in Oklahoma. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was going to say, I think that is what the girls used to wear when I went to school. Unfortunately. So she, she's basically wearing a tennis outfit. Yeah. It's not. This isn't the one I'm thinking about. Okay. Because there was one that she wore like long, or like a long dress or I something. I lady to mess with. Oh, this should be good. The knee brace. Victoria. Oh yes. Yeah, the knee brace does look ridiculous. The glasses, a studious look. Uh huh. And of course, Stacy is safe for the final entrance. Oh yes. Look out. Well, it's basically a short skirt gimmick, man. Oh, and she's got the Miss Hancock legs, too. Yes. Yes, yeah, she does. And I don't want to ever pass. I don't want to... Oh, oh! Oh, she's a car deal. I forget, is Heyman on creative at this point? <laughs> I think he is. Okay. This is Ross and Lawler's uh, dream match here for the night. 
<laughs> See, the, the extra P in WWE P porn stands for puppies, I guess. <laughs> so there you go. Wait, or is WWE P porn on Twitter, is that supposed to be like the account that Ted Cruz liked the tweet of a sexual with two L's posts? <laughs> But don't forget, there's a uh, isn't there WWE NSFW too, and then another one like that. Oh, AEW NSFW. Well, there's WWE NSFW. Yes. Yeah. Well, did you <laughs> that the actual female wrestlers actually <laughs> will retweet the tweets? Well, that's <laughs> where I was going with that. That did that I saw Mickey James um, quote tweeting oh, from AEW NSFW. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but some of the NXT NXT women do will do it too. <laughs> Anyway, there. well, I guess so I guess as, if you don't say anything gross, I guess I mean I would say at least of the two, the name at least is probably less offensive to some people well, than WWE they, what, porn is. Well, mainly what they'll do is they'll tag the person involved, and then just have like a GIF or a video. That's it. There's like there's no there's no tweet. It's just that. So it's basically just showing them doing whatever you know so yeah all right so how do you follow this gene snitsky over kane in fourteen seventeen. it was 30 percent chair 29 percent pipe so pipe almost won if no it was last 41 percent chain that's the weapon of choice the match designed to make snitsky, uh, snitsky into a serious killer not a serial killer it couldn't have been better snitsky dominated chicken kane with a chain took kane with a chain for a long period of time yeah, no heat most of the way, even though it was booked for heat. Kane isn't the best at selling, and Snitsky's offense is terrible. And then Snitsky blew up. Snitsky used a chair to the throat three times, and then put a chair around Kane's neck. Kane on top rope and stomped to the chair. It was the same angle Kane had done a few months back to Shawn Michaels. Kane bit the condom, and there was a lot of blood coming from out of his mouth. Referee Chris K called for help. Snitsky left, apparently forgetting the pin Kane. Jim Ross even said the match was over. Snitsky then came back and did nothing but covered Kane for the pin. Great. Kane went out on a stretcher. The injury angle is like with John Cena to explain his doing the movie Ice Cream Man in Australia. E-Y-E Scream Man, which became Ceno Evil. Mm-hmm. May 19th. He'll be gone for a few months. So Snitsky winning was really the only logical finish. They went so far as to have Snitsky knock Kane off the stretcher and beat on him even more. They doesn't think anyone has ever seen Kane handled like that. People didn't believe for a second in Kane's injuries, as there was none of the clapping you get when you carry a guy out. But when Snitsky attacked him on the stretcher, even though Kidman just did it two weeks ago with Paul London, it got some heat. Star on three quarter. Ah, uh, yes, the Kidman heel run to capitalize on him uh, messing up the shooting star press so badly that he gave Travel Guerrero a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage. Well, that's a heel move, I guess. Yeah, which... Okay. In the grand scheme of people who have not trained to be wrestlers talking about certain wrestlers being dangerous, I do think that Kidman shooting Star Press, especially once he put on all that muscle, is one that there doesn't really need to be any arguing about whether or not it was dangerous. (laughs) I mean, he, he did not have the best form or aim on that move long before he put on that exercise. And then doing that made it worse. Yeah. Eugene pinned Eric Bischoff in 201 in the hair match. 
Hair got 59%, serving got 20. And we're in a dress for a month, got 21%. That's something you can do today. Match is terrible. Eugene Channel Hulk Hogan clipping his ear to get reaction. He got the biggest pop thus far on the show in doing so. And then use a leg drop for the pin. Dave can't imagine him doing this unless Vince has decided he's going to call Hogan for Mania. Well, 2.96 does that to you. I guess that was a raw rating. Coach McLean, the fans at live had voted for the servant match, even though they hadn't. And Coach was said Bischoff would have to be Eugene's servant for five minutes. Well, out comes Vince McMahon. Let's go to that, shall we, Bix? Oh, man. Hi, how about serving for five? Well, you see, you see. This is, yeah, this is now, people, you got to understand. You, you got to understand that I've been given the authority that the internet audience wanted one thing. You wanted something completely different. So, so fair is fair. I'm going to call it like I see it. I'm going to make the decision. Eric, you have to be Eugene's servant. For five minutes. For five, five minutes, minutes. Maybe you could get him a soda, take his bags to the car. Eugene, heck of a victory. I got to call it right down. The- Also, he's wearing David Byrne's suit from Stop Making Sense for some reason. He's wearing JBL's suit from Raw. (laughs) (laughs) The walk is insane. This is before he tore his pod. The chairman of the WWE, Mr. McMahon. Oh, Eugene is so happy. That's right. This whole thing was his idea. (laughs) I know for a fact that Mr. McMahon doesn't like Eric Bischoff. Personally. Not too fond of coach either. Let me get this straight. See, I come out here with this concept I said last night in which I have no authority in which all of the authority for Taboo Tuesday is in their hands. But I was told... You know, maybe you didn't listen to them, Coach, like I did. Maybe you didn't hear what they heard. I heard distinctly this audience agree with the Internet audience. Therefore, right here... On Taboo Tuesday, you're going to have your head shaved bald. No, no. You have to do it. I am not doing it. No way. You're not doing it. You heard me right. Congratulations. If you're not doing it, go ahead, Eric. Take a walk. Because you keep walking, you son of a bitch, you're fired. What? Uh-oh. And that wasn't Donald Trump saying it. That was Mr. McMahon. I'll replace you like that. You want to be general manager of Raw? Get your ass back in here and get in that barber's chair. Oh, my God. Don't 
don't sugarcoat it, Mr. McMahon. Say what you really mean. This house here. Fair is fair, Eric. You're the general manager. Get over here. Get in this barber's chair now. Come on. Let's go. Oh, Bischoff takes such pride in his appearance. I've never seen a more vain man in my entire life. He, he, this will kill him if he has to get his head shaved. Eugene is going to be the barber. Have a seat. Oh, no, Eugene's going to be the barber. <laughs> he cut his ears off as well. Lost the match fair and square. Sit down. Oh, JR, we're. Eugene, I'm telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. We got a VCR running. You got a choice. You can still walk. A VCR. Yeah, it's 2004. Go ahead, walk out. I know, but still. I'll fire you. I'll fire you. I'll fire you. Go ahead. He's going to be fired. Get your ass out of here. Yeah. That's fine with me. What? Think about it. Think about it. What? Can you do that? Coach is trying to talk sense. Coach is whispering in his ear while mic'd up. Coach. Yeah, coach don't serious? think it's so bad. He's already bald. Make up your mind. <laughs> I think a lot of these fans would like to see Bishop keep walking. Your decision. Take it like a man. Go ahead, Eugene. Watch it. Eugene, the best part about all this is the gray. The gray hair. As always with Bischoff losing a hair match. I know, but... Oh my God, it's right! It's a joke. I'd be still if I were you. He can't handle it! Watch his ears! Does Uncle Vince say something about his gray hair? God! No! No, this is my hair! Where are you going? Hey, Coach! Where you going, baby? You ain't going nowhere. Back here, Coach. I gotta go back here. No, no. We'll go get there. You're back over here. Coach trying to go back to control center. I've heard a little bit off the top. Look at this. Coach, take a little stroll with me over here if you don't mind while we're witnessing this. Coach! Coach! You look at the dress. That's a nice dress. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not a bad dress. Hey, you know what? I don't know how this is, but... Stop right now. It's your size. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, since you tried to pull the wool over everybody's eyes here in Milwaukee and all over the world, take your shirt off. Oh, wait a minute. You know what's happening? Take your shirt off, I'm gonna take it off for you. <laughs> that is a very awkward line to hear from Vince McMahon in 2022 after the events of the summer. <laughs> yeah. There's an obvious line I could drop here about that, but I'd rather not, probably for legal reasons. <laughs> figure it out though i'm sure robert o'connor would say it if he was here <laughs> now take your pants off what? oh it gets worse <laughs> i just hope you're wearing underwear take <laughs> off your pants is he wearing underwear look look, look eugene look oh look boxers 
Well, no, boxer briefs. <laughs> Eugene, for God's sake! <laughs> Enough! Ow, 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 ow! Oh, he's got a little Madonna headset on, is what Coach says. Yes. Now put on the dress! The mannequin's non-genitalia is fascinating here. Like, it's not your normal mannequin crotch. I mean, what is that? I don't know what to say about that one. It's a male mannequin, too. I think we have a show image, though. The mannequin's non-penis and testicles. <laughs> and Vince, the look on Vince's face, it cuts furniture's off. <laughs> I mean, the closest thing I, c- I can compare it to is the Marilyn Manson, like, naked alien thing, but with, like, more of an external non-genitalia. <laughs> and, and can you come up with any better description of what the hell we're looking at? Uh... No. Because, I mean, most mannequins usually just have nothing there, right? Yeah. Here there's something, but it's... Uh, anyway. Oh, what a now button it up, don't be a slut, button it up! Yeah, you slut the fuck! <laughs> Got your business all hanging out, button that damn thing up! Look at his breast! I've seen bigger lumps in my oatmeal! You <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Vince has his arm around the mannequin. <laughs> Look at the little Vince's face here. <laughs> well, that's, that's a show. <laughs> we also have the best look at the. Uh, Male mannequins. Um... I think the mannequin's excited by Vince hugging it. <laughs> At the mannequins, I was going to say man labia, but I'm not the sure mannequin's what else to got call hair that. like <laughs> some of the OVW guys. <laughs> that Ken Doan. Amazing. <laughs> the way Vince is just so nonplussed while he has his arm on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he told so he or anyone else told like Richie Posner or Harvey Whippleman or whoever to find a mannequin <laughs> that has a different kind of crotch from the usual mannequin? <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst looking haircut I've ever now. seen in my life, bitch. I'm like, <laughs> go ahead, Eugene. He looks like Speedball Mike Bailey with that haircut so far. His hair's turning white. Uh, hold on. What Listen. do we have underneath all of this? <laughs> Here we go. My God, you know what? You're as gray as a ghost. Look at all of that. You dye your hair, don't you? You dye your hair, don't you? So what? What a phony son of a bitch. <laughs> 
Watch up there where you blow. Dick, dick, dick. We can do commercial for just a minute. Oh, look at, look at Coach. Eugene, take him back there and finish the job. Let's hear it for you, Jay. <laughs> oh, my goodness, JR. Man, Bischoff and the coach's plan has backfired. <laughs> coach in a dress. Bischoff will finish getting his head shaved here tonight. This has got to be... I think Bischoff... I don't really think he was ever looking forward to Taboo Tuesday, but this has turned out probably to be the worst night of Bischoff's life. Well, it was a Bischoff's idea. Well, I can think of worse night. It was Mr. McMahon's <laughs> idea. The fans spoke. We've listened. And Bischoff, before the night's over, will be bald. <laughs> Why did they take out so much of the crowd noise here? I don't know. But um, also, there was, a sec- there was a second mannequin wearing the servant outfit as well. Well, yeah, at least he didn't go for that with Coach. <laughs> that would have been uncomfortable. Uh... <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, plantation-style dinner. Yeah, that's what we call it. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, what so, was that? Uh, Why am I forgetting her name all of a sudden? Racist cook lady that oh, got Pauline. in trouble for that. Thank you. I was trying to remember. Yeah, Does, is she still around anywhere? Yeah, Does she's she do back. anything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I guess people care more about the butter than the racism. Uh, she, hey, she cooks good food. What can you say? All right, um... So outcome Dave says Vincent Man riding the wrong, getting more revenge for Bischoff on nineteen ninety seven. Uh <laughs> Bischoff seen the gray roots made fun of Bischoff for dyeing his hair, as if Vince hadn't done that for fifteen years, so that made it kind of funny. They talk about coach wearing a dress. For all you aspiring WWE announcers, don't forget being made fool out of as part of the job. Coach had to wear the dress at the rest of the show, long after the joke had played out, uh, Oh, man. What a segment. Amazing. Edge was really mad at Shawn Michaels for not dropping out. Knowing he could win the title, but Michaels would go on there and with one leg ultimately lose. They did a very good job on the last day with the hand they were dealt. Benoit and Edge beat Lob Resist Ots to win the world tag titles. In 1615, Edge was a heel to the point the crowd didn't even cheer him against Lob Resist Ots. It was a good match, although Sylvain Grenier was doing everything humanly possible to make that not be the case. Most of the heat on Benoit, Edge finally walked off and left, didn't shower, jumped in the car, and drove off. He missed Benoit making a comeback of both guys, finishing with two German suplexes and a crossface on Conway. So Edge was half a tag champs, even though he was long gone, two and three-quarter stars. <laughs> what can you say? All right, Christy Hemi pinned Carmella de Cesare in uh, 148. Isn't it the Caesar? De Cesare, the Caesar, I don't know. I can't remember how it was pronounced. Anyway, they both came out in regular clothes and had a changing booth that you could see silhouette of their bodies in. Fans voted 10% for the aerobics challenge, 57 for lingerie pillow fight, and 33 for evening gown match. They then went to change into new lingerie. Shouldn't they have had that on underneath their clothes, or is that too simple? Hemi was playing striptease while Carmella made sure nobody could see her change even via shadow. They presumes this was Carmella's last match in. At least that was the plan two weeks ago. And they found falsies in her bra and made fun of her. Oh, yes, this is the burial. They hit each other with pillows with feathers flying everywhere. Carmella was knocked up by three unanswered hits with a soft pillow. This is as bad as the night in San Jose where Mick Foley and Owen Hart decided to have the worst match possible and sold popcorn back shots. Well, at least they were at least trying to get negative stars. 
negative one star. Oh, yes, I remember the falsies thing. And Lawler was classic Lawler in that one, as you would uh, believe. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see how Carmella tried to make it that you couldn't see even the silhouette. Well, I'm looking at it now, and I'm not really sure what... Or is that Christy? Well, I can't see it. Well, I didn't do the screen drive. I had to queue it up because the segment, it didn't start at the right part. Um, let me go back a little bit further. The colors are making it hard for me to see exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't get what Dave's talking about here. You can see the silhouettes just fine. Let's see here. Oh, wait, they're doing it at the same time. Okay, I didn't realize that. Okay, so let's see. So should I turn the sound on or just leave it? Go ahead, let's try to sound. We'll have Lawler. Oh my gosh, can you actually, can we actually see him? Oh, okay, yes. so Carmella on the right, Christy on the oh, left. Yeah. Oh, JR, look, look, JR. I'm looking. Oh my gosh, JR, I love Happy Tuesday. Look, 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 look at Christy. Oh, oh wait, Carmella. Carmella's already got her, she's got her dress on. Look, look, look at JR, look, 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 look at Christy. <laughs> Oh, I'm in love, Jr. Uh, I know you are. Wait, wait, what's she? What's what's that coming off? Oh no! Look how skimpy they are. They're tiny. They're fine. Okay, here's what Dave was <laughs> describing then. Christy is doing everything in her power to play it up. Yes. Carmella is trying to stand in a certain way to make the shadow blurrier and bigger, and also trying to stand in places where the shadow slash silhouette is not being tracked on camera. Correct. That's what Dave was talking about. Because I couldn't figure yes. out from what he was saying, like, how could you even make that happen with what they're trying to do? But she appears to have found a way. Oh. Hey, Carmella, you're not playing fair. Get close to that screen so we can see you. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, look at, look at Christy. You know, and she said she would do anything. There you audience. go. That's what and I'm talking about. She's very awkward. I can't, I can't see Carmella as well as I'd like to, but yeah, Christy is fabulous. So she's far <laughs> from the screen. What's she going to put on? What kind of what kind of lingerie? Oh, there goes, there goes Carmella's dress. Oh, look. JR, we're going to see a lingerie pillow fight. Do you know what that's, how great that's going to be? Have we ever called a lingerie pillow fight before? Uh, I don't think so. But, oh, look at this. What are those? But we've never been a... I hate to say it because this is still what it is. Carmella's overthinking this. There's not much you can see anatomically that you can't... It doesn't look that different from when they're wearing a tight dress. Exactly. Like, it's really, like, it's it's stupid. It's not how they should be presenting the women, etc. But she's overthinking this as, as far as, like, oh, I should try to make it that they can't see, really see what they want on the screen. It's like, no, I mean, you compare to Christy, who's playing it up so much, and, it, like, it's... It's not like you're seeing anything like beyond the norm, or that they would have shown in the bikini con seen in the bikini contest or anything. So it's like it, it's still awkward the way Coach is <sighs> reacting and what we're gonna get with the falsies thing and stuff as I skip forward. But it, it, 
it, it is weird and you can see why it would be frustrating to someone trying to produce this. And the thing is, is that in their rationale is this woman was Playmate of the Year. She's shown it all in Playboy magazine. So what's her problem? And relative to other contexts like, this, you know, Sable was right when she was like, it's different. Certainly, even if you're consenting, it's different doing it in an arena full of kids and stuff. Well, Sable but, had done stuff before she was in Playboy, too, now. Well, not the hands exactly. Over the breasts. No, but not exactly what they apparently asked her to do, no. Um, no, but I'm saying the hands over the breasts and all that stuff, the painted hands. All right, so, okay, where do I skip? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Christy is going after her hard with that pillow. Oh, yeah. And Jack the, Doan is your referee. Great name for this type of match. Oh, boy. All right. Let's go to the... Now that we've had the finish, now. yeah, let's see what happens. Yep. Kissing everybody in the place. I apologize for using the word finish. Entertained. She loves it. <laughs> Like the the ending. Ending. Yeah, everybody here happy but Carmella. This is them dubbing uh, the Union Underground song, right? Yeah, I think Probably. so. Okay. And she would do absolutely anything for the WWE fans. I believe it. Just come here, let me get that. Well, that's a line. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out. I wanted to say something, but let's just leave it at that. That's a line right there. Stay here, Lee Tiger. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, Christy! He's not going to call you Uncle Jerry. Come here! Oh. We're the Bradley Center here in Milwaukee. Well, I guess the policies already took place during the match. Oh, it was during the match? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think we're going to dwell on this. I'll, I'll see if I can find it with the sound off. But It must have been the beginning of the match. Oh, it is. Yeah, oh, it's, I, it's I actually left. stumbled on it. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Starts now. Yes, take him off! Oh my! Oh my, Jr. Oh, oh my, that's right. Are they wearing heels? Carmelo's wearing big boots. We almost had a wardrobe match. What is that? 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 So lucky fan just got a real souvenir from Taboo Tuesday. Oh my gosh. She throws the right. other one at her. Okay, those are not what I think would traditionally be called falsies. Um, oh, what were they called? What was the brand name, Chris? They're, but they're called, I mean, they are falsies, though. They, I mean, but they're, that, they're accentuators more than they are. What was that again? They're supposed <laughs> to be. Say that word again. I, I, <laughs> They're not supposed to be adding, <laughs> no, but they're not supposed to be adding volume. They're supposed to be moving stuff around. I think and accentuating more than. Oh, what was that called? What were those things called, though? I just always called them falsies. But they're not falsies. A falsie is a whole. Anyway, enough of that. Anyway, <clears throat> Triple H pinched on Michaels in fourteen oh five to keep the world title. Michael spent the entire match limping and overselling his real injury. It was so simple but effective entirely due to the facial emotions of Michaels and somewhat the announcing. He moved the dead crowd into giving him a stand ovation for a match where he virtually did no offensive maneuvers except for bad-looking punches, which the storyline they had to be, and one elbow off the top that came off as a move of courage as opposed to a spot he does every match. 
Michael Selle made a figure four spot by Triple H work with him begging the ref not to stop the match as the ref teased stoppage. The only negative was Michaels did three reverse atomic drops with Triple H landing on the bad knee. Michaels got a near fall to a low blow in DDT before another with elbow off the top. Michaels went for the super kick where the ref did seize Edge Spear Michaels. Triple H called, crawled over for the pin. Michaels helped out the ring to a big pop. Three and a half stars. You got to do the atomic drop onto your bad knee and not sell it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was what it was, as Dave described here. Sean put on a very solid performance here, and that's exactly what it was. All you can say. Now, after the match, Uncle Eric was walking around backstage with his new crew cut. So let's go to that, shall we? No. What the hell are you looking at? You think this is funny? No. What are you looking at? You're laughing at me, aren't you? You get a big damn chuckle out of this, aren't you? Pause. Okay, where are we for this show? We're in Milwaukee. So we have uh, Steve Kern. Who's an agent at the time. Yeah, Yeah, looking like he's uh, trying to hold a a shit in it. Then we have a, a very young, different-looking Mike Mondo and Ken Anderson. Is that Mike Mondo? Wait, so what would Mike Mondo be doing in Milwaukee? Was he under contract? Not yet. So why is Mike Mondo doing extra work in Milwaukee? I don't know. Keep He's going. a Long Island guy, isn't he? Keep going. I'll fire you! I'll fire you. I'll fu- Hell, I haven't even hired you yet, and I'll fire you, but I will fire you. Do not laugh at me. I'm not sure that's Mike Mondo. Like, I see the resemblance, but I just don't. Dave? That's what Dave said. As two of the people laughing were Steve Kern and Mike Mondo. He looked at them and said he'd fire them if they laughed and looked at Mondo, who they were looking at giving development a contract. And Bischoff said, I haven't even hired you yet. So he didn't know Ken Anderson. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Turn around! Turn around! Do not look at me! Wow, not a uh, very flattering haircut, to say the least, (laughs) for our general manager. Uh, Are you smiling? No. Of course not. Well, it's just been one hell of a night, let me tell you. Alright. Is JR having a Bell's Palsy attack during this show? No. He sounds off. Tuesday, I guess. Mm. I just don't want not to work. Okay, so, okay. Abby, it definitely, he looks like Mike Mondo, not to an overwhelming degree, but if Dave is saying it's Mike Mondo, he does look enough like him. I'm just trying to figure out, did they just fly him in to be at a pay-per-view? Or, oh, no, 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 he went, I I realized what it was. He, He went to OVW on his own. Well, we were in Chicago. Maybe we were in Chicago the previous night and just came up. Well, no, I'm looking at cage match now. He's already moved to Louisville. Uh, He's working regularly at OVW without a contract. Well, then, okay. Yeah. Um, and then going to this. He did work well the night before in Chicago. Too. Well, there you go. How dare you doubt Dave. He also worked uh, the following week's Omaha tapings, too. How about that? All right. So, uh, Randy Orton and Ric Flair in a cage match at 1035. Here's a trivia note. The accession of Royal Rumbles was the first time Ric Flair had ever been in the anchor position on a WWE pay-per-view. How about that? 
It was the first time he'd ever done a cage match in WWE. It was also his first pay-per-view main event since March 19, 2000, when he drew a microscopic buy rate in the death doors of WCW for a strap match where he put over Hulk Hogan. You mean a yappa pie strap match? Yep. It's pretty much a lot when they put when they put him on last, he was going to steal the show. It was an old school cage match with tons of blood, and really, that was most of the bout. Ort juice first. Great brawl from both sides, with the usual hard chops from Flair. No face first bump, but he was slammed off the top. The two were drenched in blood. Flair didn't do much, but his facial intensity while bloody brought the crowd up for him when anyone else could all night. Flair used a knuck shot for a near fall. Orton came back with RKO for the pin. Postman is even better as Flair willed the spirit of a Terry Funk turn. He put out his hand for Orton to shake. At first, the people didn't want to see it. They ended up hugging, and the crowd thought they were seeing something special. Three and a half stars. And that did not go anywhere and was not acknowledged on TV the following Monday. I think it was, you know, the matter of respect, you know, stuff like that. It was just a moment. It was the moment, you know? Yeah. It was a moment thing. I guess we probably need to play that. At least that part of the the Yeah, team, that makes sense. I skip ahead here. Yeah, I guess I could just gotta skip to right to the end of the show or thereabouts. Yeah, that's good. Flair is bleeding so much that the ch- he's just he's a blade onto this chair he is trying to drag in, and it's covered. Yes. Yeah. Once again, the dirtiest player in the game. He's so resourceful. We saw we saw Snitsky do some serious damage with the chair. Shut up. Okay, I'm skipping ahead to the hug. <laughs> oh, here we go. All right. Kind of swearing off. Player offers his hand. It comes off as planned, though. I mean, it does, but... I wonder if the handshake is planned, but maybe the hug isn't, and stuff isn't. Look at this! That's amazing. They are, I gotta say, this is the seed of a 
moment in the history of our business. I don't think I will ever forget this image. It's a, it's a rare night. And I don't think I'm ever going to forget Taboo Tuesday if I live to be a hundred year old. Magnificent competitors. Ladies and gentlemen, you did it. Your votes made it happen. Our fans around the world made it happen. We thank you for joining us. Good night from Taboo Tuesday. It looked to me like what might have happened is the handshake was planned, and then both guys got legit emotional and it went further. Yeah. More Randy than yes. Blair. Yes. So... All right, some interesting notes regarding Taboo Tuesday. For 99% of those involved, the entire show was done on the fly. Nobody knew for sure their stipulations ahead of time. Although Ripley, Randy Orton, and Bischoff and Eugene basically had a very good idea. I would hope so, for Bischoff's sake. The production people and even announcers not only had no clue who was winning the various polls, but no idea of finishes or anything. It was like an episode of Nitro. Some found it exciting, but from people who weren't Nitro, it's not something you want to make a habit. The original plan was to have Triple H in the ring and announce his opponent. That would have required a match to be held earlier in the card because the tag title match would have had to had to followed it. That So that was changed. And Triple H and Michaels were able to have time to work out their match. The women's battle royal, as far as the match went, they could work out since it was just a vote of what they were wearing. The ones with the toughest deal was the IC title wrestlers. All had to get suited up, even though people like Rodney Mack and Rosie had to know there wasn't a prayer they'd be working. Jericho went out with no idea who he'd be working with until Shelton's name was called. And virtually nobody, including Benjamin and Jericho, knew that Vince had decided to change the title until Vince relayed the info through the ref to both of them as they were ready to start the match. Okay, there it is. Based on our response, it doesn't look like the show did well. We got more than Unforgiven, but below any reached the show, baseball didn't help. Dave thought the concept was good, but the Jesus and I idea was a bad one. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. I think, so here, I, I think Dave, okay, I think Dave... At first, was thinking maybe. I mean, he was talking about maybe the night more than the concept, or he changed his tune. <laughs> no, but also where I was going with this is, if you know that they genuinely didn't know who would be in the IC title match, and then that the finish got changed on them, how is that not something you're mentioning in the review though? When that has so much of an effect on how the wrestlers are working the match. Well, here's why. This was in the Observer the week after the pay per view. Okay. So that's why. Now I remember that now. Oh, okay. So it wasn't the week of. Okay. The observer was the observer that I mean that from that part the observer was the week after. Gotcha. All right. So that's why. That makes sense then. I'm still amazed Jericho didn't call him on the way to the hotel though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, Figure Four Weekly. As noted last week, Pat Patterson's officially retired. This really came off as no surprise to anyone. Once word got out that he was complaining long and loud about the direction of the company, particularly the hard and constant push of Triple H. His belief was that Hunter wasn't over enough to carry the company single-handedly, and because he was always pushed as the biggest star on the roster, nobody else was getting the chance to rise up and perhaps break through. He knew that even though Hunter feuded with and quote-unquote put over a ton of guys, nobody ever seen him get elevated. Brian's been here for years that Pat was going to retire, but for whatever reason, he never did. His disillusionment grew over the last several weeks, and he finally told McMahon he was going to finish up at Taboo Tuesday. Patterson had been with the company seemingly forever, 
playing the Jim Ross, John Laurinaitis role in the 80s, creating the concept and booking me in the greatest Royal Rumbles, designing some of the hottest finishes and the biggest matches of the last boom period. Brian's personal belief is that Pat was ready to retire and figured if he was going to go, it wouldn't matter if he came out and slid his own throat, made comments about the, the fifth McMahon, Hunter, who obviously is untouchable these days. Brian truly believes this was by design because there's no way Patterson, after all these years in the business, would be dumb enough to accidentally make a political misstep of this magnitude. Regardless of the reasons, he was given a classy send-off after the event went off the air. Vince came out on the main event, said he wanted to thank the fans for making the company what it was today. I also want to thank another special person, Pat Patterson. Pat came out, Vince explained it was his last night, and he'd given his life with the business, and over the years he put up with a lot of bullshit from Vince and others. He told Pat to sing Frank Sinatra's My Way, which Pat did since he's probably sung it half a million times on the road over the past few decades. Steph and Shane then came out and hugged him. He sang Tears in His Eyes all the way to the back. Brian cannot do justice to the story of his departure, but he will say that when the book of the death of WWE is written, Brian wouldn't be surprised this incident and the circumstances surrounding it gets its own chapter. Little does Brian know what's, I mean, all the stuff that's going to even happen years later. This is not even a blip on the radar. Yeah. Right? Although, he does come back and do rumbles and stuff. This is the end of Pat working there full time, right? Yes. And he could, but still, but still, though, I mean, this is just a blip on the radar now of all the stuff that's happened since then. Yes, but in the grand scheme of things, even setting aside his specific contributions... This is the end of someone who Vince trusts in his inner circle. And I guess Triple H is there to a degree, but not exactly. But of, like, the long-tenured people, especially. Well, yes, you're right. I mean, who, definitely, yeah. Well, no, I was going to say, though, who have more of a traditional wrestling appreciation that can try to appeal to him. You're right. It's different. So there, there is that. And he still does stuff on and off. He's around, but yeah, I don't think he's ever full-time again after this. No. no. Um, you know, it was maybe a few years after this, you know, someone who was there said to me, like, and talked about how, like, being able to work with Pat Patterson is all, is, at, at all, I should say, you know, was one of the best, if not the best things about working there, and, you know, said... He does not get nearly enough credit for the success of this company. Yeah. It was never there without him, that's for sure. Even though he had his issues, as we all know. Yes. Outside the raid. Yeah, and, you know, I think the way that Meltzer put it in the obituary for Pat is probably the best way to kind of go for his influence, even though there's more to it. He did more to create the WWE main event style than anyone else. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, stay with me for weekly. This man, in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, said regarding Taboo Tuesday, "We wanted to get it out of our Sunday rut. This event's all about the newness and its revolutionary status. Yes, they're in a rut on Sunday, so I decided to run on Tuesday instead. And Brian can't believe he actually said that they were in a rut on Sundays. Regarding the WWE experience, he said this is a direct quote: the closest." You get to us is Disney on Ice. The McMahon family has been on a roll with these interviews in the last few weeks. <laughs> Disney on Ice, huh? Goddamn comparison. Yeah. More Brian. Many folks noted that you could fix the Taboo Tuesday voting by simply deleting the cookies on your computer and voting again. How about that? Speaking of, Rodney Mack came in last nasty title voting with 0.6%. Things like this always intrigues me. 
Brian says, I'm bad at math, but with 4 million votes, 0.6 would represent approximately 24,000 people who voted for him. Yes, 24,000 wrestler fans thought that Rodney Mack should face Chris Jericho for the Intercontinental title. Think about this. 24,000 people is the equivalent of approximately 10 to 15 WWE house show audiences these days. Who were these 24,000 fans? Where were they from? Why did they like Rodney Mack so much? Why did these 24,000 people decide all of the possible candidates that Rodney Mack was the most deserving? If any of those 24,000 are reading this, please write in and help me solve this great mystery. I guess Brian doesn't understand that even in in this type here, we already have uh, a vote for the worst type thing. You know, Rodney Mack's not a bad wrestler, but that people would vote for the guy who would be the least ex, you know expected guy just to I fuck mean, with the voting. Vote for the worst.com already existed for American Idol, right? In 2004, I, I guess it may have already. I mean, I'm not positive if it's this early or not in the game. Yeah. Um, but still. Oh, holy shit, vote for the worst.com still exists in some form, too. Oh, and it's updated. Good for them. Well, there's all kinds. There's all kind of damn shows you can do that with these days, I'm sure. So yeah, I'm curious when Wayback says they started, though. As I look, um, God, you forget how big some of this American Idol related stuff was. Oh, it used to be huge. I used to watch it. Yeah. Okay. Way Wayback at least does not have anything until March '05. That's probably Sanjaya too. <laughs> Sanjaya Malakar. Yeah. Let's see. Sanjaya. Yeah, now I'm looking up Sanjaya Malakar because he got me down this rabbit hole. Sixth season, which is when? No, that's not till September 06 till he auditions. Okay. So well, vote for the worst predates Sanjaya. Okay. Well, there you go. I, the, the thing that I remember most vividly, vividly, vividly that was kind of wild, though, about like the American Idol fan scene was, do you remember the website Dial Idol? Yes. For those not familiar, Dial Idol was some person who had developed software. Oh, I remember this well. If you call, that would call each number for each contestant with their modem, and their software would then analyze the type of busy signal to figure out which was the most crowded, and it tended to give fairly accurate results. And you, you must forget that the, the the time period here in American Idol, you know, the Death Valley Driver chat room became Idol Chat. Yeah. Uh, when when me, Wes, and Jersey Kid. <laughs> so <laughs> it was uh, Idol Chat. It was OC Chat. It was One Tree Hill Chat. Well, <laughs> and you guys were particularly uh, fans of the Diana DeGarmo season of American Idol. Well, she was local, so me and Wes, of course, had skin in that game. So there you go. All right. Oh, those are some great memories. All right. Uh, SmackDown. SmackDown started with Tori Wilson coming down looking unfathomably hot. And Brian remembered why he fell over her years ago. Then she spoke. Oh, well. <laughs> Brian doesn't know if he mentioned this last week, but his goddamn VCR is acting up. Everything he takes, the picture's all fucked up. It's skipping like the tracking's bad, but the tracking is fine. And adjusting it does no good. So anyway, the reason he mentions this now is because Tori's ring interest was about the worst time for his VCR to be screwing up. <laughs> oh, VCRs. 
This is before he fell in love with the diva Maria. <laughs> then we have uh, Garrito against Rico Constantino for the U.S. title. And Where Tori ring, ring announced, yes. I was going to say, according to WWE Network at this point, it's so early that he's still Carlito Caribbean cool. Yes. Tori ring announced before the match. Carrito said the U.S. title looked so good on him, and he looked so good on her. Oh. Carrito was so happy with himself for that one. Then he got upset with her for seemingly ignoring him and spit an apple on her. She stormed out. That's completely wrong, man, Taz explained. It seemed odd that Rico, was, what I'm saying, Rico, 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 Rico would come out to defend her honor. Actually, Brian figured it out. He was there defending her the honor of the fruit. The apple. Yes. Strangely, Brian's VCR wasn't annoying him during this match nearly as much as it was during Raw. Anyway, Carrito got the pin quickly with the overdrive or whatever that wacky move that the skipper does. You know, the one where he puts his leg over their head and spins them into the mat. Not that it matters much. Yes, the overdrive. Yes. <laughs> and yes, uh, Tori is uh, looking like Tori here. So there you go. <laughs> he has quite the outfit on here, yes. yes. Michael Cole gave an update on John Cena's kidney, which is doing okay. It's if you want to send a special message to his kidney, you go to WWE.com. <laughs> oh, and... Okay, so wait a second. That means that... I, I forgot. Aaron Aguilera was written off TV then while Cena was recovering from being stabbed by him. Mm-hmm. Um, can you imagine what it would be like if it happened now that they did an angle? Look at Carlito here. He's so young. Yes. But can you imagine them doing now an angle... Where a wrestler is stabbed by the flunky of Carlos Colon's son. <laughs> yeah. Carlito's a baby here. Good lord. How old is he actually here? He uh he aged a lot in WWE. <laughs> okay. WWE aged that man. He is twenty five. He's older than me. Only by a few months. Yeah. WWE aged that man. Booker talked to Teddy Long and said he was appalled at having to work the six man with, with Rey Mysterio and RVD. He said he didn't want to do a tag team match anymore. Teddy told Booker that he didn't understand. This is a champion showcase. Cut the crap, Teddy. Booker screamed. Well, I see where Jake Cargo got her thing from. He said he didn't care about any of that. Teddy said it was time for him to cut the crap and step up. This is followed by a long video package for Kidman. Yes, a Kidman video package. Like Brian said last week, if he can't go over all this promotion, it's time to go into a new line of work. Hmm. Uh-oh, Biggs. Here we go. Chavo came out to a big pop cut of promo. He said whether people loved him or hated him, the sport he got when he was sitting at home was amazing. So I just want to say thank you. Kidman rudely interrupted his speech in his robe. He said he was great to see him back in the ring. He said they went way back, all the way to WCW. In reality, this deal brought them closer together. He said Chavo suffered from the concussion, but he suffered too. These people turned on me and made me into a monster because of an accident. He said that people might not forgive him for what happened, but he knew Chavo did. Chavo said there was a saying about how this was not ballet. He said that when he talked to his family about coming back, his wife was horrified and his kids were crying. I was this close to never, ever returning to something I love. But then an old friend convinced me otherwise. A friend that stood by me throughout this entire ordeal. Kim and assumed he was talking about him. They shook hands. Then Chavo revealed that the friend in question wasn't Kidman. Stomped a mud hole in him. Crowd was into this, but not nearly to the extent you'd think after all the hype. 
And we never found out who the friend was. <laughs> uh, Chavo Guerrero Jr. is an exceptionally trusting pro wrestler. Oh, yes. His track record speaks for itself. I mean, I, if I was a wrestler, I don't know if I'd ever want to work with Billy Kidman again after that. Yeah. I mean, it's a move that he had been increasingly frequently messing up, that he had a history of messing up before, that he pretty much always did the least graceful and controlled version of anyway. And he was, yeah, Chavo was still willing to work a program with him or something after. Also, it's weird seeing late stage pre-hair transplants Chavo. Kevin's like Disco Inferno. Does he not? Oh, with the jacket, especially, and the ha- the way the hair is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and his uh, in-ring polish he's put on at this time. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Heyman met with Big Bad John and said Teddy wanted to cancel his match. Brian guess he finally watched some OVW tapes. John said no. He wanted the match. Heyman, told Te- Heyman said Teddy was worried about him attacking fans or officials. So therefore, the only way the match was taking place was if he wore a straight jacket to and from the ring. Heyman said he wanted to advise against this because if he was in a straight jacket, he'd be fair game to the Undertaker. John said he didn't care and demanded to be strapped in. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Then we got close here from the Survivor Series press conference, and which leads to Heinrich versus Shannon Moore. Shannon looks like a completely different human being. Foolishly attacked him before he had a chance to remove his straight jacket. Heinrich killed him, although Shannon did get a small flurry in. Big Bad John was hilarious, screaming, Come on, Shannon Moore! <laughs> John finally fed him after a boss man slam. He was completely exposed, but this went too long. Paul put him in a straitjacket afterwards for the agreement, and then John demanded the mic. Undertaker! Teddy Long said you would deal with me on your terms! Your time! His terms! My time! Tonight! Surprisingly, John actually memorized all this. He didn't have to read from a script or nothing. No taker. Though he did come out during the break and kill John again. And look at this era Paul Heyman uh, fashion is something else, isn't it? Uh, where he's wearing a peach turtleneck and a members-only jacket, yes. He's looking like a Jewish psychiatrist Paul Heyman here, doesn't he? <laughs> or he's kind of dressed like a Dewey Donovan in a way as well. If he does have the airbrushed uh, jackets and stuff. Actually, I'm knowing some of the stuff about Heyman and what he took his persona from. I wonder if this is what Steve Carroll dressed like. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> was it? Oh, I'm trying to remember if this was on a podcast we did or if it was off air. I just remember uh, John Philip Havage describing Steve Carroll to me, and he's giving this description, and then I'm like, "Are you wait? Are you trying to describe the president of Sharp Records in Wayne's World?" <laughs> He was like, yes, exactly. Oh, man. You can see that being someone Heyman would take style cues from. Yeah. Tori then met with Jan, the makeup lady, and was appalled about Carlito. I had to wash my hair twice to get all that out, she explained. And she's supposed to be a babyface? Kenzo then appeared and saying, you are so beautiful to me. <laughs> oh, my God. What? Teddy walked up and said he was going to go straighten out Carlito. Brian will let know to everyone who saw the seven that Tori had actually taken numerous acting lessons. Teddy straightening out was telling him that wasn't nice. They suggested Carlito might have stabbed John Cena. What a prick. 
Carlito denied it and refused to answer any more questions. And I think they cut out the You Are So Beautiful for music rights reasons. Yes. Orlando Jordan it with Booker and wanted to talk about the six-man later. Booker didn't want anything to do with him and stormed off. Then we get Edge against Mark Jindrak. Brian says, I'm not making this matchup. No, it's Eddie Guerrero versus there. Mark Jindrak. Eddie Guerrero, excuse me. That's one of those Edge. Eddie Guerrero against Mark Jindrak. Luther Reigns was out there with Jindrak looking dapper in his suit. They were at the headlock forever early. Eddie did a good job as possible here. On the bright side, it was a good crowd. So when Luther tripped them, they were appalled. Eddie had three suplexes and went up top, but Luther stopped him. Eddie kicked him in the gut, and the ref ejected him. And he was, he was hurting him backstage. Kurt Angle threw the ring bell in. Ginger put it on his stomach, and so Eddie hurt himself with a frost splash. Never mind the fact that Eddie hit Ginger with a frost splash while Ginger had a ring bell on his stomach, and Ginger didn't, didn't feel a thing. This is okay. Teddy Long met with Paul Heyman next, who said, Big Bad John, one of the, one of the favor. You guessed it. Heinrich versus The Undertaker. Done. Teddy said Paul was so happy. Teddy then told him there was more. He needed to sign a contract from The Undertaker, and he was sending Paul to go get it. If he don't sign by next week, Teddy said no match. Tough Enough Stuff was airing throughout the show. Yeah, there's RBD no chapter Ray marks for it on the network. Well, we're about to have get into it. RBD okay. Booker and Ray had a meeting. Booker said he wanted no part of this match, and all he asked was that they stay out, all stay out of his way and let him do his thing. So after Ray... So after this is where the Tough Enough is, Vic. So what what does this say on your own thing here? Okay, so after which segment? After RVD and Ray. Okay. Uh, I go, go there. I wonder if it's even on the network. So I'm okay, going to so go the next there. segment. I know, I know I've seen t – oh, unless – did they – okay, it is on here. There it is. Okay. Yeah, that's weird that oh, there's so no re chapters for it, though. Rewind. So rewind back. But is go. this the segment that we're going to be wanting to look for? Well, this is cool for different reasons. Rewind back. Well, I was thinking about the Marty Wright thing i know but this but we have other people to talk about here oh i see yeah this is a lot to not have a there, there's, there's one right, right this is a lot to not have a have a chapter marker and i i remember screen recording some of this before and i don't think i had to look this hard for it um and now i'm gonna have to refresh again where are we right now 105 okay um <laughs> that's weird though i'm trying to remember if they have like a tough enough well, SmackDown tough enough, like um, like collection on the network though. Going back further, I don't know. and further. Yeah, this thing's like ten minutes long, and there's no chapter thing. It's very strange. All right, was that the beginning of the segment or? No, it's not. <laughs> Jesus Christ, how long is this thing? What the fuck? I don't remember this being this long. Are we gonna watch the whole thing? No. We just need to sit to find the, the right spot. What did you want to see besides Marty Wright, I guess is the question. Well, The Miz is on there. Ryback's on there. Okay. But you didn't go back to... Well, no, because it keeps... it keeps what. So where am I going? Like 56? I don't know. Okay. Let's see. Oh, is that John Studd's son? Yes. Yeah. This thing is really long. Was this all one segment on the show, or did they move it on the network? They may have moved it on the network. Right, because yeah, there's yeah. Dave was saying that this all aired throughout the show, right? Okay, so now we're just about there. That's weird. All right. All right. All right. All right. Dude, dude, keep an eye on Booker T tonight, man. No telling whose side he's on. I got your back. I'll take care of your back, though. Got it. Let's take care of business. 
I agree with Rob Van Dam. You got to keep your eye on Booker. I don't know whose side is on either. You got to watch him. Well, the champion showcase coming up in just a bit. But ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, it is the one million dollar toughen up. This past weekend, I mean, Venice Beach, then. California, there were over one thousand applicants. We brought fifty to Venice Beach. We narrowed it down to eight finalists and what a weekend it was big time i mean you know what i don't think it's about the million dollars i mean sure it's great for one of these young athletes <laughs> to win a million dollar contract Brian, yeah, that's, that was awesome. hilarious. that's great i think it's about the desire the passion the dedication that they show here and how tough it really is to try and become a wwe superstar and the privileges that you know i've been fortunate enough to have to be in that ring and unfortunately smackdown's not long enough to really tell all these stories of all, all these young people but i'll tell you what this tough enough, and I've been a part of all the other tough enoughs, will be the toughest tough enough of all time. Oh, God. Look at Repetitive Jones over here. Welcome, everybody, to the Million Dollar Tough Enough. I came here for one thing only, to get that million dollars. Oh, this is magnificent. Let's do it. You look at the winner right here. Right back. And obviously, I know I'm going to make it. Not being khaki, I'm just confident. <laughs> you guys should be excited to be here because of the, out of thousands and thousands and thousands yeah, of so. entries, you 50 today have the opportunity of a lifetime. It's Gallows. Yeah, I just saw him. There's Peter. Peter, yeah. The chance to be a part of the most elite group of sports entertainment. Right back again. Rodimer again. Athletes in the world, the WWE. I mean, this is like a dream come true. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Who's that? He looks familiar. I don't know. Huge opportunity. Oh. Gotta have hardness. This is no joke. Look, there ain't no losers here today. Nice guys. Good looking kids. Nice to meet them all. They're all here for oh. the same purpose. Everybody else. Brian Danovich, he's a finalist, right? I think he's high in the yeah high in the standings. Yeah, there's different backgrounds. I've never pulled a truck. Cyber arms. I've never ultimate fought. I'm not a powerlifter. Professional wrestler. I'm a sports entertainer. This is the only thing I was put on the earth to do, and this is the only thing that I'm gonna do. And here we are, beautiful Venice Beach, California. This is the ring I need to be in. Brian Danovich, Brooklyn, New York, number eight, baby. These are the turnbuckles that my head needs to be hidden into. Look at me. I got everything it takes to create my. Not to sound overconfident, not to sound cocky, but see, everybody else has dedicated their lives to everything else. I've dedicated everything I've had in my body and my heart and my mind to professional wrestling. Your day is going to consist of first starting with an obstacle course. You're an Olympic athlete! You need 10 seconds faster than the Then we'll go to a bench press test of 225 pounds. That's a new record. That's 36. Then to a 40-yard dash, run, run, run. And then most importantly, we'll have a charisma and personality test. You have the heart, but do you have any personality? Because right now, you've got the personality of a cadaver. Show us a million dollars worth of personality, because right <laughs> now, I just stand in there, Now understand that throughout this day, that at any time, for any reason, you can be cut. Give it all. <laughs> Give it all you've got. <laughs> Good luck. Go! Every square, what I just tell you, get back, put the hips down, ah, is not a number, over, under, over, hurry up, one, you're supposed to be an athlete.
Are you okay? Yeah, five minutes. Wow, that was impressive. Dude just falling out. Exhaustion. Is it me or does it seem like because he's the reality TV guy, they're deliberately straying from showing Miz acing the obstacle course and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because that's the thing everyone forgets. Like, Miz is a pretty excellent athlete. Yeah. And if I remember right, was among the best on the obstacle course and stuff here. Yeah. You gotta get me, boy! You want me! You You're supposed to be the best we got. You better dig deep, boys. You better dig deep. It only gets harder. It only gets harder. Go. Time. One forty-one. One minute thirty-six seconds. One thirty-four. Good time. So they show Miz having registered a good time, but they don't show his actual any run in any way. Yeah. The bar has been set. Oh, thanks. Okay. No, it's working. Or is it? Come on. He's trying. Sixteen years! There we and go. you say you're going to step up in front of 40 other guys, but you got enough heart because, oh, you want to win the million dollars? Go buy a damn lottery ticket! You got one chance! I'm stepping up. Let's do it. Ready to get some? Yes, sir. Go. Who's that character? Go. Every square. The guy with the Meyer tattoo. Oh, maybe. Oh, John. Inner strength and my pride. That's about the guy that's got the mind. Oh, I don't know. From the men in my family. Very, very strong men in my family. Let's go, Navy Blue. Go, 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 go. Knock him out. Who is that? I have no idea. Come on, come on. Eight, nine, I want to be a strong individual. You know what I mean? If strong comes across as the best time they've given so far. You know, it's not necessarily meant to be that way. I definitely give everyone the respect that you need to give. My name is Daniel Rodimer. Rodimer? Wait, is that the actual pronunciation? I guess so. Rodimer. How about that? Finest carpetbagger in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. Winless. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. You're a little cocky, aren't you, Dan? No, just confident. Well, I wouldn't consider myself cute. I would consider myself <laughs> hot. Every superstar has to have. Oh, you can see where Stephanie went on fire. <laughs> Why do you back off? <laughs> so I'm trying to steal my spotlight. I want you guys to make out a little bit. Start with two girls, by the way. Get over that wall. Grab that rope. Grab that rope. Growing up, I was always wild and crazy. He looks like a brainless Josh Bishop. But he looks like Terra Rising. Yeah, he kind of does, yeah. A, a modern version of Terra Rising with that hair. Hmm. I think Easy. you can see where Stephanie would like this guy. Yeah. All over the place. <laughs> Every square. <laughs> I always have to get put in my place very often, but uh, most of the time I talk my way out of the trouble that I got myself into. I got what it takes. Are you? It's easy to say. Can you show it? We'll show it show right now. If I had a million dollars, it would probably just increase all the fun I'm having now. John, your father was Big John's stud. Yes, sir. Did you make your father proud by being in WWE? You finished this thing. You're second generation. This step is really going to make him proud. This isn't about the money for me at all. Come on, John. You know what it takes. 
You grew up with this. You better have the emotion for this. Too much upstairs to give up. Million dollars won't bring you home for your kid's birthday. Million dollars won't get you home for your wife's anniversary. This business consumes you. Push it. Push it. What makes the greats great is the passion they have for this business. I'm here to make my own path here. Wow. Got, got you on camera. Got Here you. we go. Number two, champ. Marty Wright! You want to be a wrestler? Yes, sir! With all my heart and soul. Maybe we should jump rope, Marty. I'll tell you right I now. Got you got it. It. I got it! I got it! What an animal. I came to entertain. What I don't get! What I don't get! My haircut may be funny to you, but it's my style. Not about the makeup. It's no, not sir. about the funny hair. Yes, sir. It's about here. Yeah. You're 30 years old. That's yes, a little sir. late to be starting. No, it is what it is. It's now is the time. I'm not looking back. 30. I'm looking forward. I want that job, man. Show us something. And show us something now, because you're not going to get a second chance if you don't. Couldn't tell if I did something or if it started buffering for some reason. Oh. Are you back? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, you know it broke up for a like second. That, my connection. How bad I'm just leaving it because I can't edit the audio. You ran your mouth, John. Here's your chance. Show you a man. Let's have a little entertainment now. Here we go. I got a mic in my hand. I got a ring on my feet. I need to get something in here. Just need a brain in your head. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Give me your best Bruiser Brody. You see the guy in the Gallows. shirt there? Go pick him up. Uh, hey, brother. How you doing, man? So, uh, you like man? Not really. I'll run out into the ocean, but you can <laughs> if you want me to right now. Head first in the water. Don't you just dip in there. Well, obviously, he's already learned the uh, first wrestling move, a small package. Oh. Well, that's something that couldn't happen today. The skinny <laughs> dipping or that comment. House! Is my dogs in the house? That's right! You want to impress us? Yeah. I like how oh, he watching... Heard he heard himself. Yeah, you can f- just hear Kevin Dunn's brain exploding that they're shooting on the one overcast day in Venice Beach. <laughs> yeah, dude, tore, definitely tore something. Danovich. Ah. Wait, does he get aced out of the competition then? Yeah, because it is guys, a thing. Day two, my friends. Day two. In for another day of um, hell... Just to inform you, two guys have already dropped out. If you're not willing to give the commitment it's going to take to do this, just walk on because I don't want to waste your time, and I sure as hell don't want you to waste ours. I'm personally the best 260 pound athlete there is in the world, and you know if I can show that today, then Josh I'm great. Mallard. This dude UGA. Best 260 pound athlete. I went to the University of Georgia. 
and I've played NFL for the past three years. It's an obstacle course. Uh, I've done a lot of things in the NFL that are harder than a lot of these guys have ever even imagined. While you were laying there, trying to be resuscitated, brought back to life, you were telling me that you were in great shape and couldn't understand what was happening. I think you're the most delusional man I've ever met. You want to give up? You want to quit? Then knock him out. So I don't want to waste anybody else's time here. Appreciate everything y'all done for me. And big, I made my decision. I'm gonna stick with football, man, and I'm sorry, but uh, thanks again for everything. What? Well, at least he tried. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing gonna stop me. I won't lie, I'm in tremendous pain. Look at that! Look at that arm! Here comes the front part. Oh, fellas, it's a little longer than the Cody. Yeah. May as well keep going. Ah. Back. And I laid awake all night saying, this was it. I won't get that chance to fulfill my dream because of this injury. And I came out here today and I said, no matter what, I am going to give it everything. Don't you dare quit. Ah. But with one arm holding those two cans. Those old rocks. Going over the walls. Crawling, sand in your mouth. Lower. Go. I went and I did it. Torn bicep, torn pectoral. I didn't quit. How bad do you want this? More than anything in the world. I'm gonna get the chance of a lifetime one day, cause I got what it takes. Injury or no injury, I'm coming to the big time. I showed them something today that you can't all of a sudden train to have. Today you showed a tremendous amount of heart, a tremendous amount of passion. You showed everybody out here just exactly what this business is about, why we do this. Thank you for that. Thank you, sir. Ryan, I'm sorry. You're injured, you're cut. Okay, so I just remembered wrong. He was very memorable because of this, clearly. And they let him oh, do all that shit with a fucking torn bicep, and they cut him. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Oh, oh, Jesus, at least Cody had a contract. I mean, they should. I mean, they shouldn't even had him do anything. No. Also, wow. watching this, it gets very uncomfortable seeing how much Al Snow is in everyone's personal space when he's doing this stuff. Well, but I'm just saying that that, that that's uh, that some like that would not go over today. God damn, Having a God that's the business. Do, doing that and then cutting him because of that. They should have just said you cannot compete no more. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really hope that I get the pleasure and privilege to one day be a part of this family. Thank you. Hey, Brian. 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 You didn't oh. make it here because you're injured. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pay for your injury to get fixed and send you down to OVW and give you a developmental deal. Whoa. Okay, that's what I remembered. I knew there was okay. something that stuck Thanks out. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nice guy. At 24 years old, I just got accepted into the only family I've ever wanted to be in. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do and make them know that that was a great decision. Gotta sign this NDA first. He's dead now, too. Yeah, I saw he, uh, he passed in uh, 2018. 
38 years old. 38 years old. This is the true story of when the man's came to the million dollar tough enough challenge. In seventh grade, it was a dream of mine to be on the real. As stupid as it sounds, corny as it sounds, you know. The man. I feel almost like, you know, I mean, Phil Listener saying, oh, you have such an advantage. I feel like an underdog because I have more for them to pick on me about. You know, I was on a reality show. Whoop de do. You're going to prove that it's not just to be on TV. You're going to prove you really want to do this for the right reasons. Yes, sir. And we're going to see, aren't we? After the first real world that I was ever on, I looked myself in the mirror and I asked myself, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a professional wrestler. When uh, Bill said, Mike, you're up, I was like, okay, you know, I have to prove him to, that I can do this. I'll be down. Okay, now they're showing his obstacle for I made it. But I, the thing is, I mean, I, I have a feeling this is going to be very, very tough for us. They kind of built up. Quick say quit. You're going to quit? Quick say quit. No! No way. Never die. No way. I'll never die. No, sir. baby. I came here for a career. I respect this with all my heart. Do the proper thing. Take the proper steps to get what you want in life. I guarantee you it'll happen. I see here you uh, work with underprivileged children. Yes, sir. NGU. Never give up foundation for underprivileged kids. You teach them integrity? I teach them honestly. Respect. Honestly. Passion. How old are you? 30. How old are you? 30. Don't lie to us. How old are you? 30. You lying to us? 30. What's your license say? 30. <laughs> what does your birthday say in your license? My birthday says... Read it to me. 7-15-64. That's right. I am 40. That's right. And just to prove to you young bucks, to you young bucks, as I did today and yesterday. Yes, sir. Marty, I think you're a tremendous athlete. You look great. We can't stand lying. It's one thing we don't have. You're cut. I was looking at a license. You had your chance. I'd have more respect for you knowing you're 40 years old out here because you know why? You're an incredible athlete. But in life, as you teach your children you work with, you lie, you're going to get burned. You are cut. Please leave. I don't want to leave. I just don't want to leave, man. I'm so disappointed, Marty, because he was such an incredible person. He just stood out all around. It was just sad that Marty chose to lie about his age. In this rust, you live and die by your word. And if you're not a man of your word, then I don't want anything to do with you. Well, wouldn't he have been ineligible, though? Wasn't it max 35 or something? I, I guess. Well, I, I guess we can stop here. Yeah, it's not because, like I mean, we need Daniel Pewter's that. sparkling personality. Alright, so this is what Brian said. Uh first very first guy said he came here for one of his own win the million dollars. That's Taz said it wasn't about the million dollars. I like the guy who got the busting character in his costume. My god, this week was all clips from the tryouts. Hugh Morris is the same as usual. Guys are collapsing, throwing up left and right. I was told this one guy had the person of a cadaver. Al told this one guy, excuse me. Some of these guys annoyed the shit out of me. It's particularly Dan, the big tall blonde bodybuilder. They focus a lot on John Studd's son, who was cut because he couldn't do shit that John Studd also couldn't do in 100 years. Some of these guys were machines, particularly a guy who Brian assumed must have been the Battle Dome guy since he was wearing face paint. He was a dude cut lying. This, by the way, explains why Satanico never worked for WWE, since Brian once saw him DQ'd for lying. Word travels fast. <laughs> 
some huge guy tore his pec and biceps doing nine reps of 225. Brian will let him know that last week, Brian did nine reps of 205, and he's 145 pounds. A small did not tear pec or biceps. Well, good for you, Brian. The guy with the torn pec tried to keep going with one arm as Al and Hugh goaded him on. Then when he was done, Al cut him. Just when the poor guy was about to kill himself. Oof. Bad choice of words. Uh, considering. Someone, maybe big, told him they were going to pay for his surgery. Then give him the developmental deal and send him to OVW. They finally chose the final eight and said they'll all be live next week. Yep, after one week, fans are going to be allowed to vote guys off. For all of you who laughed at Brian and mocked them for suggesting this would go 20 minutes every week, it went 21. And did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that WWE cannot, st- cannot stand lying? It's true. On Tough Enough this week, this huge black guy with face paint, Marty, looked great, cut great promos, had a charisma of 10 men, and was a hell of an athlete, but got cut. Why, you ask? Well, you see, Clint, he was 30, and he was really 40. We can't stand lying, he was told. All of you reading this are now aware of this fact, and they can change your lives and dealings with worse entertainment accordingly. When people lie, WWE gets upset. They hate liars. A person who lies is not welcome in the WWE family. WWE only wants to employ and play before honest folks, folks who tell the truth, folks who do not lie. I'll bet you never knew this fact. I sure didn't. And now I have a new respect for WWE. Before, I thought the company was infested with workers and carny types who thrived on manipulating the emotions of the fans and lying to their faces in an effort to blatantly and unrepentantly fleece from their, their hard-earned money. But I was so wrong, and I'm really, really sorry. So no more lying. Vince, Stephanie, Linda, and Shane Hunter and everyone else working there doesn't like it. Have some common courtesy. Thank you. And how about Brian didn't cover the main event? <laughs> well... As for this policy against liars, though. That bullshit! <laughs> yeah. Alright, so, um... In the main event was Booker and RVD and Ray against uh, JBL, Renew Dupree, and Kenzo. So, no wonder you didn't cover it. Alright, SmackDown uh, drew a 3.16 rating. 3.55 realistic rating. That's made 4.68 million viewers. The rating was down a little, but the competition was strong as usual. With the, strong with the usual Thursday night shows on NBC and CBS, all of which were down with competition from the seventh game of the National League Championship Series. The show drew a 4.3 in New York, 3.5 in Los Angeles, 3.7 in Chicago, 4.3 in Philly, 2.9 in Frisco, 2.6 in Boston, 4.7 in Dallas, 2.1 in D.C., 3.1 in Detroit, 3.3 in Atlanta, and 4.3 in Houston. Way below usual since the Astros were in the seventh game. Interesting that peaking all five of the top Matt Marcus was. Eddie and Jendrak, and that's with Jendrak having no drawing power, with Undertaker on the show, Eddie is to draw. We have estimates of the seven-by-segment. Chavo and Kim and Angle gained 300,000 viewers, although that's probably more due to it being early in the show. Heinrich versus Shannon Moore held even. Eddie and Jendrak gained 300,000. Tough Enough gained about 150,000 to a 3.4, which is the peak of the show. The main event, Booker Ray and RVD against JBL Dupree and Suzuki lost 450,000 viewers after Tough Enough and ended at 3.1, which is not good. Then again, considering how these these guys have been portrayed, nobody takes the them as main eventers after being underneath for so long, except possibly JBL, and really they don't win with him either. I guess I need to remind everyone what Dave calls a realistic rating is. Well, you do every time, so I might as well continue. Well, it's not like he explains it. Because... Uh, UPN and then later CW are not in every market, and certainly at this point they were not close to every market. To make it more comparable to Raw, Dave would calculate a realistic rating, because any network TV ratings out of all households with TVs, even if 
certain markets don't have UPN or whatever. So Dave would take a percentage out of the number of households that have UPN. So that's what a realistic rating is when Dave uses that term, but I don't know if anyone else does. So there you go. Anyway, let's move on to something more interesting. Bruce Pritchard returned to Raw on the 25th. He was backstage producing pre-taped segments and was also in the agents meeting going over the show. He's at this point not on the writing team. It was Pritchard's spot when he left on sabbatical that Heyman got on the SmackDown writing team. Pritchard and John Laurinaitis appeared to be the most unpopular people when it came to talent, at least on the SmackDown side. One thing about Laurinaitis is that he does appear to be far more honest than most if put in that position. Dave knows of examples of when talent would ask him about things that he'd say things that were direct and without being soft for politics. He told one wrestler outright, and this was wonderful for, for morale, but the truth, that he didn't see him as someone who could draw. <laughs> if the recent problems between Flair and Foley, they started when Foley called up Laurinaitis to complain about Flair's statements by him on the UK promotional trip because he thought they were wrong for business. Foley asked Laurinaitis if Flair was serious in that what he said or was saying it just because he had planned to do an, a program later in the year. Dave thinks most of wrestling would have just told Foley that, of course. Flair was working the comments and working the comments in the book to build a money feud. Instead, and you can judge this as good or bad, Laurinaitis called Flair. Flair said he was serious. So Laurinaitis told Foley the truth. If Laurinaitis had lied, they probably have had that major match pay-per-view and had some best interviews of the year plugging it. So in the circumstances, you really have to say he told the truth when Dave had to think most would have either outright lied or at least softened it enough to save the program. Well, let's go to the torch on this. More people have come out saying that Pritchard was let go because Laurinaitis believed that he was not fully part of his team and was still communicating with the old guard, quote-unquote, and undermining his efforts to establish his authority. Another WWE insider familiar with the word in the front office on Pritchard is that he was so used to being able to do his duties on his schedule that when Laurinaitis assigned him duties for the week and he checked in on Wednesday to see how they were coming, Pritchard wouldn't have started those specific tasks yet. He wouldn't show Ace the respect for his new position that Ace wanted, said the source. He had old loyalties to the wrong people, and it cost him. Among wrestlers, Pritchard was praised as being reliable, respected, and someone who got along with everyone. How about that, huh? <laughs> Everybody loves Brucey. And then, almost 20 years later, these two were still back working together again with, with under Vince. Huh. Amazing. Well, Ace isn't anymore. No, that's about when well, Vince was in it. charge. Well, yes. No, that's about when Vince was in charge. That he, these are the two guys he had with him as his lieutenants. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. Vince was in a raw smackdown this week because he was recovering from an undisclosed surgery. And just the fact it was undisclosed has people worried. This is 2004. He is scheduled to return this week. Stephanie was in charge. And the atmosphere was described as chaotic. Vince was involved in the creative process by telephone, but it slowed everything down. The scripts weren't finalized until 7 p.m., which isn't Nitro, but it's unheard of for Raw. Oh, just you wait. The same situation took place for SmackDown in Omaha. David Lagana was on vacation, so Heyman was doing even more dealing with wrestlers than usual. There are people noting that when Vince couldn't be there, he didn't send Shane, but instead sent Triple H to SmackDown to help Stephanie. <laughs> His real son. Of course. Now, Kale Sanderson, the Olympic gold medalist, was at the Raw show in Des Moines. Dave doesn't believe there's any interest from either side in him doing WWE, as he's far too shy and doesn't like the limelight. Ross mentioned him during the broadcast, several split women backstage. Surprisingly, since Sanderson was sitting front row at the show, he's never shown on camera, and a lot of the wrestlers, most notably Randy Orton, ended up acknowledging him in front of the crowd after the show went off the air. 
Well, they knew. They knew he wasn't going to be a WWE guy. Yeah. Too small, too. That's another thing. So. What weight class did he wrestle at? When he won, won, what was his weight? 191, uh, according to 191. Six foot 191. I mean, he could have bulked up, but I don't know. And these days, he's the Penn State head coach. That's right. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's, yeah, he, he sure is. He's won nine coaching cha- NCAA championships. Not bad. Oh, so he's won a lot more national championships than certain other Penn State coaches. <laughs> yes. Raw notes from Des Moines on October 25th. It was a hot crowd, and they were lucky because they ended up booking far too much talking, particularly in the first 75 minutes. Lots of signs and a half dozen right in front of the camera were Ring of Honor signs. Oh, what? Did Colby and Nick from Davenport bring those? <laughs> Maybe. When Triple H was out, there was a sign right on camera reading Samoa Joe, real world champion. <laughs> okay, I'm curious to see who's holding this. <laughs> it was thrown out there so much that Dave thought if Vince was there, or Triple H saw them instead of looking at the camera in the other direction, they call him up, bring him in, and job him out just out of spite. <laughs> well, that's almost what happened a few years later. <laughs> They showed the Bischoff-Eugene match of Fairview and the haircut. Bischoff came out, and he wasn't bald, and he didn't look goofy at all. He said he was leaving for the night and letting the inmates run the asylum. That's not WCW, Knox. There's WCW people you said about WCW when it was going down. Evolution came out. This was seriously so lame. The most talked about thing coming out of the Fairview was Ric Flair and Randy Orton hugging in the show. Match got both guys over his baby face is strong. Well, crowd rash is strong and not money strong. Well, come television, it was never acknowledged whatsoever. Flair came out with evolution, teasing no dissension. Fairview close was never brought up, and he was still hating Randy Orton. Dave can't stress strong enough how much this kind of stuff makes nobody care about anything. And the death of wrestling is, no matter what the ratings may say, when people watching no longer care. Yeah? Orton came out, and it was set up as Flair versus Orton, and if Orton won, he faced Triple H Survivor Series for the title. If Orton lost, he'd never get another title shot. As long as Triple H is champion, which guarantees no title change until WrestleMania. What was scary was when they teased Triple H resorting for the title Survivor Series, there was no pop at all. As even this hot crowd didn't see it as anything special. All right, you style got the sign there. It's a dude wearing a, wearing a, a mask. We got uh, Ultimo Dragon uh, Ultimo. Mask, and his friend has a great Sasuke mask. Gee, I wonder who those people might be. Well, okay, I just realized... Triple H fears Pat Patterson is a sign, too. That's great. If we're going with the idea of speculating that it's Rollins and Merrick, they have started wrestling at this point, right? Yeah. So there's a chance they might want to hide their identities while being fans at a show like this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. If if they're in the front row on hard cam. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? We've got a CM Punk sign. <laughs> Uh, it's a lot of signs for 2004 in general. Yes, it is. Uh, Batista. Batista fierce personality. That's great. <laughs> and it appears to have caught Batista's eye. But anyway, I I I I'm curious to ask around and find out if perhaps those fans are who were half joking that they might be. Anyway, let's go forward in the newsletter. Shelton Benjamin pinned Chris Jericho. There's a nice seat title in 1027. Shelton blocked the walls and turned into a combination front row of the cradle. What are body scissors for the pin? 
Significantly better than their pay-per-view match. They shook hands afterwards, and Jericho left, looking depressed. Christian laid shut down after the match, would have unprettier, then grabbed the belt and left. Backstage, Ray Flair was trying to hit on Christy Hemme, using all of his four horsemen lines from the 80s. She blew him off. She's making $250,000 this year, not working house shows, and they got no ideas for her. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Now, the thing is, Christy, I mean, Christy Hemme, we talked about this before, I mean, she was, you know, very motivated and wanted she to be w- part of things. She wanted to learn how to work. She did but it's improve like, a lot. They just didn't know what to do. It seems like they didn't anticipate anyone from uh, no. Diva they Search they were... being that gung-ho. Exactly. Exactly. They just thought they were... They, they want, all they wanted to do was be eye candy, and that's it. Yes. Um, so why, the rec- should, why should they work house shows? For the record, the earliest Rollins match on Cage Match is a SCW Pro Show in Donahue, Iowa on August 21st, where he wrestled as Gix. Is that your cousin, Gix? Bix and Gix? Colby Gixon's man. <laughs> Bix and Gix. All right. Um, Jericho bumped into Triple H while this was going on. Evolution followed Jericho to bully him. But all the babyfaces must still be Benoit, Rhino, and Maven back down Evolution. They had a clip of Edge costing Sean to talk to Tebo Tuesday. Edge did a very good interview talking about how he's overcome a broken neck, foot injury, and broken wrist, and torn groin the past few months. That even his hometown fans booed him at SummerSlam. He finished your place two weeks ago, won a three-way the week after, but the fans still vote for Michaels, costing the title shot he deserved. He said he wasn't coming back to Raw until he's ready. Or in other words, until he's done with his honeymoon. Oh yes, that's right. He just got married. We'll talk. I think we actually have that coming up. Uh, Michaels came out and did an even better promo, basically kissing up to the fans, saying he had to wrestle on the bad knee because the fans voted for him. So he's been hurt because people beat on him for 20 years, but for Edge to be getting so hurt so often, he must be clumsy and fragile. He said all the guys need to do more for the fans. Maven did a promo when Batista came out. Batista treated him like dirt. Maven slapped him in the face. Maven pinned Batista in 316 with a Toyota Roll. How about that result, folks? So they decided to push it. Maybe because they feel they need a tough enough start getting a push. The only other choice is Nydia. Batista was chasing him down the aisle, and he was crawling away, which they wouldn't have done this early. Until Ben Juan Jericho came out to stop Batista. Chris Nowinski, Mark Henry, and an unidentified Garrison Cade were at a college trying to get people to vote. Oh, that's right. We're in election season. And this is a presidential election season, too, at this point in time. Bush against Kerry. Uh, Trish Stratus, who was kept off because of an injury, was browbeating Lita for causing Matt Hardy and Kane to get hurt and called her chubby. Now that's fighting words. And Lita jumped her. Dave well, remember, it. she's supposed to be pregnant. Well, Dave says, I can't believe it. Oh, well, no, not anymore. No, wait a second. No, she's already had the Dave miscarriage, says, so she's ex-pregnant. Yeah, Sorry. Yes. Dave can't believe they didn't forget about this angle now that Lita's no longer playing pregnant. Flair pinned Orton in 1455. It was Flair's sixth match in eight days, all of which were headline matches. He always works hard, but he looks so old and tired out there. They need to protect him more because he's never going to say no. That's the truth. And he's never going to take it easy. That's the truth. Even if it's for his own good. That's the truth. He even took a suplex on the floor. Some minor timing issues, but crowd was heavily into it by the end. Not as good as their preview match, but if you could get back being scared that Flair was going to take a big bump and not get up, it was a good match. 
Orton had messed up RKO. Batista came up, but Jericho made him want to beat on him. All they could think of was three push baby faces were attacking one heel, and that's how to get a heel over as a baby face. Well, they were trying to get Batista over as a baby face. Triple H had Orton with a chair and flair pinned him. They did the exact same angle two months in a row. Dave couldn't believe it. Triple H tried to run, but there was faces everywhere hunting him down. He jumped in the ring where Benoit gave him three German suplexes. Jericho gave him a lion saw. Orton laid him out with an RKO. Again, it takes three faces to take down one heel. Well, with Triple so, H, that's because he is the top baby face. <laughs> I guess you could say that. So that's Monday Night Raw. No clips. All right, a number. Let's go to the torch. The number of people we've been WWE were talking about last week's cover story, the transition from Jim Ross to John Laurinaitis as talent relations vice president. Is one out that Laurinaitis does the win over the confidence of me and the wrestlers, including Triple H, who isn't completely sold on him yet. Stephanie is said to be his biggest backer at this point. As far as Laurinaitis' relationship with Vince, as one wrestler, Vince knows some, but not the whole story. Ace tells him what he wants to hear and knows what not to tell him. He's pretty devious. He's at a high level of sneaky, says the wrestler. What Ace doesn't realize is that it's okay to make mistakes, i.e. the Chris Jericho suspension blunder. It wouldn't be held against him if he didn't act the way he does. Uh, hey, Vince, did you know it's not sexual harassment if they're independent contractors? <laughs> he is sneaky. Yeah, and Stephanie, because uh, what is it that Dave would say in the coming years? That Laurinaitis was extremely talented at charming women in power? Mm-hmm. Of course. It's that sexy voice of his. Uh, I guess that. Yeah. All right. Stay with the torch. As far as Hunter's political rep behind the scenes, the feeling is he's had a good summer redeeming himself, but the last two months he's lost respect he, he regained. He has made what numerous people have said are being perceived as selfish moves that hurts the company. The overall way he carries himself has also rubbed people the wrong way. Hunter never reached the point of Steve Austin on the rocks, says one wrestler. He's been getting everything, but he's not there. It's a great worker. It's a great wrestling mind, but he made himself the star of the show, even when Chris Benoit was a champion. He's so much of the show that Randy Orton got lost in the last two months. Triple H is a proven commodity, but you know what you're getting, and it might not be enough. It's time to go all the way with someone new. But his mindset is he's the best. He deserves his push. In his mind, W is his playground. He runs it, says one wrestler. He's so wrapped up in his world, he doesn't separate things. He was a big advocate of the dress code in part because he wanted to live his part outside the ring, so he expected everyone else to project a similar image. If he weren't wearing suits, it's definitely everyone else would have to dress up now, too. Isn't it nice to see actual quotes in the newsletters? <laughs> um, any guesses on your part? Of who the wrestler is talking to Wade? Yeah. Well, Jericho's there. So he's uh, and did Jericho exactly have a good relationship with Wade in 2004? I don't know. They talked a lot to Wade. Aren't we in the middle of the Wade hates Jericho era at this point? I mean, I don't know. I know they were good at different times, but... There's no telling. I don't know. Some of that definitely sounds like Jericho. But I don't know. There's no one else I can really place it to. I mean, maybe... It doesn't sound like RVD, either of these. No. Um, who knows? It's all. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Kane will be filming his WWE produced movie on show for the next two or three months. Roman was the earliest he'd be back on pay per view. As far as his contract status, he has told people he's staying put in WWE after his movie. It's suspected he will return as a babyface if he was Snitsky, who for storyline purposes will be playing for his absence. So, pretty much what you'd expect. 
Instead, with Taurus, Kurt Angle continues to exert influence behind the scenes in SmackDown. The feeling on SmackDown that wrestlers that he's amazing as a wrestler, but mentally and ph- philosophically off based on business theory and also how to portray other wrestlers. His storyline ideas aren't great, says one wrestler. He says a lot of things that leave a lot of us shaking our heads. He comes off as unknowledgeable. He's also said to have an I'm better than you attitude that Rose Collie is the wrong way. So his creative ideas were an issue before he went to TNA and told Chris Saban he should do a pig pen gimmick. <laughs> yeah, Kurt Angle's not a wrestling mind. Let's put it that way. Wrestling machine, brother. He's a wrestling machine, but he doesn't have the wrestling mind. Booker T's problem was a rib injury, and he was kept out for a week and given limited duty this past week. On SmackDown, you can see the difference in how he looked just from a few weeks not being able to train. Which also tells you that we're back with Dave now. <laughs> yes. Sean had surgery, repairs meniscus, and his left knee on October 21st in San Antonio. and will be out of action for a few months. Edge missed the Raw shows this weekend, they believe, due to his honeymoon, as he was married last week for the second time. He has long since divorced his sister of Alvinas. Yes, this would be Lisa. Mm-hmm. Who, Which that one lasts very long either. No, that, that doesn't last long either. Even though, I mean, were both of them retired when he and Beth got together? <sighs> yeah, he was. I think she actually still may have been wrestling. She might have been, but I don't want to get obviously too much into their personal life, but when you see just how quickly his first two marriages ended, it is interesting that well, the one that lasted is another wrestler. There you go. So, there, you, there you go. And I'm not saying that as a negative or a positive. I'm no, just sorry, saying, yeah. I'm just saying that, I mean, that you have simpatica. Yes. You understand what the other person's going through more. All right, Giant Divine was upset that he created, believing they used the fact that he'd been stabbed in a fight and had surgery as his as the impetus for the John Cena stabbing the kidney angle and danger of dues and in danger of losing it on SmackDown with Carlito. They did come up with the stabbing only a week or two after it happened to Divine. Dave can certainly see where he'd think that because when Dave heard it, it was one of two things that immediately popped into his head. Timing is awfully coincidental with that one, but that but being that it was a Puerto Rican wrestler whose last name is Cologne, then screened us to the Bruiser Brody theory. Which more people inside wrestling have suggested to Dave, it could still be a coincidence with, with both. I lean more towards a cologne angle. Cologne part of it. It was still First a bad thing. idea. Well, yes. Eddie Guerrero's booked on house shows against Carlitos as a title match. He's actually argued he should do the job. Company plans for doing DQ finishes, which they did in Minneapolis. Right now, a great percentage of the wrestlers have been fans all their lives. And the mentality is the fans deserve winners and losers in matches as much as possible. Particularly on the house shows where nobody gets hurt seriously by doing jobs. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Trish has been having numbness in her hand. In many cases like Flair, Angle Arn, and Benoit and others, that's the first time of major neck problems. And I do not remember this going anywhere, do you? She didn't have the neck surgery. No. Oh, this is when she gets into yoga, isn't it? Yes. That's what it is. And she ended up being fine. Yeah. Good for her. Back to Figure Four Weekly. Oh, boy. WWE filed suit against Jack Pacific last week. According to press release by WWE, the suit arises out of litigation initially commenced by the SSAI against WWE and Connecticut State Court for Commissions. SSAI claimed they had earned while serving as WWE's licensing agent. That would During be uh, Stanley Shanker and Associates or whatever. During that litigation, WWE discovered certain irregularities in its licensing program beginning in 1998 timeframe when SSAI served as WWE's licensing agent and Bell served as WWE's senior vice president of licensing. 
Jim um, yeah. Yes, Jim Bell and merchandising. Like, Go ahead. Oh no! Oh, you want me to jump in now, or no? I'm just saying you were you were kept on interrupting me, so I'm just saying what 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 do you guys say? I'm just curious. I I, I don't like that. There's not more context here from Brian. <laughs> so I mean, I should yeah, I should probably set this up a little bit then. Now as I I scroll through it a little bit more, um, and we'll get some more details as Chris reads on in the press release, but. This is the whole kickback scheme that led to Jax really taking over full WWF toy license stuff. WW, uh, excuse me, Jax buying out the Playmates deal for the non-standard action figures, and Jax, despite not really having a video game at, arm at the time, getting the video game license, all because of kickbacks. Because people forget. It wasn't THQ that made the deal initially. It was Jax as a weird partnership with THQ. No Mercy in those games were technically published by Jax in conjunction with THQ. So there's all sorts of kickbacks. They filtered other deals away from WWF that they would have wanted, like Activision wanted to get the license and stuff. So Stanley Schenker was the third-party licensing agent. He he was who replaced... Um, Leisure Concepts, the future for kids entertainment as their licensing agent. And like Chris read, Bell, Jim Bell, was the head of licensing and merchandising at the time. So now let's go back to the press release. So now that we have the context for people to actually understand this. Specifically, though, he learned in the Connecticut State Court proceeding that SSAI split his commissions with Bell on various licenses allegedly procured by SSAI and recommended W management by Bell. We also learned that certain licensees have paid monies into a large foreign bank account controlled by Schenker during the time that he was W's licensing agent. In the Connecticut case, the court found that Stanley Schenker had committed serial perjury in order to cover his payments to Bell and the receipt of monies in, all, in a foreign bank account from W licensees, including Jacks, and granted a default judgment favor of WWE against SSAI on counterclaims asserted against SSAI. The court in Connecticut case has also granted partial summary judgment against Bell in favor of WWE on claims asserted against Bell by WWE. As Brian's merely a former pro wrestler and a rioter who probably could have dropped out of school in the sixth grade given how much attention he paid to it for following the following six years, he has no earthly idea what this means, but it sounds pretty bad. Brian knows for sure that's bad for Jax as their stock plunged from $22.11 per share to $18.81 as soon as this news came out. Well, at least Brian lets you know, Bix, that he has no idea what the hell's going on. Well, that's typical. Well, at least he's honest. Um, as we've alluded to at times in the past, all the this licensing department and stuff, when they rebuilt that in the post-steroid trial era, they made some bad hiring decisions and the like. You know, because Ausbruch uh, Diars, if that is his real name, was also in the mix with that. Um, let me see if I can find. There is an affidavit that Bell files in the DR's lawsuit that basically is giving his side, like, post-prison uh, of what happened. Let me see. Here we go. Yeah. Okay, good. I isolated this in the past. So... Oh no! Excuse me. This was from when they sued. This is from the Jim Bell. The excuse me. The lawsuit against Jim Bell, 
which also, I forgot that this all came out of them finding out about it. Stanley Schenker was greedy enough to file a lawsuit for, to try to get this money. That's amazing. I mean, think about that. How, play, how much of a play stupid games win stupid prizes is that? You know? Crazy. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, so here's Jim Bell's affidavit filed, oh, in our week, October 25th. Or excuse me, no. This was filed as an exhibit October 25th. He did this in May in the uh, local court case. Um, in 1998, I was facing, as I was facing the conclusion of my divorce, and at the same, excuse me, at the same, you mean same time, without realizing it, suffering from the effects of bipolar disease, Lyme disease, and sleep apnea, all of which had been diagnosed subsequently, I irrationally thought I was facing financial ruin. At that time, Stanley Schenker told me he could assist me by sharing the commissions he was receiving from WWE, which he said were more than I ever could have imagined. I did not have, and I've never had, a foreign bank account or, co or company. Schenker sent me two checks of $20,000 from Hong Kong. They were a share of a finder's fee from, the from a mold sale from Playmates to Jack's. I took no particular note of the fact that the checks were on a Hong Kong bank. I needed the money to start paying my divorce attorney and... The settlement to my wife, who received $20,000 of the sum. Schenker demanded invoices, and I provided them, blah, 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 blah. Schenker and Jax always told me the money was a finder's fee for the figures mold sale from Playmates to Jax. I have taken and passed two polygraph tests on this very issue. Um, a claim, because I guess a claim came up. I'm going to skip over this, because he says that was before he was in the company. Um... And then a more the acclaim offer, I guess, once they get to the bidding war, was not even close to the size and scope of either of the two offers from Activision and Jack slash THQ. Given that they included stock that was far more valuable than a claim, selling for five to ten times. But you get the idea. He's basically saying that he was in a health crisis, both physical and mental, uh, that led to him being susceptible to uh, Stanley Schenker's evil ways. Hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. I should probably read this part. In September of 1996, a wholesale purge took place at WWE's Worldwide Properties Department. It left only myself, some administrative staff, and Schenker on board. Shortly after this purge, a new uh, co-CEO, whose name I believe was Neville Meyer, began renegotiating Schenker's deal. I believe that involved a lower commission rate and exchange a longer term. This was negotiated entirely by Meyer and general counsel Ed Kaufman. I had nothing to do with this. I believe this was competing in 97 and not 98. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so it's basically it's he's tying this to, I guess, when they got rid of Vausper Diersch or something like that. Um, and then talking about people doing work on the side. But yeah, I mainly wanted to read it because he was, he was claiming that uh, he was claiming all this about how, how he fell into all this. Oh, and he does close with this. The contact, conduct in which I engaged was common at WWE during the time I was there and before I was there. It was tolerated, if not encouraged, by management. The official who hired me, Ausbert Diars, was one such person. And then says no one else had ever been asked to repay money or anything to WWE, blah, blah, blah. So this thing's such a clusterfuck. I've always wanted to dig into it more and write something. It's just there's so much work... There's so much work to be done that I don't know there's an art, anywhere I could get that would pay for it that would make it make sense. But there's a lot there, and there's a lot that can be found from digging into the court records from all these cases. 
Well, maybe one day. Yes, and but like I've joked before, if you want to know why those games were so bad for so many years, it's. <laughs> I would not be surprised if kickbacks require being involved in getting the license had something to do with it, and how maybe how some of the companies involved operated. But anyway, let's move on now to uh, another find upstanding human being, Matt Morgan. There's an idea of using Matt Morgan as a masked heel. He's not scheduled to be brought up anytime soon, but the office asked that he get practice with it, which is why he did a deal where he was said he was leaving if he lost to Chris Cage. He's coming up under the name as The Blueprint, his OVW nickname. In OVW, they're going to not hide this Morgan since he's the most over guy in the company, and in his size and his promo ability, putting a mask on isn't going to camouflage him. At least the company is getting guys to work with their new gimmicks and training rather than bringing guys up with no warning and putting them in totally new roles as they've done in the past. Barabas, the prophesizer, and I'm being accused of a Puerto Rican star they've passed, who just started on WWTV and brought WWE tapings a few weeks back, was already brought up and would use the name of Jesus Aguilar, Aguilera, excuse me, or simply Jesus, as a bodyguard for Carlito. He's a Southern California guy whose real name is Aaron Aguilera. He only wrestles once, he's only wrestled once in OVW. Dave saw him wrestle a few times years ago since he started in SoCal. He was a developmental prospect years back, heard his back and was cut. His selling and beating the babyface's comebacks are fine, but he looks green on offense and shows little emotion. But he came to TV a few weeks back, and he's six foot four or five. So there you go. Matt Morgan under a mask—that would have been interesting. I mean, Vince, as we know, doesn't really—he didn't really jive with mass wrestlers that much. So that's interesting that that would be an option. And he did do this in OVW for a little bit. Yeah, but he never did WWE. No. There are plans to merchandise an Orton clothing line called Randy Wear. <laughs> Does wearing it make uh, you Randy? I guess so. As things stand right now, Car- Carmella DeCesare, DeCesare is done. On the one shot, Dave, for her to wind up on SmackDown based on Vince's statement that a few of the Diva Search contestants will likely be signed by Teddy Long for that show over the next month. She's pretty much done. Bobby Heenan, like everyone else, got one of the standard $10,000 contracts for merchandising rights as such as they try to remarket the old stars and use them in some capacity with a launch of 24-7. He hadn't signed yet, but with TNA not having shown any interest in him, inevitably he'll likely be involved in that project. Beginning of the Legends contracts, or the Talent Nostalgia Agreements, which, remember, you're not actually being paid $10,000 per se, you're being paid a $10,000 advance on future royalties. Yes. All right, some house show stuff here. October 18th, SmackDown in Minneapolis, Drew 4000, which is good for a house show these days. But Minneapolis is one of those traditional wrestling markets. Raw on the 22nd, then Green Bay, Drew 2100. Then Madison, Drew an estimated 1500 on the 23rd. SmackDown in Ottawa, Drew 2250 on the 23rd. Raw in Cedar Rapids, Drew 1500 estimated. Oof. And SmackDown in Montreal on the 24th, did an estimated 4000. In Green Bay, they did Orton, Benoit, Jericho, of Revolution. Despite Orton and Flair hugging in the Taboo Tuesday in Milwaukee, which is near Green Bay, not to mention on pay-per-view, they didn't work any Flair mystery to the storyline and just had a regular match. Orton pinned Triple H after Lobo and paid a Green a good match. The fans took to Flair as a babyface anyway, and really Triple H got a babyface reaction as well. A good 20-minute main event, which is a usual rule in house shows these days. Shelton beat Christian in his first IC title defense cleanly with an exploder. Simon Dean won a prelim over Val Venus and was entertaining, mixing, taking his pulse, doing aerobics and free squats and things like that in the middle of their match. After Snitsky forgot to pin Kane in Milwaukee, where he wrestled Maven, he remembered to pin him. 
Damon better destroy him doing a second pump handle and then would defend him again, even though he already won this match. Well, he's going to be entertaining to watch. <laughs> Mass and the next time, same show. The only new thing of note was Evolution now doing triple spots of selling. So there's all three guys in the figure four at the same time. All three guys doing flare, getting their trunks pulled down spot at the same time. Same Orton countering the pedigree to RKO for a clean win in more than 20 minutes. In Ottawa, with Undertaker and Eddie having the weekend off, it was JBL over Booker in the title match. And Big Show again pinning Kurt Angle. Carlito over Harker Holland did a tag title match with Dupree and Suzuki over the Bashams. Ray and RVD in the Dudleys. JBL did an anti-Canadian promo before the match saying, Canadians like curling, he likes baseball. Canadians like figure skating, he likes boxing. And he said, this isn't a wrestling promo or a script. I'm telling you God's honest truth. I hate Canada. Because my work both nights in Canada were said to be really good. After this match was over the end of the show, they did a big post-match brawl with all the heels and faces on the undercard. Big show largely cleared house single-handedly when the heels had gotten their several-man advantage. And JBL was left beaten in the ring and asked for an American doctor to please come to the ring. Heinrich did a straight jab before, give it before and after matches of house shows. In the Kim and Chavo program, if Chavo wins, he gets on top and teases a revenge shooting star, but Kim rolls out the safety. Don Marie is on the road managing the Dudleys. Well, that goes nowhere. Tori goes on the road now shooting the t-shirts to the crowd with Jackie. Heinrich came out and bullied both of them, leading to Rico making the save, and Heinrich and Rico followed. Cedar Rapids, the same top matches with Benoit, Jericho, and Orton over Evolution with Orton and Triple H RKO. They did both follow the three heels, get their trunks pulled down spot with Triple H going several minutes with them down as well as Triple H and Flair doing double face first bumps. Flair did three of them in one match. Simon Dean weren't Maven, and it was a funny spot. Simon was calling the crowd fat and offered to help anyone getting rid of the fat who came out. Maven came out, and Dean says, like a lot of cuts come out, and meant he's fat. This led to the match. Montreal says shows Ottawa. Not sure why, considering the level of push each gets on TV, but they had Johnny Stamboli beat Luther Reigns on the house shows. The only reason David come up with, and he doesn't know it to be fat, but he does know these things are looked at, which causes him to change house show results at times, is the way it worked out, there would be only been two Bayface wins on seven match show. Otherwise, Renee and Kenzo, Spike, Carlito, and JBL ought to win as champs. You can't put Rico over high and right, so something has to give. Dave thinks having the mentality where the champs are always heels has hurt the company. Because people pay to see Babyface wins. Not that you have to sweep, but there's the old school WWE mentality where the champ should be a heel and the people pay to see him get beat. That sounds great on paper, but reality has shown it's not necessarily the right approach. Particularly when fans are smarter and the heat for heels going over often goes to the promotion. Bad heat. As opposed to the wrestler. If you look at the best periods of company history, it's always when the main event usually ended with a face going over or building a local arena program that the face went over in the end, dating from San Martino through Austin. But the only major note was it was said that Holly, like he he wasn't exactly thrilled putting a Carlito over. But then again, Holly's facials and attitude are just that to the outside. He usually looks mad. Biggest news involved, Devon and a fan. During the show, a fan was making racial slurs, which can't possibly be the first time Devon turned that in his career. But whatever he was saying set Devon off. And there was an incident. Devon was daring the guy to hit him, but he didn't. After the show, Devon saw the same fan as he was leaving, waiting for autographs, jumped out of his car for another confrontation. Yeah, I don't blame him. I wonder what he said. <laughs> Man. I mean, that's Montreal. I don't know if it's something I would bring up, but it, I mean, Dave's probably not wrong that this has happened before and he didn't react like that. So it does. 
it does make you wonder what specifically was said. Oh, there was some... No, believe me. You watch some of these ECW handhelds, <laughs> and you hear fans say stuff. Yes, he did. Yeah. That is, you know, interesting, though. It just makes you wonder what was said, so... I wonder if maybe it's a situation where he hadn't heard anything like that in a long time, maybe, from fans? I don't... I don't know. Maybe it was more than just a racial thing. Maybe it was insulting his family or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, because... Devon would get so insulted by a fan insulting his family. You never know, because it's about his mother. Or some, some, I don't know. You don't know. Oh, you mean Something. like perhaps if a wrestler talked about a mother-daughter uh, groupie team and perhaps another woman, uh, I'm not even going to say it, but you get the well, idea. that's part it, of the gimmick, Bix. It's I different. know, I know, I know. This is legit. This is no, And clearly, clearly something very bad was said here. Shame it, man. Back to figure four weekly did an interview claiming the company was looking at adding new brands and perhaps getting into boxing. What? He's insane or talking out of his ass. Right? Because he may be a velocity brand filled with developmental guys. Some would argue this would immediately typecast him as jobbers or see little performers, but so few people watch weekend shows anyway that Brian does think it would make a damn bit of difference. The boxing one is mind boggling, considering the very public death of the XFL and the fact that Vince's previous boxing promotional efforts bombed. On the other hand, they got so much money that they can afford to burn some if they got if they're bored and have nothing better to do. Not that Brian recommends this. He'd rather they spend on something like, you know, developmental territories. But yes, no say in those matters. Even if the movie stuff is dumb, but at least the majority of the mainstream audience, Vince's biggest failures have been sports related, not entertainment related. Now if those movies bomb, which is a very good possibility, that's another story entirely. Who knows? Shane's probably talking out of his ass. That's him wanting then to get new stuff is he got something to do. Yes. That's probably what that is. All right. We're going to close that with a torch. A few things here. There are a lot of people on WWE who soured on Randy Orton after a shaky performance on Jimmy Kimmel Live on ABC. The rap on Orton is that as good as he is in real life, he thinks he's twice as good as that. And it leads to him getting complacent, overconfident, or in the case of the Kimmel interview, shown up a bit. And Randy would have this reputation for quite a few years after yep. this. But thank thank you, that, Cam. That, yes. Yeah, he's not that guy anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Cam. Um, do we have an actual date for this? I'm looking because there is video of this. Uh, okay, it's the October 14th episode. Should we see what this is like since we're talking about the performance here and not in the week it happened? I don't know where we're at on time. This is a long show. Yeah, I mean, I'll just take a quick look at it. Let's see on Dilly Motion. Don't have to play the whole thing necessarily. I'm curious if we're talking about how bad this was. Randy Orton. It's great to be here. And, uh, I love the under. It's very funny. I won't do anything about it right now. But... Oh, good. <laughs> if, you, if you do decide to do something about it, let me know because I'm a, quite a fast runner. Well, well you, you, you know what? You do have Andy Dick on your side. And I saw he had that little, the guy in that outfit earlier. That's, I don't know if I want to get involved in any of that. That was the vice president. That wasn't some guy. That was our vice president. Some guys, I, I barely caught it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just but like, anyway. I'd like to get you in that outfit. <laughs> 
again with the storyboards, we weren't able to. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> did you just get here from Europe? Yes, I did, actually. Just today, yes. you flew in. Yes, I flew in. We actually, uh, we were in Helsinki, Finland, Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, we were all over Wales. Uh, wrestling. Of, that's right, wrestling. It's great over there. The, the fans are great. They're thirsty for it. On the way over and on the way back? It depends. If you get a little intoxicated, sometimes uh, wrestling, you know, you, you, you never know. You never know. You're a young guy, and your your dad, I remember your dad, man. I, I, I'm saying your dad is cowboy. Well, now I see why they get upset with this interview. Yeah? The plane ride from hell lawsuit was five months earlier? Yeah. So... Uh, I feel like Wade, maybe, maybe he didn't actually see it. I feel like someone should have noticed that's probably why they would be unhappy with this interview. Wait, well, I mean, he's, he's carrying himself very well. Okay, let me skip ahead a little and see if there's anything else here. First taboo. Yes, because you might as well be fighting Andy Rooney. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Taboo Tuesday. Are you gonna beat? Like, are you gonna like body slam a baby too? I'm gonna body slam. I'm gonna I'm gonna body slam you if you don't watch it. Please don't. Please don't. I'm not old enough. No, it was all no. I'm gonna hold her. Don't worry. You can come for me. You're saying that don't worry. We worked this all out on storyboards. There'll be no trouble. You're saying you're saying that fans will vote. That's on which correct. senior citizen you will kill? That's correct. That's correct. No, it, it, it is me and Ric Flair and Jimmy. Uh -huh. You're killing me, by the way. <laughs> well, me. What are you going to do? Well, you, you know what? I, I wish you the best, and I will. He'd get a lot smoother later, but he's acquitting himself pretty okay for a 24-year-old kid. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, it's his first big, probably, media appearance like this, too. Hey, Kimmel's not what Kimmel is today at this point in time as far as his show. Or as even as far as being an interviewer. Yeah, because um, I mean the show Jimmy Kimmel show starts. Oh, when does that when does it begin? Uh, two thousand three. Okay, so it's pretty new. Yeah, second it's season. In the second ish. second season. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, getting shown up, but I mean that's what this Randy Orton is going to get in a in an interview with a stand up at this time, or I guess he wasn't a stand up, but a comedian. So like. It, I, what do you expect? If anyone was actually uh, pissed, I'm, I bet it's over the the yeah. comment about transatlantic flights. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the kicker. All right, John Cena, when, when his rap character first took off, wrote most of his own material. Now he's being fed lines to use, which everyone seems to agree has really taken the edge off of him. Brian Gowerch is responsible for some of the bits that have been panned as being corny or lame. Says one W Insider, I'd rather see 10 people fail on their own and 10 people succeed on their own rather than have 20 people reciting lines written or approved of by Stephanie and the writing team, but who aren't speaking as themselves. For newer wrestlers, is all they know, and that's scary. The current writing team would rather fail than see the promotion succeed and not get full credit for it. That sounds like Chris Jericho. <laughs> yes. And yes, you could definitely tell when, the, when John Cena started becoming more scripted. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we close. Stand with the torch. Hulk Hogan has been dropping hints that he would like to team with his daughter, Brooke, in a tag team match against Vince and Stephanie at a future WrestleMania. Insiders say that despite Holt's claims to the contrary, Brooke actually dislikes the wrestling business. That said, one can only imagine that she'd go along working the match if she thought it would help her singing career. It is amazing that we never got Hulk and Brooke as a team. Well, she never worked a match anyway. She got involved in storylines and TNA. Yeah, TNA, yeah. 
But still, it's great. Yeah. Marriage to Ray Deadly. <laughs> yes. But it is amazing that we never got that WWE angle with them or anything, you know? Uh, I guess so. Also, how is Wade misspelling Brooke? <laughs> well, he's missing the E, but yes. But that's how it's spelled. I'm... She's not uh... a body of water. <laughs> um, he also misspelled Laurenitis earlier. L-A-U-R-E-N is how he spelled it. Yes. I feel like by 2004, people who were in the wrestling business should know how to spell Laurenitis. He's not the only one. There are three of them. It is what it is. All right, so next week on Between the Sheets. That's it for us this week, so let's talk about next week. We're going back to 1991. Ooh. Where we'll have news on uh, WBF, house show business, and the Ric Flair world. We'll talk about that as Ric Flair's headlining. We'll have uh, other news as far as uh, the future and pay-per-views, um, future and television shows. We got some interesting clips to, to play and uh, all that type of stuff. So uh, not, not a huge WF section, but enough. We got uh, Global Wrestling Federation. Major updates there as uh, the news of the downfall of Global Wrestling Federation is premature as they've now been re-upped by ESPN. So we'll have that. And Joe Pettacino talking directly with Steve Beverly and Matt Watch. So we'll have that. In Memphis, we got quite the television show where we uh, get Billy Joe Travis and his mysterious mass man coming up to Jerry Lawler. And Dr. Tom Pritchard addresses the talk of the fans that he sounds too much like Roddy Piper. I'm not lying. We have a brand new promotion uh, taping their first television show in Greenville, South Carolina, involving Jim Cornette. That's right, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So we'll talk about that TV taping. We got Joel Goodhart running the show in New Jersey. We got the um, we got early news on the American Wrestling Federation, as well as the Universal Wrestling Federation. Herb Abrams got shit going on. So quite the indie section next week. Mexico, we'll talk about... Um, stuff going on there. There's a strike still going on. But they're having shows anyway, so we'll have uh, results from there, from CMLL, UWA. We got uh, Japan, where we have a big press conference in the United States. We're going to UWFI show. We got uh, SWS running some big shows for the week, which is good because there's no one in Japan all Japan. And then we got uh, we got the death of one of the major wrestling stars of the South to talk about during our week. And in World Championship Wrestling, Halloween Havoc 1991. Oh, boy. Featuring the return of Paul E. Dangerously, the debut of Rick Rude, and, yes, the Chamber of Horrors. Oh, you mean the return of Paul E. Dangerously from his alleged suspension? Yes, which we talked about, you know, on a Patreon show. Well, no, but, we did uh, two regular shows. Remember, we did back-to-back -back with, shows with our yeah. dearly departed friend, Scott Bowden. Yeah, well, this is coming off of that. So, we get the return of Paulie, And we have a prospective guest who hasn't fully committed yet. So, I will hopefully make the official announcement during halftime. So, our guest uh, hasn't uh, got back with me yet as far as recording schedule and everything. Because he's a very busy man. All that more next week on Between the Sheets.
All right, Biggs, thanks as always for joining for joining the show, for uh, being the rock of the show. You always join the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Ain't no stopping me, no! The Sheets episode between the Sheets Patreon special edition episode number seventy-two. I'm your host Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. It's time to get back into the late two thousand groove here with WCW and their uh, prospects of being for sale. And you know, part one, we ended at an interesting spot, and we're gonna pick up here at part two and. Uh, Looks like the trades are going to be uh, heavily involved in this one again, so it should be quite the show. I mean, yeah, of course they are. But (laughs) yeah, we were, what, a week or two into the WWF part of the story, I guess? Yeah. Something like that. So I think we should just dive in, right? Yes. So let's do that. All right, well, Wade's got something to talk about here in the torch that's... uh, Maybe the big sticking point in all this to WCW and WF. Viacom steps forward strong resistance to the WF turn negotiations by Wade Keller of ProWrestlingTorch.com. Just weeks after gaining rights to WF programs in the biggest TV money deal in pro wrestling history, 
A key source tells ProRustorts.com that Viacom has stepped forward in opposition to the WF negotiations with Turner to buy WCW. As part of Viacom's price tag for WF programming, they bought exclusive rights to WFE wrestling programs on cable. Viacom, a key source says, came out strongly against WFE and Vincent Mann signing a deal with Turner, a fierce rival of Viacom. Viacom was TNN to become a major competitor to TNT, TBS, and USA. And McMahon turned his resources towards rehabbing a competing station's top rated yet struggling program. That would hurt TNN, Viacom apparently believes. Sources say WF officials had hoped Viacom wouldn't be upset with WFE acquiring WCW and providing programming for Turner. Instead, they hope Viacom will see the value in gaining access to all WCW's wrestlers and a potential ratings bonanza for all wrestling programs as they built toward eventual interpromotional matches and big-name jumps between promotions. Negotiations have soured a bit in general between WF and WCW, so the Viacom move is said to be the biggest but not only roadblock to consummate a deal. Alone, Viacom's resistance might end up being enough to nix a deal. But as it is now, it's just one on a list of other struggles during the finer points of negotiations and tension between key personalities. Deal's not that, though. And WF Source says negotiations are definitely continuing this week. Viacom can be persuaded that sharing WFE-owned programming would benefit them. The details that are sticking points now could be worked out, and personality clashes could be set aside in order to get a deal done that's attracted to all sides. However, the odds of WF owning WCW apparently are lower than the middle of last week, where it appeared to seem to be around 60-40 bet in favor of getting the deal done. And as we continue away, as search from WCW's ownership future remains unresolved, Negotiations, though, had soured a bit in general between Duff and WCW. So the Viacom move is said to be the biggest, but only robot. Oh, I just read that. Uh, so let's find the part that I didn't read. I thought I did. Uh, that. Sorry. Uh, word circulated in the last week that McMahon was acting too brash and authoritarian during negotiations with Turner executives. Huh, shocking. McMahon was dictating what he would and wouldn't accept as part of a deal. Among McMahon's demands were channel and day changes for various programs. The story going around is that Turner executives weren't thrilled with the proposals, but even less thrilled with how they were presented. Well, wait, 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 wait. He's absolutely in the right to ask for Nitro to be moved, for starters. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely he's right. And and that's the thing I was going to bring up with Viacom. I mean, I got to think and believe that Vince McMahon would not try to have shows competing against each other on the same night. Which that would be stupid. Look, we see by the time WCW is gone that it didn't really help with ratings to have just raw, or at least without a WCW existing. But on paper, of course, you could you should be able to try to sell it to Viacom as look. Now we're not going to have another wrestling show opposite us anymore. Exactly. Whereas if it's sold to anyone else, we will. Yes. At this point in time, that's the thing, because whoever would have bought WCW would have had the Turner programming. So basically, you're still in Viacom. Listen, we have to buy this to to keep our to get our deal good. We're protecting our deal with you. <laughs> it's just like so. Some of these damn people in charge have their heads so far stuck up their ass with their own little rivalries. That they, they're they too deep in the forest to see the trees. Now, look, they are absolutely in the right to ask Vince to buy out the exclusivity. They are. But the issue becomes that they end up 
raising the price so much after they, you know, at least according to Vince, from the initial price they quoted him to buy out the exclusivity, which we'll get to later. Here's the thing. Do you think at this point in time, even though they just signed a deal with Viacom, that maybe Vince is regretting signing that deal with Viacom already? I think he's regretting the exclusivity clause. Yes. Yep. But, I mean, yeah, Viacom's stupid. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no way he would compete against them head-to-head. That would be, I mean, crazy. But, I mean, what am I to say? As we record this, I mean, NFL is going to have Monday Night Football going against head head to head against each other on, on two different channels on the Disney networks. Oh, that's a little <laughs> different. Yeah, but still, you're 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 kind of taking some ratings away from one for the other, but it all adds up in the end, I guess. Right. And it's all in the same family and network, so I guess that it doesn't really matter, does it? Right. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that the, the Viacom thing is just crazy to me. But I mean. Vince acting brash and authoritarian, that doesn't surprise me at all. No. I mean, that's Vince McMahon. What do you expect? <laughs> you know, and I'm sure those fo- some of those folks at Turner hadn't dealt with anybody like him, even Ted. So, no. all right. So as it stands here, Bischoff still wants in, according to people who are in contact with him. But other sources say Bischoff is far from a shoe-in if the deal falls apart. It really appears to be anybody's guess what will have WCW over the next few weeks. It's possible that the WF deal falls through, that Turner and Zex aren't confident in having Eric Bischoff be one of their primary program suppliers. That they may end up simply drastically downsizing WCW to a low-budget production and try to garner 2.0 cable ratings, which are respectable, with a skeleton crew of a few dozen wrestlers with contracts in the $100,000 and $600,000 range. It's also possible Turner will close down WCW completely, write off all expenses before the OL deal is consummated, and then maybe eventually restart a promotion or pick up programming down the line from a new starter promotion if one surfaces. And that's the thing, you know, the, another thing that surprises me in all this was if that game in game with Brad Siegel and Stu Schneider, you know, was what it was. I mean, why did Brad just shut down WCW altogether before the AOL deal is done? That's a good question. Because clearly they wanted it off the books before the AOL deal was closed, if at all possible. I mean, well, no, I mean, we, well, wait, we're not thinking of the two things in, together. It's Vince can't make the deal, or at least with, at this point, the, they still want the shows on the networks. So Vince can't make the deal until that changes. Well, no. When, when, okay, so when is the, the AOL deal consummated? Uh, mid-January. Remember, same, de- same day that the uh, Fusion deal gets announced, so January 13th. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So if they don't have a preliminary deal with Fusion in their minds, or you're thinking that's going to happen, in January, does Brad Siegel shut down WCW and then sell all sell off all the all the IP to WWF? Yes. There you go. And the other thing to remember is Jamie Ke- Kellner's not in play yet. Nope. So no, no that's, so that's the thing. No, and there's no poison pill in the fusion contract. So there is no reason to think they would have any desire to cancel the TV shows. Yeah. 
Because it doesn't seem like people there, who even who didn't like wrestling, ever had any issue with carrying the TV shows, is that they were embarrassed to have it as part of the company. Yes. Again, that's another notch in the belt for the Jamie Kellner. I mean, this the we're here we are talking about this in October as being a possible option that definitely could have happened before he was even involved. You know? Well anyway. Uh, WCW workers didn't know who to kiss up to over the last week or two. They went from being worried about their past dealings with Bischoff to worrying about what McMahon thought of them. Not a possibility is this. They'll be sending out resumes and calling around looking for entirely new jobs. Uh, poor Terry Taylor. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> even only one. <laughs> the cable trade journals are covering the status of WCW as a major story, but for the most part have been a week behind on the facts and rumors circulating. They reported on sticky points and negotiations, including the WF wanting to assume forthcoming revenues from past reviews, while Turner wanted to keep revenues earned but not yet received. This is something we haven't talked about. You know, if that's true, if that's true, which Dave says might not be true, um, I totally understand where, where uh, Turner's coming from. Why should we give you that money? You weren't involved with WCW at that time. Why should you reap the benefits? I mean, they're right. Yeah, why should you reap the benefits? You you had no dealings with us at this time. After a deal's made, yes, that's different. So, yeah, I totally get where they're coming from on that regard. If that was a, a, a big issue, which we don't know. We've heard different things on that. Right, they're desperately trying to... I mean, well, here's the other thing, too. I just realized it right as I started to say that. Not all the pay-per-view revenue goes to WCW proper anyway. It goes to Turner Home Entertainment. Exactly. <laughs> they want their money. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay. So, let's think about this. It, let's say WF buys WCW, and they still want to run pay-per-views. Would that be going through Turner Home Entertainment? That's an interesting question. <laughs> because they're doing the TV through Turner. Mm. Would they would Turner Home Entertainment be supplying the pay per view stuff? That's another thing. How how do you work around that one? Hmm. So I don't know. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash between the sheets.